ancient land of China, schools and the martial arts were a way of life, but none were as lethal as the one we are about to reveal. Five deadly venoms. A secret society, each man unknown to the other, identified only by a mass, representing one of nature's deadly assassins, the centipede, the snake, the scorpion, the lizard, and the toad. Five deadly venoms, five masters in the martial arts, each man pitted against the other in savage combat, and each trained in their own vicious method of killing. They practiced a special kind of kung fu, killing by instinct, with machine-like precision, lightning speed, and ruthless power, as ferocious and deadly as the venomous creatures from which it took its name, and whose stings were always fatal. Kill or be killed. Five deadly venoms. No mercy asked, none given, in a kung fu epic as brutal as nature itself. Five deadly venoms, survival of the fittest and kung fu action at its very best in the most spectacular martial arts program of the year. Five deadly venoms, five stinging ways to die. Pick your poison, you'll be stung to your seats. Don't miss Five Deadly Venoms, a Shaw Brothers presentation. Theirs was a mission of certain death. Outnumbered and unarmed, they must get to the tyrant that enslaves their people. No weapon, no matter how lethal, can match their Kung Fu. Alexander Fusheng stars as the young martial arts expert pitted against a murderous warlord with a deadly Kung Fu skill. They live to fight and fight to live in a whirlwind of Kung Fu action. Four men sworn to battle to the death against these lawless legions of the damned. The Four Assassins.
five men of destiny await the ultimate challenge. Death and destruction were the Manchu order. They murdered their way to victory. Nothing could stop them until they met the five masters of death. Five new men of destiny. Five new deadly ministers of kung fu justice. Five new kung fu killing techniques. The whipping triple jointed stick, an avenging reaper of justice. The piercing pole, driving its way to victory. The deadly tiger stork, no one escapes. The crushing crossed fists, pounding up revenge on Manchu murderers. See the five kung fu masters of death defeat the Manchu warlords. See the five masters of death. When you're the best, you do things with style. J.J. McQuaid is the best. He's a lone wolf lawman in the Lone Star State. Even a wolf has his weaknesses. And a powerful enemy. The final showdown belongs to McQuaid. Lone Wolf McQuaid, starring Chuck Norris, David Carradine, Barbara Carrera, and Leon Isaac Kennedy. Or forgive them, because they killed his wife, they raped his daughter. And they deserve to die. So he's doing it again. His way. Charles Bronson. He's the best there is at getting even. Goodbye. Death Wish 2. Rated R. Now playing at the Sacramento Drive-In, Dome 24, Birdcage Walk, and the State in Woodland. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. The all-new process that puts you in the picture. Whether you want to be there or not. It will scare you. Count on it. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. Rated R. Now playing in Sacramento. Check newspapers for theaters and showtime. This is the movie that Rex Reed called the most horrifying motion picture I have ever seen. This film is positively ruthless in its attempt to drive you right out of your mind. Sally, I hear something. Stop! Stop! The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. From New Line Cinema. Rated R. There are killers on the loose, dressed like cops, and they always use a magnet. There's only one cop around who can crack this case. They call him Dirty Harry. In 24 hours, Harry stops a robbery, covers a stakeout, and prevents a hijacking. Clint Eastwood is back, and this time his world is dirtier than ever. 
Magnum Force, rated R. Opening Christmas Day at selected theaters around the country. theaters.
知道你还是会喜欢我的Pleasure doing business with you. I 本来想推薦你上去，但你上頭唔批准。點解？呢個人你應該好熟嘅。我聽日要走。後日去台灣嗰單嘢，咪帶埋阿成咯，俾個機會啲後生仔啊嘛。
听说声，漫长路快要走过。一朝做贼，想做好人不容易。我已经冇咗个细佬，我唔想连你呢个朋友都冇埋。阿杰，唔好再叫我做阿杰，叫阿 Sir。而家大把世界，有好多旧客要靠豪哥你拉翻嚟噶。我哥系产值唔系我啊！呢度已经唔系我同你嘅世界。你嘢喐手啊！即刻转翻转头。No hope, no chance, no possibility of escape. Delta Force gets the word. It's a go. Take them down. They're not after adventure or glory. They're fighting to save American lives. No! You take one of us, you gotta take us all. Chuck Norris, Lee Marvin. The Delta Force, rated R. Starts Friday, February 14th at theaters everywhere. Chuck Norris returns in Missing in Action 2, The Beginning. American MIAs imprisoned and tortured. He's a soldier they couldn't hold. None of you have ever escaped, and none of you will. We're going in. He's breaking out, leading his men, and fighting back. An American hero story continues. Chuck Norris, Missing in Action 2, The Beginning. Opens Friday, March 1st at a theater near you. Death Wish 3. First, they took the streets. Then, they took it all. But their next target may be their last victim. Charles Bronson, where there is no justice. There can only be vengeance. Charles Bronson. Death Wish 3. Now playing. Consult your listings. 
outrageously exhilarating, guaranteed to tingle the most jaded moviegoer's palate. A film concocted with nitroglycerin, the combined energy of the Road Warrior, Robocop, and the Terminator. Killer is great cinema. The Killer, a thriller comedy that will leave you breathless. a movie that will leave you breathless. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, in a Tony Scott film that critics are calling a Bonnie and Clyde for the 90s. True Romance. Rated R starts Friday, September 10th at a theater near you. My instructions and we all walk away clean. Domino, you're with me on the side. Shepard, you cover the rear. All we want is the money. This is an inside job. Ten million in cash. Let's go home right now. I've seen you two. We're celebrity hostages. Dogs. Before Pulp Fiction. The original Men in Black shook the world of action cinema in the original A Better Tomorrow. Presents the explosive bullet ridden sequel, A Better Tomorrow 2. Hong Kong action mavericks John Woo and Troy Hark take the heroic bloodshed genre to the next level and beyond in a violent symphony of destruction that is often imitated but never better. Chow Yun Fat, Leslie Chung, and T Mung. Better tomorrow, too.
He practiced the lizard style. Chameleon. The lizard is a very agile and nimble style. It enables a man to climb like a lizard. David Rockefeller's money couldn't save him. No. Despite all of the hard work he did for Satan. But he's behind the latest accusations. If you disagree, then you must be a Russian agent. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bunch of gobbledygook. Peddling that has got to be spooks. There's not an angle I couldn't possibly juice. And if it's coming out of my mouth, it's got to be truth. Let's keep it all cerebral. If I run for mayor, I won't be mayor. I leave it to the people. Consider this a shot across the bow. The sheeple are awake and we gon' shake them up now. Make them well aware you are extreme liars. You create smoke, then you're like a scream fire. Like we can't see who lit it. It shows like a Saturday Night Live skit. Okay, I get it. None of these federal projectors ever want to speak even though i come and visit them like once a week not a single thing i say is tongue-in-cheek the nypd just sprung a leak not one of these pedal protectors they want to speak even though i come and visit them like once a week not a single thing i say is tongue-in-cheek the nypd just sprung a leak bastard you did it again you a real hard bastard when will it end i must say bastard
All right, welcome to the show. I am the hard bastard. We're going to start out with some polling. Uh, Trump is leading in the general election, and Biden's support among minorities continues to drop. Uh, former President Trump is leading the pedophile-in-chief Joe Biden in a hypothetical 2024 rematch as Biden is experiencing a loss of support among minority voters. This is an INI TIPP poll. The overall survey showed Trump with a one-point edge over Biden in a head-to-head matchup, leading 41% to the 81-year-old's 40% support. Trump also holds an edge among independents, leading Biden by 6 34% to Biden's 28. However, nearly a quarter remain undecided. The survey shows Biden with a significant advantage in urban areas, 55% to Trump's 31%, and Trump leading Biden in the suburbs and rural areas, 44 to 38, uh, and 49 to Biden's 27. According to the poll, Biden has even more issues as he is losing support among minority voters. An even larger problem looms for Biden when it comes to minority voters, in particular blacks and Hispanics. In 2020, according to a Roper survey exit poll of voters, Biden took an estimated 87% of the black vote and 65% of the Hispanic vote. Uh, This time around might be a surprise for Democrats who have long held a tight lock on the votes of the country's two largest minorities. This poll showed that Trump is getting a a near identical level of Hispanic support as in 2020, 31%. But Biden's backing has plunged from more than 60% to just 53%. Perhaps what is more is the fact that over one in five black voters are backing Trump over Biden, 23%, according to the survey. And I believe, what was the number that they said would be like a nightmare scenario, absolute devastation for Democrats, like 14%, I think? So we're looking at 23% potentially. you got to obviously wait for election day. And of course, you always must point out that uh, they have different ways that they cheat. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, so you'll have to see it all play out. But anyway, according to the survey, that figure is more than doubling his support from that key voting block since the last last election. The survey was taken January 3rd through 5th, 2024, among a little over 1,200 registered voters. The data coincides with December polling from Gen Forward, which showed Trump taking a greater share of the black vote, a key demographic for Democrats, than last time. That particular survey showed 17% of black Americans supporting Trump, as well as 36% of Latinos, the latter of which is up four points from 2020. A recent USA Today Suffolk University poll showed Trump pulling 12% of black voters and 39% of Latino voters as well. Interesting. Oh, I guess uh, those people aren't believing the media narrative. That's fascinating. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But they're pretending that he's Hitler and people are not buying it. People are not buying it. All right, we got an escalation in World War, uh, World War III here. Uh, U.S. launches another airstrike against the Houthi terrorists in Yemen. The U.S. military launched another airstrike against the Iranian-backed Houthi terrorists in Yemen early Saturday morning local time. The strike comes after the U.S.-led coalition forces struck down dozens of Houthi targets in Yemen late Thursday night and early Friday morning after the terrorist group had conducted 
three months of attacks on international merchant vessels in the Red Sea. Uh, didn't Biden take them off the terrorist list in 2021? I don't know. The strike on Saturday morning hit a radar site that was believed to be involved in the targeting of ships in the Red Sea. The first round of strikes hit at least 73 targets at 16 locations, including command and control nodes, munition depots, launching systems, production facilities, and air defense radar systems. More than 100 precision guided munitions were used. The Biden regime, fearing the Islamic Republic of Iran telegraphed its punches before the strikes, giving terrorists ample time to escape. Only five Houthi terrorists were killed and several others were injured. The administration did not go after the Iranian spy ship that's been operating in the Red Sea, helping the Houthis target merchant vessels. Army Lieutenant General Douglas Sims, Director of Operations for the Joint Staff, said Friday that the U.S. was still conducting battle damage assessments of the various targets that were hit during the first round of airstrikes, and we're very confident where our uh, munitions struck. Um, let me get the second article queued up here. I think that's, yeah, okay. Um, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, who's still recovering in the hospital, said that the strikes were intended to degrade the Houthis' capabilities to endanger mariners and threaten global trade in one of the world's most critical waterways. And what's interesting about this is the AIDS commie leftists are now kind of rooting for the Houthis and Iran under the umbrella of the, you know, Israel-Gaza conflict. And this seems to be something used by uh, uh, AIDS commies to, to perhaps do another George Floyd-like summer. We'll have to see. It's possible that's not how this plays out. But it looks like this is going to be what they use. And it's interesting if this becomes a, a, uh, a bigger conflict, you could have a hell of a situation. Also, given the fact that the border's been wide open for years, I would not be surprised to see terrorist attacks. But we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's no terrorist attacks. But uh, this, this, is, uh, this is interesting. So now this is in London. Uh, Houthis and Hamas terrorists praised as thousands protest against America and Britain and Israel in London. Oh, man. Maybe you shouldn't have brought all these fucking people in. Maybe. That's just an idea. Maybe you shouldn't bring people into your countries that hate you. Just a thought. Just a thought. Tens of thousands of pro-Palestinian protesters once again took to the streets of London on Saturday as some showed support for Hamas terrorists and others for the Islamist Houthi group in their attacks on global shipping in the Red Sea. The organizers of the march, the Palestine Solidarity Campaign, claimed that hundreds of thousands of activists demonstrated against Israel on Saturday, having predicted that over 200,000 would take to the streets. Holy shit! No official confirmation on the number of protesters had been published by police at the time of report. There's a lot of fucking people. The protest against Israel, which has become a frequent occurrence in London since the October 7th Hamas terror attacks that killed over a thousand people in Israel, drew common calls with the Shiite, Shiite, like Shiite, but Shiite, jihadists, Houthis in Yemen, who has faced military strikes from the UK. I think we're going to go with Shiite from now on. I, that would make sense. It's a very serious show that you're watching. I've got to get the names right. The Shi Shiite Muslims and the U.S. in response to their repeated attacks on shipping vessels in the Red Sea. According to the Times of London, placards 
at the demo read, Free Palestine, hands off Yemen, with another saying, The West cares more about shipping lanes than living, breathing human beings in Gaza. The paper went on to report the genocidal chants, including, There's only one solution, Intifada Revolution. And from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, were also heard during the protest. One protester was filmed expressing his opinion that Hamas terrorists represented the resistance to the alleged oppression of Israel, arguing that the Islamist group that has, control, has controlled the Gaza Strip with an iron fist for nearly two decades was standing for the people of Palestine and is involved in fighting for the rights more than anything else. Several high-profile political figures joined the march on Saturday, including former Labor Party leader Jeremy Corbyn and the president of the Irish Republican Army, tied Sinn Féin Mary Lou MacDonald, who says, When I say this, standing in London in common cause with you, having walked our own journey out of conflict, building peace for 25 years, this can happen, this must happen, and we will ensure it does. The head of the Palestinian mission to the UK, Huzam Zaloff, claimed Palestine is a nation of freedom fighters. Zamlot went on to express thanks to South Africa for launching a genocide case against Israel. Yeah, they got room to talk. Oh, man, the South Africans. They're so nice to the white people down there. Oh, man, it's just, they're very generous, and they offered them a really generous deal of saying, hey, give us your farms for pennies on the dollar, and then, you know, maybe we'll stop the uh, murderous blacks from killing you. Oh, man. What a bunch of nice people down there. Especially Rerun. I really like Rerun. What's his name? Malima? Motherfucker looks like Rerun. He's like, he's like an evil Rerun. That's no good. <clears throat> Rerun was a happy-go, lucky, fat guy with a big ketchup stain on his shirt. At least that's what it looked like to me as a kid. And... Uh, but this rerun, this rerun's no good. This, uh, but anyway, it is what it is. The Metropolitan Police made several arrests, including three people under suspicion of violating the Terrorism Act for allegedly sharing leaflets appearing to justify acts of terrorism against Israel, saying, We communists! Oh, really? <laughs> we communists joined together with all progressive humanity in congratulating the Palestinian people and their chosen leader ship on the audacious, daring, and effective military action they are now taking against the last federal colonial apartheid state, <clears throat> that monstrous proxy for Anglo-American imperialism, usurper of the Palestinian lands, rights, and nationhood, Zionist Israel. The Met said that it would deploy around 1,700 police officers during the march, According to an independent government report, anti-Israel protesters have cost the British taxpayer over $20 million since October. The author of the report, Lord Walney, argued that organizers should bear some of the costs if, the insist, if they insist on holding frequent large-scale demonstrations in major cities. They're not going to do shit. If these were white or conservative protesters, they would probably be arresting many of them, but they let the AIDS commie leftists do whatever they want. So it looks like a war is brewing. And, you know, you might be like, well, which side should I pick? I, 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 I'm not picking either side because this is the choice. It's between piss and shit. What do I mean by that? Oh, you have to be so crude. No, I understand. It's not for everybody. But this is as I see it, and I could be wrong. It's very possible I could be wrong. It looks like you have one group that would absolutely fucking kill you without question for being a white colonialist versus another group that, well, they're not going to kill you, but they believe that you are, 
your existence is to serve them and that they're your parents. These are the two sides fighting. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to not pick either of those. Fuck that shit. But anyway, so yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But anyway, I mean, perhaps it's, you know, I'm reading it wrong. Maybe I'm a little jaded. I have no idea. That just seems to be what it is here. This is fucked up. Unfortunately, the homosexual cokehead in Ukraine, Zelensky, has killed Coach Red Pill. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. This is the gray zone. American citizen Gonzalo Lira dies from neglect in a Ukrainian prison. Gonzalo Lira, a prominent commentator on the Russia-Ukraine war, imprisoned in U Ukraine for speech critical of the country's government. Now, now, don't worry. It's okay because Sitchin Adams said that he made bad predictions. Oh, well, there you go. So that's fine. See, they were against his imprisonment, but he made bad predictions. Oh, well, there you go. I guess it makes it kind of okay then. Unbelievable. It's kind of like the I'm for free speech, but people. But in this instance, because things are escalating to such a degree, it's I'm against imprisoning my political and ideological opponents, but that's what they say. I don't think people should be imprisoned for speech ever. Um, now, if we're going to play this game and you're going to imprison our side for speech, obviously I would rather your side go to jail rather than me if we have to choose. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Chilean-American war commentator Gonzalo Lira died shortly before noon on January 11th, 2024 at a hospital in Kharkiv where he had been imprisoned for eight months since he was accused of justifying the Russian war efforts in Ukraine. Oh, what a sin. What a sin. Oh, you had the wrong opinion about the war. Amazing. This is no different than when you see lunatic Zionists arguing that if you... I mean, there's really multiple arguments. If you uh, don't obey them about Israel, you're anti-Semitic. Uh, it, it's no different. It's just, it's, it's, it's lunatic zealotry. And it's amazing that people defend it. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I don't like the Russian government. And I sure as hell don't like the Ukraine government. Fuck both of them. That's my position. But if Coach Red Pill wanted to take a side, he should be free to do that. Um, now, look, I understand it's not, is it a good idea to do this in Ukraine and fuck around? No, it isn't. It's not a good idea. But they should have deported him. Killing him is unacceptable. And it's just funny. And look, look I know we're on the Internet. So you're going to take any position and, and you'll see anybody come up with, you know, whatever. And there's always going to be people that are like, you know, fuck that guy and who cares. And I have no problem with that. My issue is with the people who virtue signal about decency, okay? They virtue signal about good faith discussions and decency and democracy and then basically defend locking a guy up for his words. That's hypocrisy. That's fucking hypocrisy. So that's the difference that I see between a kind of a black-pilled internet person that gives zero fucks, which I don't have a problem with that, and people who are fucking hypocrites. So a lot of the pro-democracy hypocrites will defend things like this when a government like Zelensky's arrests their political opponents, shuts down media, arrests priests, whatever. And then they have the audacity to talk shit about Vladimir Putin. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Joe Biden can't talk shit about Putin. Who's worse, Putin or Biden? That's a good question. I have no idea.
I have no idea. So it, anyway, it's all bullshit. I don't like Putin. I don't like the fact that people tend to end up chopped up in suitcases after they criticize him. On the other hand, I don't like Biden or Zelensky either because they also lock up their political opponents. They also kill people. So anyway, it's also fascinating. But rest in peace, Coach Red Pill. He had, he, he had a very, in my opinion, entertaining video setup when he was doing videos many years ago. He would have like 19 cameras going with like a thousand angles taking him from different places and it was just funny he was a funny guy i always thought he was entertaining i liked the fact that he he uh he he just he admit he he deliberately was provocative he acted like an asshole and he was honest about that and you know i i, I don't know for some reason i like people like that i know not everybody liked him i didn't agree with him at all on trump i thought he was ridiculous about trump um, and, you know, some of his predictions did not uh, come true, and they, they were wrong, and that's fine. You can criticize him for that, but the argument that you're going to use that somehow to kind of defend his imprisonment, that's retarded. Anyway, um, Lyra came to prominence in 2022 when he emerged as a critical voice in an increasingly dictatorial Ukraine. His arrest in May 2023 on charges of production and dissemination of materials justifying Russia's armed aggression against Ukraine. By the way, you could see how easily you could start seeing this kind of shit happen in America. That's why I think you should be opposed to it completely, not in a moral fagging way. I've said this before, moral fagging, I don't think works on the internet, just out of self-preservation. If you don't want to be locked up for your speech, you should speak out about it, especially if you're a commentator, when you see people locked up for their speech. Just out of self-preservation. I mean, fucking animals know how to self-preserve. It's weird that some human beings, they don't get that. It's so fascinating to watch. But anyway, um, he helped galvanize domestic opposition to U.S. Uh, funding for the war and led for cause, to, that, which led to cause for his release by tech baron Elon Musk as well as Tucker Carlson. And good on them and good on everybody that was speaking out. Uh, against this a note written by uh, Lyra and provided to his father to the gray zone indicates his death came after a nearly three-month battle with pneumonia a condition was was apparently ignored by his Ukrainian jailers until just weeks before his death Lyra's death was revealed by his father Gonzalo Lyra senior who had spent weeks pleading with the American embassy to intervene in his son's medical emergency although they'll never you know they're happy they are happy about this. This regime uh, is not going to help someone uh, like Coach Red Pill. And uh, then the regime defenders will go along with it, of course. Emails review, reviewed by the Gray Zone show that after learning of his son's illness, the senior Lira urged the embassy to intervene on January 3rd in a message to U.S. officials. He noted that Ukrainian authorities appeared to make an effort to conceal information about Coach Red Pill's health from his family and legal representatives. Oh, what a flourishing democracy. The medical warden in the pretrial jail in Kharkiv is not giving information as to the state of his health, he wrote, concluding it's been 12 days since I knew of the state. The following day, uh, Coach Red Pill was finally brought to the hospital and allowed to see his lawyer. The defense attorney left the meeting with a handwritten note from Lyra uh, explaining his situation, which is believed to be his final written correspondence. The letter reads, quote, I have had double pneumonia, both lungs, as well as 
pneumonia, thorax, and a very severe case of edema, swelling of the body. All this started in mid-October, but was ignored by the prison. They only admitted I had pneumonia at a December 22nd hearing. I'm about to have a procedure to reduce the edema pressure in my lungs, which is causing me extreme shortness of breath to the point of passing out after minimal activity or even just talking for two minutes. They probably just killed him there. They, that, that procedure, they probably just murdered him. I would not be surprised at all if that's what happened. Unconvinced that his son would receive proper medical care in a Ukrainian hospital, Gonzalo Lira Sr. continued to plead with the embassy to monitor the situation. Then, it, Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if the Biden regime told the Ukrainians to kill him. Would that surprise you? That would not surprise me in the least bit. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying that that would not surprise me at all. The, the next day, he wrote to them again. He says, I need the embassy to keep in close touch while he's in the hospital to ensure his health is progressing while in the hospital. You should also contact the doctor in charge of Gonzalo while I'm in the hospital to verify, or while he's in the hospital, to verify his recuperation. But his efforts proved fruitless. A week later, Lira Sr.'s worst fears were confirmed when he received word that his son had died. He now blames Washington and Kiev for his death. I cannot accept that my son has died. He was tortured, extorted, incommunicado for eight months and 11 days, and the U.S. Embassy did nothing to help my son. The responsibility of the tragedy is with dictator Zelensky, uh, with, with the concurrence of a senile American president, Joe Biden. He says, my pain is unbearable. The world must know what's going on in Ukraine and that the, uh, with that inhumane dictator Zelensky. As the world's attention shifts from the Western proxy war in Ukraine, Lyra Sr. joins the hundreds of thousands of fathers now grieving the deaths of their sons. Unlike most of them, his son did not die on the battlefield, but in prison for condemning the war that doomed so many to their fate. So, yeah, just uh, not surprising, very unfortunate. So uh, that's a hell of a thing. Coach Red Pill, the YouTuber, ends up being killed by the cokehead homosexual regime, possibly at the order of the Biden regime for being critical in his YouTube videos of a uh, of the war. It's uh, it's it's life's interesting. Life is very interesting. So there you go. Rest in peace, sir. That, that's uh, that's a hell of a thing. All right, let's talk about treachery uh, uh, from the GOP. And if this goes, if this is allowed, uh, if this goes through, this is, I mean, it, I don't know. It's just, uh, we need some, uh, got to bring back uh, TNFs. Uh, Senate GOP border deal leaked. Migrants, illegals, will get work permits and lawyers and green cards instead of deportations. Uh, just incredible. The Senate GOP leadership's draft border deal with the White House would reward illegal migration and encourage more foreign uh, 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 Zerg to come take jobs from Americans. There is nothing in there that restricts immigration. In fact, it's going to encourage more people to come, said uh, Chris Chmielinski, president of the Immigration Accountability Project. It essentially authorizes the Biden regime to continue to catch and release people into the country. It authorizes them to give them work permits to illegals, authorizes them to grant parole legal status to everyone that they're able to funnel in. And then what they'll do is their propagandists in the media and on YouTube will pretend, look, it's not a problem, but they're all legal. There's no illegals coming into the country, bigot. That's what they're going to do. And then suddenly they're going to go, oh, look at the numbers. They're all going down. This is the same bullshit they do with the economy. Speaking of which, holy shit, it's almost like 
the people running the supermarkets were like, oh, yeah, we, we've uh, listened to your show. and We've heard you talk shit how you don't like the grocery prices. Well, you're about to fucking see. So I go to the grocery store, right? Price increases at, at an insane level. I don't know if you're seeing this. I don't know if, if it's just where I'm at. Now, normally, when I go in, things are, I don't know, 15 to 30 cents more expensive. So every week or so, however often, 15, 30 cents, and it goes up and up and up. Okay. This time, we're talking dollar, dollar 50 increases. So, for example, just to give you some examples, uh, the, the, this, like, fucking bagged lettuce thing that I buy for the goddamn guinea pigs in pre-clown world was $2.79 a bag. Post-clown world was $3.79 a bag. Now, $4.79 a bag. Within a week, $1. Peanut butter, okay? So, the, the normal big peanut butter, like Skippy or Jif, pre-clown world, you know, under Trump, was $4.99, okay? Uh, then... It went up to five ninety nine. That's six bucks. Now the Skippy one went up to six thirty nine. Okay, whatever. Forty cents increase. That's a lot though. I don't know what the fuck's going on with Jif. Seven dollars and forty nine cents up from five ninety nine. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? This bread, this kind of non shit bread, which was kind of expensive anyway. Uh, and it was like $5, which is fucking crazy. That's now, uh, I think, six ninety nine. So I don't know what the fuck's going on, but we, we're looking at massive increases. It reminded me of 2008. I remember in 2008 going to the grocery store and seeing the increase at like such an insane level of everything. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? That's what it reminded me of. And I guess the significance of this is it's supposed to be going down according to the whores in the media. Oh, everything's better now. Inflation is down. Bullshit. Now, I don't know if that's happening in your area. Maybe there's something going on just in my area or with the particular products that I buy. But that's fucking seven fifty for goddamn peanut butter. What the fuck? That's crazy. That's fucking crazy. So anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it'll go down next week. Probably not. Anyway, back to this. Um, the Republicans got played by the Democrats, uh, this guy said. The Republicans went to an auto shop and got their car fixed and walked out with a broken cup holder. The border deal would increase green cards by 50000 a year, work permits for adult children of H-1B holders, immediate work permits to every illegal alien released from custody. That's insane. Taxpayer-funded lawyers to certain UACs and mentally incompetent aliens. Expulsion authority for a limited number of days only if encounters exceed 5,000 a day over a seven-day period. Restricts parole for those who enter without authorization between ports of entry. Now, not everybody is being affected by the, the illegals yet. Um, but I think more and more towns are going to wake up one day with a bunch of fucking illegals dropped at their doorstep, like this one in Wisconsin, for example. Or last night, Salty Cracker was talking about, I believe, New York. And he made a very good point about how this is going to escalate. And I hope he's wrong, but I think this is exactly how it's going to escalate. So I think it's like Brooklyn. Have you heard this story? I, I remember reading about this too. So they dropped off a bunch of Zerg in, in New York, okay, New York City. So what they're doing right now is they're knocking on people's doors, 
and they're holding up a fucking phone because none of them speak English, saying like, give me some shit, please. Could you give me some fucking shit, please? It doesn't say it exactly like that. Can you give me some food? Blah, 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 whatever the fuck. Okay. And he made the point, and, and again, I hope he's wrong, but I don't think he is going to be wrong. Right now, they're asking. They're asking right now. They're, they're asking nicely now, but eventually, and you don't even, you can just look at border towns. Because for whatever reason, they're asking nicely in New York. But in a lot of these border towns, these motherfuckers, they just break into your house. They just fucking break in. And so what's going to be knocking on doors is going to probably eventually be kicking in doors and just fucking taking shit. Now, again, I hope he's wrong and I hope I'm wrong. But that's generally how this shit escalates. And, it, and again, you can already look at the precedent that's been set in the border towns that have had to deal with this illegal bullshit for so many years. And it, it wasn't until finally you got Greg Abbott and DeSantis sending, sending illegals into these Democrat cities. And then, then suddenly some of them get red-pilled on it, like uh, AIDS commie Mayor Adams. He's like, oh, this could destroy us. Yeah, you fucking morons. Of course, that's the point. That's why you have to have a border. Resources are not infinite. So... Um, I think any place that has a bunch of Zerg roll up to their to their doorstep could possibly face a scenario like that. And now then you got total chaos. Especially in New York, because you know what'll happen. If you if one of these fucking Zerg breaks into your house and you shoot them, they're probably gonna arrest you. No matter what. I mean it's really it's uh and then also, and I forget who was talking about this, the um the uh Oh, yeah, Elon Musk was talking about it on Twitter, and he had made the point, and I agree, and again, I hope he's wrong, but I think I think this is, I mean, it's already happened. He said, because there was the school, right? They took the kids out of their own school, made them do a remote learning so they could put the Zerg in the school. So these kids can't go to school because it's infested with Zerg, okay? So now... Um, in Massachusetts, and there was a press conference, actually someone submitted this last stream, there was a press conference from a while ago where they're calling upon people to put illegals in their homes. And, and then the question is, well, when is that going to become either mandatory? This is the thing, AIDS commies, they don't generally make something mandatory. They, they do it in kind of a real like faggy, underhanded way where it's definite coercion, but it gives them plausible deniability so they can say, oh, we're not doing that. You know, like with, with the vaccine mandate. Well, it's not a mandate. So it makes me wonder, uh, is that what we're going to see? And, and one of the reasons I think we're going to see that is just, is, is this, and it's a simple question. When have you ever seen them relent one time? Have you ever seen them relent? I've never seen them relent. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess that's not true. Like sometimes when they absolutely have to, like with the va vaccine and mass mandates, maybe that is an example. So maybe it's not a never thing, but usually they don't. Usually they don't. So again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope the other commentators that I agree with that are talking about this, I hope, I sincerely hope they're wrong. But um, this is this is just becoming a problem. I already had a guy message, you know, he goes to the um, Home Depot and instead of like the normal like Mexicans there, there's like a bunch of North Africans and they just rolled up and tried to take his shit. Yeah, it's no good. That's no good. But, uh, you know, we'll see. If you see this in your area, let me know. And uh, like I said, I hope I'm wrong. So then we had uh, Rand Paul, based Rand Paul, who said um, there's still a secret 
draft deal. It's a sellout. It's going to continue to allow illegal immigration. It's saying, oh, we'll let 5,000 people come illegally a day. And then after that, we might try to stop the next 5,000 that day, adding it's a complete sellout. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, they, they should be uh, primaried immediately, uh, at the minimum. Democrats have won support from GOP leader Bitch McConnell by threatening to cut off money for Ukraine's war against Russia. The deal is being championed by Tom Tillis, who suggested on January 10th the bill would be popular because it would curb the asylum migration portion of the huge inflow. Bullshit. Tillis did not mention the administration's effort to expand the parole inflow or the H-1B expansion, but he did say, I'm also someone who thinks we should probably legally immigrate each year, another 250,000, half a million more workers than we did already. Yeah, you're in pre-clown world. And I see like Elon Musk making comments like this. Yeah, it's a nice thought. You know, this is not the reality we're in right now. We're just not, this is the old way. This is the old world. You're talking, these are old world talking points. Oh, yes, legal immigration. Yeah, look, you could point to periods of time and people. There have been people that have successfully come into the country and assimilated. That has happened. That is pre-clown world shit. And we're not, we're just not in that space anymore. I'm not saying it's impossible now. I'm just saying we're just, this is not... You have so many fucking people in the country illegally. How can you argue that, oh, we should bring in another 250,000 legally? What are you talking about? Now, if, if he's like after the deportation effort, all right, well, then we'll talk. You know, I'd like to cross that bridge when we get there. When they're like, okay, all the illegals have been deported. Now what? Okay, great. That's something. Let's talk about that at the time. We'll figure that out. But uh, yeah, we're not even close to that. Anyway, whatever. The draft deal is bad for Americans and for the GOP. The deal expands the narrow parole loophole that Biden's improperly using to reshape the nation's labor market by importing roughly a million parole migrants per year. Current law allows an annual inflow of roughly one million non-parole legal immigrants and several hundred thousand temporary visa workers. Also, Biden's massive use of the parole loophole is being challenged in court by state attorneys general. Good for them. I'm glad they're doing that. The deal also would provide work permits to every illegal once they're released from custody. That giveaway would increase competition for jobs nationwide. Just uh, These are such traitors to the American people. Unbelievable. They belong in prison. All of them. Those deals, uh, are, uh, yeah, those deals work permit terms may also override the current laws that require all migrants to be detained until their asylum cases are judged. Biden's deputies are ignoring those laws and instead spend billions of dollars to get migrants into U.S. jobs, not detention centers. The flood of cheap labor would also minimize corporate investment in wealth-generating automation and so reduce average productivity nationwide. The flood would also be absorbed by employers in high-wage coastal cities, minimizing job creation in the heartland states. The deal would also have Americans pay lawyers to help more illegal migrants youth grab shares of the American citizenship birthright. The giveaway would likely help the cartel-allied labor traffickers recruit many more poor foreign youths to work dangerous jobs in the U.S. The claim deal also expands the migration incentive for low-wage Indian graduates to take Fortune 500 white-collar jobs from U.S. graduates via the H-1B visa worker program. The extra incentive is the award 
of work permit, permits to their adult children. So allowing the adult children to stay in the U.S. where they can compete for jobs and housing that would otherwise go to young American graduates. The population of every adult uh, children is huge because roughly 400,000 competing Indians have competitively jammed themselves into multi-year waiting lists for green cards. The Indians are the largest national group in the various visa worker programs. The programs allow the Fortune 500 and their subsidiaries to keep a workforce of roughly 2 million foreign contract workers in professional class uh, jobs around the nation. Well, they, don't worry. The Indians are going to be fine because uh, Owen Benjamin, he's really, I tell you, if I had an administration, I would make Owen Benjamin my ambassador to India. And if you know what's going on with that, that there you go. That's uh, <laughs> would be... He would be a great ambassador to India. He really knows how to talk to the Indians. The foreign managers uh, in the imported workforce quietly sell jobs to people in their ethnic networks by first excluding many Americans from a wide variety of professional careers. The non-immigrant workforce also allows C-suite executives to shrivel the workplace status of U.S. professionals, including journalists and their children, and to corral technology innovation. The leak says the deal will also award an extra 50,000 green cards. Those cards would likely be used to help recruit more foreign graduates for the Fortune 500 workforce. Those extra green cards would be a valuable recruiting tool for Fortune 500 managers because they can be converted into huge government-granted workplace bonuses of citizenship. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, yeah. We'll see, but um, they are absolutely goddamn traitors, the GOP. And as I've said before, the Republicans, what they do, what their job is, is to hold our heads still while the Democrats sharpen their their swords to to get ready to cut them off. That's what they do. Absolute fucking traitors. Give me me 30 seconds here. Okay, let's go to the next one here. Um, (laughs) Just nonstop gaslighting from the Biden regime. Biden says the southern border is not in crisis as illegal crossings surge. Joe Biden told reporters on Saturday that there was no crisis at the southern border. He decided to go the David Pakman route. Um, Whatever is happening that's completely obvious, David says, well, that's not happening. It doesn't exist. Could someone show me one piece of evidence that it exists? And then, of course, people do. And then he says, unless you could show me a piece of evidence that's as powerful as the president. Um, As he was leaving for Camp David, Biden was asked by Fox News reporter Lucas Tomlinson whether he considered there to be a crisis at the southern border. So I guess in the Pacman example, he'd say, well, unless you can show me an illegal immigrant that's the president of the United States, then the crisis is not happening. Biden responded by saying there was no crisis at the border. And then he says, I've been pushing my Republican colleagues since they got in office. I think we have to make major changes to the border. Republicans ripped into Biden 
for his comments. Ron Johnson said, Biden, the architect of the open border crisis, is also delusional if he believes Republicans have not been willing to secure it. The truth is, he is the most dishonest, corrupt, and incompetent president in American history. That's true. And he fucked his daughter. Anyway, since uh, Biden took office, over 6.7 million illegals have crossed our southern border. This was Troy Nell's. This is a crisis at the southern border, and it's at the hands of the White House and the Democrat Party. Then you have uh, Tom Emmer says, ridiculous. There is a crisis at the border, and it's of Joe Biden's making. House Republicans passed the strongest border security legislation in decades nearly a year ago. He has ignored it. And then it goes into the record-breaking numbers that Border Patrol is reporting in regards to encounters and the rest of this shit. Just fucking crazy. Um, This is interesting. The Texas National Guard just seized control of Eagle Pass from the federal government. It's like a modern-day showdown at the OK Corral, but this time it's in Eagle Pass, Texas. The face-off is between the Texas National Guard and the Biden regime. Thanks to a fully fed-up Governor Greg Abbott, Texas is now taking control of Biden's new voter invasion-based revolver. Good, Good opener there. As it stands now, the Border Patrol Union has officially confirmed that their agents are being blocked by the Texas National Guard, and the union is actually praising Abbott for seizing control. In addition, the mayor of Eagle Pass has revealed that he too was made aware of the plans to take control of the city. Everyone appears to be in agreement except for the Biden regime, which will likely challenge this in a court quicker than you could hear about a new Trump indictment. Um, The report is creating quite a stir online. Conservatives are thrilled to see Republican lawmakers taking decisive action to protect the nation, uphold the Constitution, and look out for actual U.S. citizens who are always lost and forgotten in the shuffle. Yeah, it's about fucking time. Holy shit. How long did it take them? Governor Abbott is acting in accordance with what the majority of Americans want across the nation. There is a growing frustration with the current border policies under the Biden regime. More states should consider adopting this move until it becomes crystal clear to illegals that they are not wanted or welcome and should go back home. Furthermore, those who are here illegally need to go back. Yeah, all of them. You have to go back. You have to go back. This is... I don't know if anything's going to come of this. Probably not, but it is interesting. You got Jim Jordan starting an investigation into Ass Willis, uh, or actually one of the prosecutors. So this is another guy who who's fucking Ass Willis. Um, Jim Jordan is investigating special prosecutor Nathan Wade, the lawyer who's been working on the Georgia RICO case against Donald Trump over his ties to the White House and the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. Jordan is asking for documentation for any communications between Wade and the Fulton County DA's office, the Department of Justice, and the White House. Jordan said he believed that Wade has information on coordination of the Fulton County District Attorney's Office with other politically motivated investigations and prosecutions and the potential misuse of federal funds. Wade has been accused of having an improper relationship with Fulton County District Attorney S. Willis. The committee has serious concerns about the degree of improper coordination among politicized actors, including the Biden White House, to investigate and prosecute Joe Biden's chief political opponent, Jordan said in a letter. The letter cited a recent court filing from one of Trump's co-defendants who said that Wade has been paid over 650000 from Fulton County at the same time as he was going on luxurious vacations with ass with whom he is an alleged in a romantic relationship. 
can you imagine? I mean, I know it's a lot of money, but oh, how can you imagine having to fuck that fat pig? Could you imagine that? Oh, man. I mean, it's a lot of money, and that's probably why he's doing it. But man, he's got to be. How do you do? That's a hell of a thing right there. Oh, can you imagine having it? What a prostitute this guy is. Holy shit. According to Jordan, Wade has also met with Democrats several times in Washington, D.C., including meetings with the Democrat-run January 6th committee and at the White House prior to the launch of the Georgia election case against Trump. Jordan also noted that there was a possibility that funds from Biden's DOJ were being used to prosecute Trump in Georgia. The Judiciary Committee is asking for all relevant documents, including from the meetings on January 26th, S was subpoenaed this week in the divorce case between Wade and his wife, Jocelyn. The Wades initially filed for divorce in November 2021. The subpoenas was reportedly delivered by process server mere hours before the Trump campaign official Michael Roman, who's a co-defendant in the RICO case, filed a motion alleging misconduct by Ass and Wade in part for their improper clandestine personal relationship during the, uh, during the case. Yeah, well, good. Hopefully something comes of this, but a lot of times Democrats get away with it. But, you know, you got to at least try. Oh, that's a hell of a thing. Now we got this one. Illinois Citizens Group file a formal complaint with Illinois State Board of Elections. Lost votes, ghost votes, over 4 million possible registration violations. Voters shocked to see ballots have been cast in their name for years. Guys, it's only 4 million. Come on. <laughs> it's only 4 million. There's no widespread so so they changed what what was the the game they played when they, they when they changed it they were like uh they were like um there's no voter fraud and then there was a fuck ton of voter fraud and there was and, oh yeah there is no widespread voter fraud that affected the outcome of the election and that's bullshit too but it's funny how they moved the goalposts even tim pool uh, it's unfortunate he did, he's gotten a lot right tim pool but the election and the vaccine, not good, not good. Very wrong about both of those. A couple from Illinois, Jody and Ken Zitka, have formed a group of concerned citizens who have been analyzing the Illinois state voter database. I would not be surprised if the Biden regime arrests them. If you're going to find out that the Zitkos have a, uh, have a little uh, raid by the FBI happen to them. They've found serious irregularities detailed in a formal complaint filed with Bernadette Matthews, director of the Illinois State Board of Elections on December 21st. Here's some of the findings from the almost 2,000 hours of analysis. There were over 300,000 votes from the 2020 election missing or deleted from the Illinois voter data prior to the conclusion of the federal retention period of 22 months. They did this in Georgia. Not surprising. They're doing it somewhere else. Over a four-year period, Illinois population decreased by 150,000, while the voter roll increased by 650,000. That's normal. Don't worry about that. Over 2.5 million people had votes cast prior to their registration dates. More than 230,000 registrations show seemingly illegal or illogical registration dates. There are more than 4 million apparent registration violations out of 8.9 million registrations. Guys, it's only like half. <laughs> only half of the registrations are possibly illegal. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Just half. This couple is not your ordinary pair of election sleuths. Ken has been an MSSQL data analyst 
DBA and architect for 28 years, working with Fortune 500 companies. And Jody has been working with people, data, and analytics since the mid-90s in large enterprise environments. She's a subject matter expert in integrated workplace management systems. They were able to view a copy of the Illinois State Board of Elections voter roll while working for a candidate for the U.S. Senate. The couple also did an informal study of Illinois voting history, which began when they decided to check their own records. They were shocked to find that their history showed votes cast in three midterm elections when they had never voted in a midterm election. Ah, don't worry about That's not a consistent thing that we're seeing in all of the states that the Democrats cheat. That didn't happen a fuck ton in Arizona. Nothing to see here. Stop being a conspiracy theorist, white supremacist. Ken did vote in the 2008 presidential election, but there was no indication of a vote. From April through June 2022, they were able to meet and sit down with over 1,300 Illinois residents across the state and with their consent, reviewed their 20-year voting histories. They uncovered over 57% irregularities, including votes cast when the voter did not vote, votes missing when they did vote. Gee, I wonder... I wonder which ones were missing. Ah, that's a mystery. That's a big mystery. I doubt that they favored one party or the other. Come on. Voters registered and voting at addresses where they did not live. Registrations with illogical registration dates. Most shocking of all, 11% of the voters they interviewed had votes cast in their names for elections that they did not participate in. Jody explained how voters reacted to seeing obvious errors in their personal voting data. It was a fairly emotionally draining experience. As reality set in, a number of people visibly trembled. A few shed a tear or two. Look, I understand you're, you're learning that everything that you've been told in your life is a lie. And, you know, sometimes you go through that multiple times. I've been through that multiple times now. And, uh, yeah, this whole system of, e of elections and democracy, yeah, there's a lot of cheating. It's not what they say it is. It's, uh, it's, it's, there's rampant cheating. And now, apparently, if you have a problem with the cheating or if you don't agree with the cheating, you might get arrested. Oh, that's fair. That's normal. I recall one particular individual young man in his early 30s. When we asked if he wanted his history report, he insisted he didn't need to see it because he knew his history. After watching several others receive their reports with shocking results, he finally asked to see his. In his case, he had a missing vote from 2020. He was so enraged, he turned beet red, stood there for about 30 minutes, repeatedly shaking his head in disbelief. I think he said an expletive or two. Yeah, well, that's, that's fine. Cursing is very therapeutic. In July of 2022, they learned about the New York Citizens Audit, a similar group. I think, yeah, I, I believe the, the people behind this have gone on the Quite Frankly show multiple times. I, uh, Mary Hornick, I think. I, I, I might have the wrong person. Um, look, all of these people, good for them. I'm glad they're doing this. <laughs> the Biden regime is probably going to put them in jail. But you got you to gotta try. You got to try. So good for these people. They connected with NYCA CEO Marley, uh, Marley Hornick. Marley, not Mary, sorry. Marley Hornick and her data team. In the late spring of 2023, they joined with the New York organization and spent an additional 2,500 hours researching Illinois data. Since then, Hornick has formed a national group, United Sovereign Americans, and is working with more than 25 other states on election validity. The Illinois team 
has been making presentations of their data to towns and county election boards across the state asking elected officials to sign their resolution. They also plan to file a federal lawsuit. The Illinois chapter of United Sovereign Americans is looking for volunteers in every county of of the state who want to get involved with fixing our elections. The video shows one voter who says that she's never voted in a midterm or primary in complete shock as she learns that ballots have been cast in her name for years. Look, you've seen this. This First of all, this happens everywhere. This is what Democrats do. This is no different than when James O'Keefe was digging through the donation records and found that over and over again, he would talk to people and he would say, hey, did you donate all of these different times to Democrats and Act Blue? And they were like, no, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So they said, the first election I ever voted in was Trump's. I've never voted in a midterm ever. I've never voted in a primary ever. First time I got involved in politics was President Trump. That's my first presidential election. I've never voted in a midterm. I've never voted in another presidential election. This is all a lie. I'm so upset. Yeah, they're raping you. They're fucking raping. They're raping all of us. They're fucking us all in the ass. Additionally, a report from the United Sovereign Americans alleged that 27,491 more votes were counted in the database than cast in Illinois. That's Don't, don't, don't worry about that. That's fine. Don't worry. It's normal. No widespread evidence at all. Um, in the, the 2022 general election, and the records contain a 38% error rate in voter registration totals and a 14% error rate in vote totals for surpassing the legal standards of errors, what it's supposed to be, which is 0.0008%. And instead, it's 14%. I believe high error rate was also in the Antrim County report. That was also the report that showed vote flipping. There is vote flipping. The machines do flip votes. And of course, that's all ignored. Um, The measured error rate of the electoral process in Illinois from registration through certification makes it impossible to legally certify any election in Illinois, the report states. And then what they'll do is if you are doing your job, like if you're being a fucking patriot and you take this shit seriously and it's your job and you're called upon to vote whether or not to certify and you vote not to certify, which is the 100% correct thing to do if this is what plays out where you are, they will try to arrest you or argue, as it's been argued in the corporate media, that somehow it's breaking the law by voting to not certify, which makes no sense. You're telling me that the officials are, they have a gun to their head? I mean, they do have a Democrat gun to their head, but that you're actually going to sell this like in reality, like if a person votes, or they've also argued this with some of the Republicans that that vote to object to some of the states, and they pretend it's illegal. If it's illegal, why is it part of the process? That doesn't make, that would be like if part of the process was like, okay, today we're going to get together and we're going to decide you can vote to either certify or you can vote to rob a bank or you can vote to rape some horse. Now, I will tell you, if you vote for B and C, bank robbery or whore raping, you will be charged criminally. But you can vote for it if you want. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Obviously, they're not going to have people as part of the process 
voting a certain way being illegal. That's ridiculous. And also, it makes no sense, like when they talk about the, the quote-unquote fake electors, which is a made-up term. Rachel Maddow is the one that brought that to prominence. No one was talking about fake electors um, before January 6th when they were writing article after article about all the different ways Donald Trump could legally challenge the election. No one brought up fake electors. That's totally made up. But anyway... Um, the, the idea that all these fake electors, they forge documents. Oh, okay, well, then what would happen? Well, then what would happen is that the House would then vote on the forged documents. Really? The House would say, hey, we're, we're now going to we're now going to vote upon this illegal act? That doesn't make any goddamn sense. But anyway, this is what they do. So, good for the Gateway Pundit. Um, you know, this will be ignored. I imagine this will be ignored, and you'll continue to be gaslit that... No evidence at all. No evidence of widespread voter fraud that affected the outcome of the election. Just preposterous. Yeah, this is fucking crazy. Former T-Mobile agent confirms that the company's censorship of the Gateway Pundit, including eliminating TGP links in text messages to wireless users. In early January 2022, the Gateway Pundit learned that the tech giants were using a frightening new method to censor and control what Americans can see, read, and discuss online. T-Mobile was blocking the Gateway Pundit website links. You could not send any articles from the Gateway Pundit using T-Mobile. The text would not show on the receiver's end. Your friends and family would not even know that you sent them a Gateway Pundit article. T-Mobile is an American wireless network operator. It's one of the largest. Dozens of our readers sent us proof that this was happening. The Gateway Pundit was one of the top 250 websites in the country uh, in 2021. We had over 900 million page visits in 2021. We had 929 million page vis visits in 2023. The Gateway Pundit continually offers breaking news. And our reporting is second to none. As the mainstream media continues to shovel out their bullshit and lies and refuses to report the truth on important issues, the Gateway Pundit continues to grow. Um, because of this, the American left hates us and will do everything possible to destroy us or impede access to our website. One of our readers reached out to T-Mobile through chat support and was sent a link to a Reuters article discussing an FCC decision on censoring text. The decision was actually meant to stop robo-texts and spam messages, not individual texts from reputable websites. The customer service representative admitted that the carrier had been censoring websites via the transmission of text messages. This is a new tactic of censorship used by the left. They're now eliminating conservative articles and text messages. This is a Marxist tactic used in communist regimes, not America. At least it used to be that way. In January 2022, we sent a letter to the Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who is now a sitting U.S. Senator, and filed a complaint. They demanded the AG investigate the matter. The letter was sent to all five of the Missouri Attorney General's offices in January 2022. On Monday, February 14, 2022, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt informed T-Mobile that an investigation has been launched in Missouri against T-Mobile following their censorship of conservative viewpoints and the violation of their WebGuard software. The Attorney General's office later got back with our attorney. They received a response from T-Mobile. T-Mobile admitted that users sharing links to the Gateway Pundit articles were blocked. 
T-Mobile insisted this was due to a glitch in the spam filters. Bull fucking shit. For the record, our websites were not even mentioned in the Missouri AG's letter to T-Mobile. They knew what they were doing. T-Mobile claims that they've corrected the problem and that users should not have a problem using links in the future. What a bunch of bitches. Recently, former T-Mobile agent Mark Palascanio launched a Substack page and started posting on the current far-left trajectory of the mobile wireless network. He describes himself uh, as a refugee from T-Mobile. I'm exposing T-Mobile, DEI, ESG, grifters, and whatever else is destroying America through lies and manipulation. It's so, it's just so wild how similar this is to the cult shit. Because I remember... And it wasn't just Jehovah. It's any cult. Because, you know, when, when I left the JWs, I started researching other cults and I would read other forums, you know, uh, Scientology. Uh, there were some business cults out there. And I would read some of the books from some of the former members. And what they all have in common uh, is that, like, on the Internet, there will be new people who were in the cult sometimes in high positions, sometimes in middle positions, who will come out and start talking about the, either their experience or they'll write a book or they'll post on an internet forum. And, and that's one thing, because, you know, cults are kooky and they're like religious cults and they're fucking crazy. And it's, this is not that. This is like real life mainstream shit. This is not Scientology and Xenu. It's fucking T-Mobile. It's T-Mobile. And, and by the way, what's so crazy about this is you could have, this guy's calling himself a refugee from T-Mobile. You could have a person do this from almost every facet of corporate society. Whether they work for the NBA, whether they work for Verizon, whether they work for Comcast. The commies have infested uh, uh, corporate America with their aids at such a level that I, I do wonder if it's even something that can be turned around. I hope so. I mean, you can argue it's starting to be turned around. There is action happening. There's a lot of DEI layoffs happening. So it's possible we turn this around. But it's just wild to come out of a cult and to be like, man, I was fucked up. I'm glad I'm not in that cult anymore. And you feel you feel good and you're all like freed up and you're like, that's great. But then you realize, oh, uh, there's an even bigger fucking cult. And uh, so now, you know, and this one is like, like what do you, you know, you can leave, this is the problem. Can you leave this cult? I don't think you can leave this cult because this cult controls everything. Whereas in the Jehovah's Witnesses, you leave the Jehovah's Witnesses and that's it. Now some, you know, if you leave Scientology, maybe they'll fuck with you and they have those people that come to your house. JWs don't really do that as much. But this is like, you, can you really, you can't really leave because it's the government and it's everything. And it's like, it's, the NHL, someone was like, oh, I tried to watch an NHL game and all I saw was like faggot flags and masks and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's like a cult took over modern society. And uh, and so you don't escape from a cult like that. You have to defeat the cult. You have to like, you know, like I don't I've never I mean, I've certainly said, hey, I think the leaders of Jehovah's Witnesses, not the members, but the leaders, the governing body, I think they absolutely should be arrested and put in prison, but not the not the members. But I don't I'm not really affected anymore by the JWs. I'm completely out. So there's no real I don't really have a desire to defeat the leadership of the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, it's just kind of whatever because they're not affecting me. But this shit's affecting all of us. 
at a level that, you know, we've never experienced before until COVID, where you couldn't get away from this shit. You know, you do you do a commentary or you read the Internet before COVID about like Trump, Russia. You could get away from that if you wanted to. You could just kind of like unplug from that. You couldn't unplug from COVID because that shit was everywhere. And people being affected by the COVID propaganda, they were everywhere. It's, uh, it's a hell of a thing. So I don't know. It's just, uh, it's a total mindfuck. It's like you, you leave one cult and then you realize, well, now I'm in a bigger cult and I don't know if we can escape this one. Like we're in the process. We're all in the process. This is so wild. We're almost all in the process of escaping this cult together. And we're going to see. We might not escape because like, you know, if they if they win and they take over and all of their policies are forced down everyone's throats, they they go. Now you can kind of like if you if you like check out and you go into like the woods or something, maybe you can escape for a period of time before they come and hunt you down. But uh, man, that is uh, what a concept. Normally, you should be able to control whether or not you escape, but we're kind of not really. Are we in control? I don't know. It's a it's a mind fuck. It's a total mind fuck. Anyway. Um, so this guy is, uh, he, so he's a whistleblower, or he's just telling the truth about what happened at T-Mobile. And then he sent a Twitter post to Gateway Pundit. He says, here's a legitimate story about T-Mobile censoring text messages. They censored links from the Gateway Pundit, and then they covered it up with this bullshit lie. I experienced the censorship firsthand, too. Mark notes that T-Mobile censored links by the Gateway Pundit on the COVID vaccine, which is not surprising. Yeah, man. That's uh, that's a hell of a thing. So good on this guy. Good on anyone who blows the whistle. And uh, hopefully we see more and more people do that. But that's uh, completely wild. Completely wild. Um, this is... Uh, so on Facebook, if, if you, you know, if you just... Let's say you don't find trannies attractive. And you're like, uh, like someone will, let's, let's say you post and, and something truthful about Rachel Levine, you know, Big Dick Levine. You say, that's a man. That's all. If you just say, hey, that's a man. You'll get censored. You'll get censored on, on Facebook. You for sure couldn't have an advertising campaign to say, hey, that's a man. You know, if that was your advertising campaign, not allowed to do that. But you know what you're allowed to do on Facebook? You're allowed, if you're a cartel member, you're allowed to advertise human smuggling services. Amazing. Amazing. Um, on Friday, former acting director uh, or former DNI, Richard Grinnell, revealed that Facebook is not stopping Guatemalan coyotes from advertising their services to bring illegals to the United States. In a post on Twitter, Grinnell said, I've learned in Guatemala that coyotes are openly advertising on Facebook. Three tries to get to the United States for $10,000. Biden and Zuckerberg don't care. Grinnell was in Guatemala to meet with the Guatemalan president, Alejandro Gatamati, who they discussed ways to help stem the flow of illegals uh, into the U.S., Vice President Cunt Mala Harris, you got to get the name right, otherwise you're a racist, has been tasked with the job of figuring out the root causes of migration in the Northern Triangle countries. In a separate post, Grinnell said the Biden regime is using the State Department to intimidate Guatemalans from criticizing AIDS commie left-wing policies. He noted what the Biden team is doing to conservatives in America is exactly what they're doing overseas through the State Department. 
it's un-American and it may be illegal. Social media has been a place for cartels to advertise their services for a while. In July, investigative journalist Taylor Hansen revealed that smugglers were using TikTok to recruit drivers. One of the posts had a video that showed the process of getting past border control, the discussion during the operation, and then the payments afterward. The video has words over a screen and read, I need drivers based in Texas, only serious inquiries, good pay, 10 to 20,000 USD in three hours. Houston, Texas, and all these different places in Texas. DM is if interested. Holy shit. Um, TikTok labeled the video with a warning that said participating in this activity could result in you or others getting hurt. Platforms owned by Facebook have had a history of being used for human smuggling and trafficking operations in 2001. The issue got so bad that Apple threatened to take Facebook off the App Store. That was that was in the before time when Apple gave a fuck about that. Now you could probably do that all you wanted, especially under the guise of either illegal immigration or LGBTQ rights. So uh, crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, what's this next one? Okay, so this is a bizarre story. I would say, of course, given this is the post-millennial, take this uh, with a huge grain of salt, anything related to Israel, obviously. Uh, this is at least what they're claiming. And I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know. I just think it's a bizarre story that it seems to just, it's just, could the meme makers write a more perfect story? I don't know. Brooklyn Synagogue shut down after extremist Jewish teens hired migrants to dig tunnels beneath the property. Oh, got to watch out for those extremist Jewish teens. Got to watch out for them, man. Jewish teens in the Brooklyn Chabad Synagogue tunnels controversy had reportedly hired migrants to dig the tunnel. The synagogue has been forced to shut down as a result. Students at the Orthodox Hasidic Synagogue reportedly hired migrant workers to help build the tunnel that was discovered earlier this week. Ethan Kalamowitz told the outlet, You've seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption. That's what these young men did at first. They dug and put the dirt in their pockets. Really? Is that what they did? Mm, okay. Kamowitz, a member of the Luba Vitcher community in Crown Heights, went on to describe the workers uh, that the teens hired as Mexicans. The, Me the Mexicans lived in the building for three weeks during the work. They slept and ate there because it was a secret operation. Oh, is that what? So, oh, I see. So the Mexicans, that's why there's the bloody mattress, because obviously eating Mexican food gives you bloody diarrhea, and there's the explanation for you right there. Someone tell Tim Pool, he'll call it based. Anyway. The um, building officials left a uh, vacate order on the door of the synagogue for safety concerns about the structure of the building and issued a statement saying, as a result of this extensive investigation, we've issued emergency work orders to stabilize the buildings above the tunnel, vacate orders in part of the buildings to ensure occupant safety and enforcement actions against the property owners for the illegal work. We will continue to monitor the progress of this emergency stabilization work and if necessary, we are ready to take additional actions that may be required in the interest of public safety. Apparent plans to expand the building space has been slow, so the young men took matters in their, their own hands and started digging the tunnels. 
Rabbi Modi Shelgason, a spokesman for the Chabad Lubavitch, said in a statement that some time ago, a group of extremist students broke through a few walls in adjacent properties to the synagogue to provide them unauthorized access. Two violations have come down from government officials to the building owners for the unpermitted project. Nine men, ranging in age from 19 to 21, were arrested for criminal mischief and reckless endangerment in connection to the tunnels. Oh, okay. Well, look, the rabbi says this was extremist teens on their own for no reason at all that decided to do this. My thing about this is the narrative is shifting constantly, which usually indicates a lie is happening. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know what the fuck is happening here, but I was first told that this was so they had to, so they could go to the synagogue during COVID. And uh, Tim Poole put that one out and called it based. And and if that's true, then, that, then fine. Okay, you know, the government's oppressing you and not allowing you to to worship. I would have no problems if Christians did the same thing. But then that was quickly changed to, well, they dug them within the last six months. Well, the COVID stuff has been over for the last six months. Then I was like, you built, you, you did all these tunnels? Uh, I mean, maybe there's something I'm not understanding, but I saw videos and they, there seems to be extensive tunnels, like crazy. And it's like, uh, you did all that in six months? Okay. I didn't know. Was Dig Dug a Jewish rabbi? Maybe, you know, go down there and pump up the rats with the with the air pump device that he used i don't know what the hell's going on there anyway um and but now we're being told it is a it was teens jewish extremist teens acting on their own initiative interesting okay well you know i don't know i don't know why these two rebellious teens decided to just dig tunnels so uh hopefully there'll be some sort of uh solving the mystery but uh it's really it's a hell of a thing i i don't know what the hell to believe honestly i don't know anything just no idea all right let's talk about lunatic trannies and how the who is having these predators come up with child rearing rules oh my god what the fuck the united nations healthcare agency the world health organization has been given tranny activists a majority of the seats in a panel that is drafting health care policies for children. One of the supposed experts displays a be gay, do crimes tattoo. 11 members of the WHO's 21-member panel have no formal medical training. Seven are trannies, and just 10 have a medical background. One of them is reportedly a controversial Canadian tranny activist who has a strong influence on TikTok and says puberty blockers should be prescribed to all children regardless of their gender identity. So they can choose their gender rather than be assigned one by society. So again, uh, you have predators who are publicly advocating for absolute insanity who the WHO is like, oh yeah, you want to give every child mandatory puberty blockers? Why don't we put you on a panel? Another of the WHO's committee members says that transitioning causes no health problems. Oh, he's going the David Pakman route. No evidence at all. No health problems and claims the only actual side effects of getting a sex change are a significantly improved quality of life and trans joy. So obviously a blatant lie. Uh, 
I think that there are plenty of people that have had these surgeries that would not agree with this, especially the ones that complain that all they do is smell the stench of shit and they didn't know that this was going to be more of a wound instead of an actual vagina. They were sold a vagina and they got a shit-stinking wound, okay? Now, you could say, oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, it is disgusting. And it's horrible to trick people into doing horrible surgeries on themselves. That should be outlawed. It should not be tolerated. It should not be allowed. But again, the WHO says, oh, we're going to put one of these tranny trickers on our panel to make the rules for everyone else. Oh, I'm telling you, at some point, these predators are going to come up with rules on how somehow they're going to argue kids benefit from fucking adults. I'm telling you, they're going to do that. They're going to do that. The rest of the panel members are a mixture of activists, social justice advocates, human rights lawyers, STD researchers, and policy advisors. Another uh, committee member, Ashley, a biological male who identifies as female and goes by the pronouns they, them, that bitch, has a tattoo that reads, be gay, do crimes. Ashley, who has co-written a study that claims puberty blockers and hormone therapies ought to be treated as the default option for children with gender dysphoria, has a significant following on TikTok where he calls for mental health checks on trans children to be scrapped before they are giving puberty blockers and hormone drugs. Ashley reportedly said, and I quote, is there any reason to ask people, gotta get the voice right. You know, you're quoting people, I wanna quote accurately, the tranny, okay? Quote, is there any reason to ask people to go through a lengthy and complex gender assessment in order to access gender-affirming care? Or is it that useless? And should the time best be put in supporting decision-making? And what our article concludes is that there's really no evidence that gender assessments work. It's just a lengthier process for no real reason. Gender assessments are really an unnecessary form of gatekeeping, and trans communities have been opposing for a while. Meanwhile, WHO spokesperson Tariq Jezervic insists the guidelines on tranny issues would focus on adults only, and not the use of hormones, suppressants, and surgeries on children. WHO guidelines are always based on balancing of available evidence. That's a lie. You, you lie about the vaccine. The available evidence is that the vaccine is killing a lot of fucking people. Human rights principles, yeah. Consideration of harms and benefits and inputs of end users and beneficiaries. Again, your stance on the COVID vaccine proves that to be a laughable lie. Nonetheless, some WHO committee members are vocal about their support for letting children, some as young as 13, undergo such medical procedures. Reem Azalim, the United Nations Special Reporter on Violence Against Women, told the Daily Mail that the new WHO panel is too one-sided and she believes the committee contains significant unmanaged conflicts of interest. Stakeholders whose views differ from those held by the tranny activist organizations do not appear to have been invited. Such stakeholders include experts from European public health authorities who have taken the lead on developing, developing an evidence-based and cautious approach to youth gender transitions. Meanwhile, the WHO group will set global guidelines for the way that healthcare workers around the world 
can increase access and utilization of quality and respectful health services by trans and gender diverse people. The WHO panel is made up mostly of social justice and human rights lawyers who believe that gender affirmation approach is the only option, said Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist. They will determine care guidelines for trannies, yet they do not have anyone to represent critical balance uh, on their panel. The gender affirmative approach is presumed by the WHO to be the only way forward and thereby, thereby dismisses conventional psychotherapy. This is a narrow-minded and heavily biased approach. The WHO are, making, uh, WHO are making a grave mistake. They should pause the process and consult with the many professionals who hold different approaches. Well, not only should they do that, obviously you have to remove all of the mentally ill people on the panel. You cannot possibly have mentally ill lunatics on a panel that's supposed to set up guidelines for fucking children. Are you kidding me? Oh, it's just... Uh for, for, well, actually, I should go back. For, for children, just using fucking as a, as a, as a emphasis, not talking about actually fucking children. Although I'm telling you, eventually, they are going to do that. Some of them already have. There already are, um, um, academics who have publicly said, there's Zoom calls, we went over this before, where they talk about how it benefits the children when adults fuck them. So they're going to do that. These people are insane. Anyway, here's, here's arguably the greatest sheriff in the country. Up to it again. You might re remember, uh, I think last stream, I was like, hey, who's that guy, the Polk County Sheriff? He's always busting pedophiles. And now, lo and behold, he's busting more pedophiles. Cops arrest a teacher, a youth church leader, and a coach for separate alleged sex crimes against uh, children. Authorities arrested a teacher, a young church leader, and a basketball coach for separate alleged sex crimes against dependents and minors in central Florida's Polk County, according to the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Um, Brandon Adams of Lakeland was arrested January 4th for having consensual sex with one of his students who lived with his family. Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd said at a press conference the girl was 18 when she allegedly began living with Adams in June of 2021. It was allegedly having sex with him during her senior high school year. The Polk County Public Schools had placed Adams on leave in November over a separate incident that the school system's investigating. The sheriff said, once again, we have a school teacher in a position of authority over a student and is engaged with sex with the student. Uh, he was booked into jail and then released. Richard Shaw, 69, a worship and youth uh, leader, church leader from Fremont County, Wyoming, was arrested January 4th in Riverton, Wyoming, for alleged lewd molestation of a child during a nine-day Christmas visit to Polk County, according to another PSCO statement. Shaw admitted to touching the child, aged under 12, underneath and over her clothing during a phone call the child's mother made to him. He had allegedly molested at least one other child in the past and said he could not be trusted with children, the sheriff revealed. Shaw would be extradited to Polk County, where he's facing charges in Wyoming. Skylar Reedy, 20, of Fort Meade, was arrested for an alleged inappropriate relationship and threatening communication toward a student in a high school where he was a basketball coach. According to another statement from the sheriff's office, Reddy was allegedly dating the student while he was a student at the school before becoming a basketball coach while being a basketball player at Warner University. He allegedly sent the 17-year-old girl sexually explicit messages and threatened to kill her if she had sex with anyone else. Sheriff Judd said he's also in an authority position at the school even though not long ago he was a student 
with this person and dating this person, the sheriff judge said. They terminated, the school terminated him following his arrest. So there we go. So uh, Grady Judd, taking care of business. Good for him. Um, this is this is a brutal story. This is a brutal story. Seven men allegedly gang-raped toddlers at a mall in Texas. A 29-year-old man is in federal custody after the FBI found videos uh, on the dark web that allegedly showed multiple men sexually assaulting toddlers at the Galleria Mall in Houston, the largest mall in the state. Author Hector Fernandez, who worked at the mall, was taken into custody late last month after the Australian Center for Counter-Child Exploitation contacted the FBI in early December to report that they had discovered disturbing videos of child sexual abuse posted in a private forum on the dark web. Fernandez abused one of the young children in a public restroom, authorities said. He allegedly had access to the child because he was friends with her mother and also worked at the mall and she would leave her daughter with him sometimes. The judge says the evidence in the case is overwhelming and revolting. Well, that means you should take them to the Russian woods. I think you got to go Russian woods on this one. I cannot allow him to abuse any other minors, and there are no conditions or a combination of conditions that can alleviate a danger to the community. This is not a close call. Well, the good news about the Russian woods is that they're magical. There's like a magical force working in the Russian woods. Apparently, if you yell enough at a pedophile while forcing him to dig his own grave, he will eventually stab himself to death. That's a hell of a thing. Some of you will remember that story that's based on a story that happened in a Russian woods where you had this based fucking Russian who was hanging out with his quote-unquote friend, found the based Russian, found video of his friend um, having sex with his six-year-old. So the based Russian took his pedophile friend into the Russian woods forced him, apparently, to dig his own grave, and then the pedophile stabbed himself to death. Now, what happened here is initially the Russian authorities indicted the based Russian for murder, which obviously is preposterous. That's obviously preposterous. He did nothing wrong. And then apparently, see, unlike in America... Now, now I, actually, let, let, me, let me rephrase that, because there are plenty of places, there are plenty of towns in America that I do think would do the same thing here. So it's not just a based Russian town. There are towns in America still that would do the same thing. The town was outraged by the indictment, and they, were, and they came and they rallied in support of the based Russian. And, and then the authorities relented. They still charged him with some bullshit, but I think ultimately he avoided a murder charge, and I think he avoided jail, or he had a minimal jail sentence. And uh, so it's a, a somewhat good ending to the story. Not the perfect ending of the story. The perfect ending is no jail time and a statue. Um, you got to build statues to the people that are making good commies and good pedophiles. I think uh, you have to absolutely build statues. If the, if the only good commie is a dead commie, obviously the only good pedophile is a dead pedophile. So I think it's the same thing, same principle. And uh, that's why I hope one day we can build a glorious, good commie statue garden. And at, at the front of the garden, of course, you're going to have the fucking king of making good commies, Raphael Ganowitz. Uh, he's, he's the number one statue. And then you're going to have, pick whoever. You want to put in Rittenhouse, 
whoever. You can make submissions and we'll have a glorious garden of statues. That'll be the shit. And then maybe we'll have a complicated wing. We'll have the Tim Pool, it's complicated, and we'll put Pinochet in that wing. You know, it's kind of complicated, you know. He's kind of harsh, but, eh, you know, it is what it is. Put a little asterisk next to it. This one's kind of, this, this is where it gets complicated. <laughs> anyway, Fox 26 Houston reported that the videos of the sexual assaults of the two small children, aged two and three, involved at least six other men. Oh, my God, you've got to have... You have video of this. This needs to be a quick trial. You have to go execution here after a quick trial. Yeah, you, you have to. How do you? You cannot possibly tolerate this. You cannot tolerate this. Dan Crenshaw responded. He said, "Death penalty now." This is like the rare instance. I agree with Dan Crenshaw. Yeah, if you have them on video, you do a quick trial. Good luck if you're on that jury, because what? What are they? You gonna have to watch it. I don't know how they I guess I don't know how that works. That's got to be. I mean, some people's job, their job is to fucking watch shit like this. I don't know how long they last in that career. You must be burnt out immediately. How do you even fucking Anyway. Yeah, there's people on the dark web like cops that are fucking, you know, I tell you this, I'm very harsh on the FBI. I'm a little pleasantly surprised. I'm surprised they did the busting here. I thought that they would, like, ignore it because we've covered many articles where the FBI ignores, especially if it's minorities doing the pedophilia. They ignore a lot of that shit. They ignore a lot of that. Remember that horrible story? I think the Daily Wire had it about these, uh, these, uh, 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 they were like Hispanic gangsters um, torturing children and uh, the FBI ignored most of it and then they found that they tortured a black girl and they decided to use that as the narrative of like white supremacists but these weren't white whatever you want to fucking call the white supremacists these weren't white supremacists by the way what are the white supremacists well quote unquote if I even believe in the concept what are they doing on the internet from what I've seen and, and I've not seen all of them but if you ask me what are they doing if I, if I accept your framing that they're white supremacists uh, what are they doing on the internet? Well, what I've seen is um, sometimes they'll call people niggers on the internet. And you could argue that's rude. You know, it's a rude thing to do. Mean, you know, however you want to classify that. Not illegal and certainly not within the realm of children torture. And then the other thing they do is like there's like a cooking channel. Have you seen the cooking channel? And uh, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. I forget the name of it, but it's like uh, it's pretty funny. I, I think it's a great idea. And uh, the recipes look good. I haven't done any of the recipes yet, but maybe I will. I forget what it's called. And I think they're even on YouTube. So I'm just pointing out, I'm just pointing out the difference between people who they claim are white supremacists and the people who they protect, the FBI. And like, so they'll, they'll ignore all of this evil, like beyond evil shit. But then if like they can get a narrative against the quote, 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 unquote, white supremacists. They'll be like, oh, look at this. And they're not even the guys that did this to the black girl. They're not white. They're not even white. They don't care. Anyway, I think all crime should be handled the same. Bury all criminals under a jail. And uh, but apparently that's the racist position because you got to suck black people's dicks, apparently, uh, in order to not be a racist. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Anyway, um, but no, back to what I was saying. Yeah, credit. And the why well, I'm not gonna, am I giving credit to the FBI? No, I don't think I'm going to give them credit. But I'm pleasantly surprised that they actually arrested people. Good for them. Because a lot of times it's like the local police doing it, like Grady Judge or whatever his name is. That guy's awesome. 
Anyway, so now we have a CEO of an organization called Children at Risk mentioned potential signs that the parents should look for if their children, if they suspect that their child may have been abused. He says, after they've been out with someone that you thought you trusted, they will withdraw. They'll be more quiet. Look for those changes in your children. Bedridden, not eating, all these things are signs that something's not right with your child. In this case, we're talking about toddlers. They really couldn't communicate. They don't know what's what's right or wrong. Unbelievable story. Um, but, uh, yeah, you got to, I mean... I understand the optics of a public hanging, but I think in this instance, you got to do it. I, I Like I've always said, you just, you have to be right if you're going to do it. If you have video, that's it. You're dead to rights. Uh, and... Um, you know, maybe as AI becomes more advanced, that won't be the case in the future, but that's not where we are right now. And uh, yeah, you got to, uh, you f- should do a Red Dead Redemption, Redemption hanging. Oh man, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on here. Uh, Iowa appeals judge uh, decision to block law, se- uh, th- th- keeping sexually explicit books out of school. So the pedophiles, they want to put as much pedophilia propaganda in the schools as possible. It's crazy. And the Democrats, of course, will uh, defend them. Iowa appealed on Friday a federal judge's ruling blocking a statute intended to keep sexually explicit books out of schools and prevent elementary school students from being taught gender ideology in the classroom. The appeal uh, to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit comes after federal judge Stephen Loker ruled against the law last month, calling it unreasonable and puritanical. So according to this pedophile judge, he might be a pedophile or he might be pedophile adjacent. I don't give a fuck what it is. It's puritanical to not want to expose children to sexually explicit propaganda. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, All right, I guess I'm a Puritan. Oh, well. Bring on the Puritans. When we send our kids to school, we trust that their innocence is protected, said Byrd. This was the uh, state attorney general, Brenna Byrd, so based Byrd here. I'm glad to say that we are today appealing the district court's decision in order to uphold Iowa's law that keeps sexually explicit books out of the hands of our kids in school. Iowa's law is clear. Sexually explicit books and materials have no place in our elementary school classrooms or libraries. Yeah, that's not controversial. That should not be controversial at all. That's just, what a time. What a time. Uh, She says, as a mom, I share parents' concerns and remain committed to keeping our schools a safe place for kids to learn and grow. With this appeal, we'll continue to fight to protect Iowa families and uphold the law in court. The majority of judges in the Eighth Circuit have been appointed by Republicans. So uh, we'll see. Uh, Hopefully the good guys win this one. And it is amazing to watch Democrats defend sexually explicit propaganda in schools. It's what a what a platform. Unbelievable. Um, Oregon Supreme Court shoots down a challenge seeking to remove Trump from the ballot. So this is good. Trump wins in Oregon. A little bit surprising. The Oregon Supreme Court declined Friday to take up a challenge seeking to remove Donald Trump from the state's primary and election ballot. So good. Good. Good to see. All right. So this was Rand Paul's announcement and uh, it was a, a pretty good, pretty good announcement. So it could have, some people were uh, suggesting maybe he's going to be Trump's VP. That would be great. I don't expect to see that. Um, 
Other people expected, uh, and me including, I expected it to be an endorsement of Trump. But that's not what it was. It was actually something that I think can go further than a Trump endorsement. Because a Trump endorsement, what is that, a 24-hour thing? He endorses Trump, cool. Rand Paul, still great. He endorses Trump, awesome. And then we all move on. It's like, whatever. This, though, I like this because Nikki Haley seems to be the gay op candidate. It looked like for a while that the gay op candidate was Ron DeSantis. But now I think it's Nikki Haley. And, uh, and you can already see the propagandists. Uh, 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 oh, the biggest threat to Joe Biden would be Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is Joe Biden's worst nightmare. That is total manufactured propaganda. Nikki Haley has no chance in a general election against Joe Biden because there is not a circumstance on this earth in which Donald Trump's base is going to fucking vote for big teeth Nikki Haley. Can, can you show me one plausible scenario where that would happen? How would that possibly happen? Uh, un, under what circumstance would Trump's base accept Nikki Haley as the, the candidate? Impossible. There's no fucking way that enough of Trump's base is going to vote for Big Teeth Nikki. Okay, so this is a made-up, ridiculous narrative. So Rand Paul comes out very, very well here. He, he goes full bore against Nikki Haley. No libertarian or conservative should vote for her. Senator Rand Paul launched a campaign against Republican presidential candidate and former U.N. ambassador and big teeth Nikki Haley on Friday, declaring that she would be wrong for our country. Paul made the announcement after he teased out on Thursday that he was going to potentially endorse one of the remaining Republican candidates. Instead, Paul said he liked the current frontrunner, Donald Trump, and the fiscal conservatism of Ron DeSantis. He also said he liked Vivek's voice and he even like some some of the things that Robert F. Kennedy was saying, the senator unveiled a new website, NeverNikki.net, where he listed multiple reasons why he believes that Republicans, conservatives, and libertarians should oppose her. In an interview with Politico, Paul said that he felt the need to expose people fully to her record before she has the opportunity to gain any traction once voting starts. Paul said he was open to hitting the trail to campaign against her, and he was willing to spend money to run political ads against her. He know, I think he knows. He knows what they're doing with her. He knows. She is the gay op candidate. Good for him. Good for fucking Rand Paul here. I think this is good. He says, I'm absolutely dead certain Nikki Haley would be wrong for the country, and I do have some voice, and I want to make sure my voice is heard. On his website, Paul listed off numerous reasons for why he opposes Haley, including her support of Biden and McConnell and the forever war crowd on funding for the war in Ukraine, her having personally received millions of dollars from the arms merchants who benefit from the war, a conflict of interest that undergirds her eagerness for foreign military invention and her remark that all internet posters should be registered and verified, among other issues. Yeah, fuck that shit. Fuck that. And fuck Jordan Peterson for saying recently that the person that made a phenomenal AI video of, of AOC should be arrested. Fuck you. What are you doing? Are you crazy? And by the way, I'm not anti-Jordan Peterson. I think sometimes he's interesting to listen to, and sometimes he is a fucking retard. So I would hope that he could reduce the amount of retardation. Because if Jordan Peterson, it's like a mathematical equation. If you take Jordan Peterson and you minus and reduce the retardation, and then you minus and reduce the, the cocksucking of Israel, you would have a fucking based guy. And you'd be like, oh, this guy's based. This is great. Man, I wish that could happen. Just... 
minus the retardation and the slobbering of Israel's knob. And then you, you're going to have a based guy. I love a based guy. Who'd, what do you love more than a based guy? And uh, anyway, that's a hell of a thing. Arresting for AI. <laughs> this is no good. This is no good. Aren't you supposed to be on the good guys team, Jordan? Anyway, whatever. So I don't know what to make of this. Some people are saying that Nancy knows something that, that well, I mean, look, they, you know they're going to cheat. Anyway, Nancy says uh, it's impossible for Trump to be president again. Former House Speaker Saggy Nancy uh, raised some eyebrows on Friday when defending Joe Biden's re-election chances. Um, she says, I don't think that nobody feels, I think many of us know that it's impossible for him to be president again with what he's proposing. And Mattingly, the CNN horse, says, why do you say that? And then she said, well, because when you're talking about what he's talking about now with more tax cuts for corporate America, taking them down so low to the detriment of our budget and meeting the needs of the people, then she went into how public sentiment is everything in an election. And she believes the winning message for 2024 is on her party's side. Can you show me any polls indicating that, Saggy? Can you show me one poll, Saggy Nancy? What are you talking about? She added she's confident that Biden's campaign is going to get the job done. I mean, the Biden regime's or the Biden election campaign message is that Donald Trump is Hitler. His supporters are Hitler. If you vote for him, you're a Hitler terrorist and you might be arrested by the FBI. Um, and that the economy is great. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, well, we'll see. Let's talk about uh, the, the fucking commies in Ireland. The Irish online safety code would give media regulator the authority to punish video platforms for videos that indirectly lead to harm. Oh, so you're going to be punished for a made-up commie concept. Indirectly leads to harm. Oh, what a crock of shit. And of course, oh, oh no, 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 no. I was going to, I was going to say, because, uh, you know, a lot of times, for example, let me just give you the name. Free Speech Ireland is the name of the group. Now, normally when I hear something like that, I, I'm like, oh, this is Democrats labeling this, themselves the opposite of what they are. Actually, in Ireland, apparently, at least with this group, they are, this is a real free speech group. So good for Free Speech Ireland. Free Speech Ireland has issued a civil rights alert as the country's authorities are working to introduce the Irish online safety code that seems to be in part inspired by the UK's hugely controversial Online Safety Act. For example, at first glance, it's much smaller in scope, but one point from the proposal is reminiscent of the Online Safety Act's legal but harmful doctrine. It's punishing online platforms, specifically video ones, for content that indirectly leads to harm. So this is a overly broad, completely made up concept that allows the homosexuals running Ireland to censor whatever they don't like. That's all. One of the ways such harm would be interpreted is even if a video does not contain content of the kind, comments to it are branded as hateful in other words, it's a platform's liability for third-party content. The regulation would treat it as um, a user-generated video or, or in, in, in the, as the same thing as user-generated video. One of the consequences is absurd, as Free Speech Ireland notes. To protect themselves, video platforms would have to censor user content that's not even regarded as harmful under the code. 
The rules, if if adopted, excuse me, adopted, would be enforced by a regulator known as the Irish Media Commission. Free Speech Ireland explains they've received the blessing to introduce the regulation from the Irish government and the EU. Age verification uh, is also baked in to the plans. The targeted sites include YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Hopefully Twitter does not go along with this. Given that many large tech companies have their headquarters in Europe, for Europe in Dublin, this could complicate their situation and bring the same kind of censorship to users in the U.S. as well. That would be fucking crazy. And, uh, you know, look, it, we're going to see who holds strong and who cucks. And uh, right now, Rumble's looking pretty good, I have to say. And uh, we'll see what Twitter does. And now, Australia, they have an e-safety commissioner, complains about Twitter reinstating censored accounts. Well, go fuck yourself if you don't like it. How about that, bitch? How about that? Without considering the possibility there were too many of them to begin with, Australia's safety commissioner is complaining in a new report that Twitter, since Elon Musk took over, has fired too many safety and public policy personnel. He hasn't fired enough. Another complaint from the commissioner's transparency report is about previously censored accounts getting reinstated on the platform. Some of the new policy, according to the Australian office, uh, is that Twitter is less capable of tackling online hate. Well, that's a made-up thing. You don't need to tackle online hate. Online hate's not a real thing. Hate is okay. You don't have to like people. You can hate what you want, and you can like what you want. No problem. It's not a problem. And a lot of the times... What's considered hate is just criticism of bad people, of evil people. And in that instance, it's righteous to hate. Hate can be righteous. It just depends. It all depends. It is no wonder uh, that these accusations are made by eSafety, considering that it has been given powers to deal with what's described as cyberbullying, image-based abuse. Oh, i got to watch out for that. Image-based abuse. It's memes. You're talking about memes. And illegal and harmful online content. Basing the report on information obtained from Twitter, eSafety writes that 80% of safety engineers have been let go since October. Make it 100. Moderators working for Twitter have fared somewhat better. Still over 50% of them have been fired. Uh, yeah, fuck. Uh, look, moderation from the standpoint of illegality, no problem. But you shouldn't be moderating legal speech. Considering that these employees were doing more than simply moderating, there have been many confirmed and controversial cases on clear censorship against content and accounts. Free speech supporters are likely to uh, learn the numbers for the first time. However, the Australian eSafety is not taking a negative stance towards the developments and warning that they have implications for Australian users. Commissioner Julie Inman-Grant is quoted in the report saying, it's almost inevitable that any social media platform will become more toxic, not a real thing, and less safe, not a real thing, for users if you combine significant reductions to safety and local public policy personnel with thousands of accounts reinstatements of previously banned users. About that last point, we know that the number of banned accounts that have been allowed back on Twitter at this point is in excess of 6,100. Great. Now that's good. 6,100 is good. Reinstated 6,100 accounts. You got to reinstate all of the accounts, so keep doing it. But, you know, there's still plenty of people that have been banned that should be unbanned because they were banned for legal speech. But the Australian office is not even sure if these figures um, are 
accurate. The commissioner is also displeased with the fact that Twitter did not find it necessary to place additional scrutiny on these accounts banned under previous ownership and its policies. Well, that would be gay. Why would they do that? They don't need scrutiny. As long as they're not breaking the law, there's no need for additional scrutiny. This is just insane. In Canada, the police, the pigs in Canada are saying that you have to protect the privacy of thieves. So if they steal packages, don't post videos of them. A lunatic AIDS commie from the Quebec police force has advised residents against publicly sharing surveillance videos capturing thieves stealing their packages. In recent years, the phenomenon of porch piracy has become an increasingly troubling aspect of urban and suburban life, and as online shopping has surged in popularity, so too is the opportunity for thieves to swipe unattended packages from doorsteps and porches. The rise of porch piracy correlates directly with the boom in, e in e-commerce, with millions of packages being delivered daily. Many are left unattended for hours, making them easy targets for thieves. The convenience that online shopping provides to consumers creates a vulnerability that these criminals exploit. Thieves has, have reportedly followed delivery vehicles and swooped in to seize packages when left unattended. As package thefts continue to rise, homeowners are utilizing online platforms to expose thieves, seek community support, and sometimes even shame the perpetrators. The trend of uploading videos of package thefts has gained significant momentum. Home security cameras, doorbell cams, and other surveillance devices are capturing clear footage of these crimes. Victims share the videos on social media. Now the pedophile police are telling people not to upload the videos to social media. Their reasoning? Well, we have to, as liberals, protect niggers. Anyway, that's not what he said. <clears throat> that's, that's not what he said. You'd be surprised that's not what he said. What he actually said is, you cannot post images yourself because you have to remember, in Canada, we have a presumption of innocence and posting that picture could be in violation of private life. Oh, you can't violate the private life of thieves. Oh, you got to protect the rights of the thieves. <laughs> anyway, what are you going to do? It is what it is. Now, let's get into some evidence of uh, Dr. Fucker here and uh, more evidence that he obviously belongs in prison. Dr. Fucker admits to arbitrary rules that boosted mass surveillance and suppressed opinions. Some people may have already forgotten, but not so long ago, billions of law-abiding citizens around the world basically got put under house arrest. When they were able to go outside, they had to wear masks and keep six feet social distance. Not to put too fine a point on it, but in terms of the science behind this was pretty much arbitrary. And we learned from none other than Dr. Anthony Fucker, former director of the NIH. The distancing rule was just one of the COVID area restrictions era restrictions explained and enforced as coming from authoritative medical sources and therefore based on science. To make matters worse, the dystopian measures included employing mass surveillance technology, enlisting tech companies big and small to enforce the rules, and relentlessly censoring not only critics but also merely people asking questions all over the internet. Anthony Fauci was the face, albeit very controversial, even in the pandemic heyday of this medical authoritativeness in the U.S., and now his COVID legacy has gotten even worse. 
Fucker this week appeared before the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic while the sessions were held behind closed door. An official statement posted by the House Oversight Committee cited him as making some fairly shocking statements. Evidently, asked to explain the origin of the six feet rule, he, he said that it was not based on any data. Maybe it was based on common sense. Uh, also unlikely, since Fauci went on to say the guidance sort of just appeared out of thin air. So just like the supposed origin of the virus, that was another major narrative which, if challenged, got people branded as conspiracy theorists. He, fucker, testified the lab leak hypothesis, which was often suppressed, was in fact not a conspiracy theory. Some of Fauci's answers also show, saw the former high-ranking federal official saying he does not recall the specifics of the very COVID policies he had been actively imposing on the population. Dr. Fucker's transcribed interview revealed systemic failures in our public health system and shed light on serious procedural concerns with our public health authorities. It is clear that dissenting opinions were often not considered or they were suppressed completely. Should a future pandemic arise, America's response must be guided by scientific facts and conclusive data. Yeah, that's not what's going to happen. Astoundingly, all of this may be, it can prove to be a teachable moment, particularly in terms of citizens thinking twice before allowing mass surveillance to spread under cover of fear-mongering. Yeah, that's true. In 2020, in London, uh, they had cameras where they were monitoring social distance and lockdown restrictions, and um, Microsoft helped them. So uh, hopefully people legally and humanely rebel against that and win their country back. But that's fucking crazy. Alrighty, let's get to some videos. We're going to start out here with Rachel Maddow's sister, Chris Hayes. And uh, what's Chris doing? Well, pretending that Trump and his supporters are dangerous terrorists. Hayes, it is here. Well, almost I'll be here. Back on in a Monday, minute. Republicans will cast their ballots in the Iowa caucuses. It will be. The first time since the January 6th insurrection, the voters will see Donald Trump's name on the ballot, and a whole lot of those voters are going to support him. They're going to say, yeah, yep, we want the guy that tried to steal the last election and is now facing years in prison for doing it. It's already been a very weird campaign for, for a lot of reasons. I mean, we started with a huge field of candidates, remember that? And, and most of them have either dropped out or just faded into the background before the votes are cast. Like, they got winnowed out fast. And when they are cast in three days, voters will be braving snow and sub-zero temperatures in what is expected to be the coldest caucuses ever, which is saying something because there's been a lot of cold caucuses. Despite the cold, leading challengers Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are dutifully trudging across the state trying to drum up support. They will most likely still lose if polling is any indication that we don't know. They could lose by historic margin to a frontrunner who, let's be clear, has spent more time in court attending his civil fraud trial this week than he has in the state of Iowa. And even if now it feels inevitable that we would come to this, it was not inevitable. It really wasn't. There was a time in winter 2021, after January 6th, when Donald Trump was being impeached for inciting the Capitol insurrection, his approval rating hit an all-time low. It looked like he could very well be sent into a sort of permanent political exile. And then he sort of came back, and then the 2022 midterms, the, the elections worked out poorly for most Trump-endorsed candidates. He backed losers in a ton of winnable races, and there seemed to be a dawning awareness in the Republican Party that he was politically toxic. 
and 2024 could be a wide open race for Republicans. All those folks got in because they thought he was beatable. Not now. Now Trump is polling at 54%, more than 30 points ahead of Haley, his closest challenger. It is not even close enough to say it's not even close. Of course, the only poll that matters is the one on Election Day, as we like to say here. But there's already a lot of discussion about sort of how we got here, right, on the, on the threshold of this moment. And there's a lot of factors that have brought us to this point in which Trump is, you know, leading by 30 or 40 points. There is the terrible, I mean, truly almost historically terrible campaign of Ron DeSantis, who once looked like a formidable challenger. There's the growing desire in the Republican electorate uh, for authoritarian politics. And that's fueled by this ever sort of radicalizing conservative media industry. There is, of course, the complete personal cowardice of Republican leaders who could have voted to convict Trump during impeachment, we wouldn't have this problem, but who've also run interference for Trump all along. So all of those factors are here. But there is one factor on the eve of this first contest. There's one factor I think does not get enough play, and that's the tools of mob menace, the coercion, the threats of violence the Trump and MAGA movements employ that are constantly shaping the space in which the race is itself contested. I talked yesterday about this, about the, the bomb threat at the home of the judge in Trump's civil trial and how it was not an isolated incident and it wasn't just business as usual. From the MAGA bomber to the Cincinnati FBI shooter, remember that? Guys showed up at the FBI after the indictments. The death threats, the fake emergency calls against investigators and prosecutors, just a few in the past week, judges, election officials. There has just been a constant stream of threats of violence and actual attempts at violence against people that have tried to hold Donald Trump to account. The intimidation hangs over all of his endeavors is a big part of his strength. But the place where this kind of politics is the most effective, the most acutely present, is within Republican Party circles. Because for people who exist in that world, inside the Republican Party, inside professional conservative politics, the harassment and threat of violence is much, much more intimate. There were members who told me that they were afraid for their own security, afraid, you know, in some instances for their lives. I have colleagues who are now traveling with uh, armed escorts out of the fear for their safety. Many of us are, are altering our routines, um, uh, working to get body armor. Our expectation is that someone may try to kill us. The threats are constant. They've increased. Um, you know, I even heard a voicemail just this morning that we got last night threatening execution. That's kind of seems to be the... Uh, the normal thing nowadays was just threaten execution. Again, that all happened not not a long time ago. It's regrettably easy to forget now that Republicans who voted to impeach or convict Trump were, they thought at least, and I think credibly, kind of putting their lives at risk, at least their family safety and themselves. Certainly their peace of mind was put at risk. I mean, do you remember this? We just learned this a few months ago. Senator Mitt Romney revealed that he had to spend $5,000 a day on protective security after January 6th. In fact, as he later revealed to Atlantic reporter McKay Coppins in a biography of Romney, a reckoning, uh, one Republican congressman confided to Romney he wanted to vote for Trump's second impeachment, but chose not to out of fear for his family's safety. And when one senator, a member of leadership, said he was leaning towards voting to convict, the others urged him to reconsider. You can't do that, Romney recalled someone saying. Think of your personal safety, said another. Think of your children. The senator eventually decided they were right. And this extends past people that are at the upper echelons of political power, past politicians or public officials. More than just they have been subjected to this mob intimidation. I mean, election officials and even, like, writers. <clears throat> just so, again, 
totally made up. We're talking about public criticism. People with opinions. Conservative writer and Trump critic David French has recounted how they went after him. In individual calls, he said, I, I'm sorry, but uh, I've been asked by the Trump campaign to make sure that, you know, David knows that this will be really, really bad for him. The assaults on my family have been overwhelming just as a writer. I have a multiracial family. And so they have oh, gone. Of course. My oh, of course. Oh, my God. Daughter in the worst way imaginable. That was back in 2016. Today, French, who's still conservative, strongly, staunchly conservative, and also strongly, staunchly anti-Trump wrote in the New York Times that things are even worse. Oh, of eight course. years of bitter experience have taught us that supporting Trump degrades the character of his core supporters. Never before have I seen extremism penetrate a vast American community so deeply, so completely, and so comprehensively. And I'm going to tell you, this is all stuff that's sort of on the record and documented. For every example of this, there is stuff not on the record that people discuss about their security situation, which they can't talk about publicly for obvious reasons, that any time they're in the crosshairs, they're dealing with a security issue, a tr cautious of Trump. And that's particularly true for people whose life is Republican Party politics, whose constituents are conservatives and neighbors who are Trump devotees. This extremism, this acceptance of coercion, of political violence or the threat thereof. It's totally made up. You're just making it up. Of terror, of just insane harassment as a tactic. So I guess they're going to say this is why people are voting for Trump, because they're afraid. It's really powerful. I think it's fair to say, I really believe this, that it has completely subverted the ability of the Republican Party themselves to genuinely run a free and fair election within their own party to choose their own nominee. Right. See, they're in, he's cheating. He's cheating by intimidation. Because not only is there this ever-present threat, you know, everyone in the upper echelons of the party also understands that Donald Trump will never accept defeat. I mean, you're having a contest with a guy who, is he going to accept defeat? They understand it because of January 6th, but they understand it before that. They, they understand it because of 2016, when Trump lost the Iowa caucuses and he reportedly pressured state Republicans to invalidate the results. Does that sound familiar? He ran around afterwards saying it was rigged. So just take a second to imagine what it would look like if Nikki Haley or someone else actually were to start beating Donald Trump for the nomination this year, if, if we started seeing some surprises, right? And that has happened before in American politics. It's just almost impossible not to imagine a, a, a situation in which you end up with a scene that looks like January 6th outside the Republican National Convention. So what, so, so yeah, but what are you talking about? You're talking about, like, the Republicans just giving it to Nikki Haley? Right? Like, if Trump starts losing, what's going to happen? Play that out. They all have. They all understand what they're dealing with. It is under those conditions. Those are the conditions under which we were having this contest, this election for the Republican nominee. Whatever happens on Monday in Iowa and later in New Hampshire and in South Carolina and Super Tuesday... You just cannot separate Trump's performance from these ever-present, deeply ominous, anti-democratic threats of harassment and violence. Which are completely made up. It's just a central part of what Donald Trump stands for or how he and his movement pursue political power. Miles Taylor served in the Trump administration as a national security official. He resigned in June of 2019. He's since left the Republican Party. He's author of Blowback, A Warning to Save Democracy from the Next Trump, and he joins me now. 
You know, Miles, I wanted to talk to someone who is from the world of conservative and Republican politics, because every time that I've talked to folks in that world who themselves have come out against Trump or opposed Trump, the stories they tell me about the proximity of this kind of, you know, it's one thing if people are, are mean to you or say nasty things to you, that's just life. <laughs> but something more than that, you know, the, the stories I've heard are, are pretty chilling. And I wonder what you think of the general thesis, that this kind of a little bit sort of invisible force really does exert some real pressure on the sort of basic shape of this contest. Of course it does. I mean, it, you know, I remember something Alex Vindman once told me after his testimony when we were comparing notes about how we wish more people had testified in Trump's impeachment. And he said, Miles, intimidation works. And he's right. It works. They know it works. Trump knows it works. And I was really struck by something, Chris, in your opening remarks tonight about how a lot of these folks are facing threats and they don't talk about it on the record. You and I have both talked to a lot of people who've been in these circumstances, and they don't even go into the detail of how serious it is. And I think it's important, though, when people are well, that's to because it's made up to share those things. I mean, I'll give you an example, Chris. Just last weekend, I had to buy another gun because oh, he had to buy another gun. Well, there we go. Case closed. We're worried about threats from MAGA stalkers and concerned we have not armed ourselves sufficiently in every circumstance we might be in. And that's years after I came forward against Donald Trump, and it's still happening. Why? Because they're so fearful of this messaging from conservatives against him. They're worried it will deny him victory. But more so than that, Chris, we've seen Trump repost videos, these messianic videos. Oh, where you reposted a video? That's a, that's a terrorism. In the videos, people claim he's our savior. Yeah. And that's how he's radicalized supporters, to think they're defending some kind of messiah. That's beyond what people do when it comes to backing their political candidates. And it explains this, again, messianic level of violence that people are worried about. And certainly, people within the party who've opposed Trump feel bubbling just under the surface. Yeah, and that, that point about, I mean, your, your personal experience was just striking and sounds awful. Oh, uh, it and, sounds and that, awful that you had to buy a gun. That sort of intimidation works. Again, I, I do think it's the most effective in this sort of internal discipline function. So if you look at Judge Chutkin or Jack Smith or Judge Gordon or all these people, like, I don't think they're going to be intimidated. What it is is it's hassle for them. It, it's disruptive. It's bad for their families. But it's not going to stop them from doing what they're doing. But I think there are people in Republican politics where it will. Like, I, mean, I think the, the Romney point about it, and I think that, again, when... I don't want to take away from the fact that Trump genuinely has this organic, this real appeal, and I think he would be probably winning even without this aspect of his politics. But again, this aspect of the politics colors enough that, like, I just think it's difficult to disentangle his ability to sort of reclaim his position as frontrunner from that force that's sort of just off stage. Well, Chris. It does stop people from coming forward. I mean, I agree with your point that, you know, folks who've already come out there, they're out there. But, you know, I've had folks in the backyard sitting around the bonfire that were senior Trump officials who've not come forward, mm, who've said, yeah. I, I just don't know if I want to go through what you guys have gone through. Yeah. It works. The intimidation works. And unfortunately, because of Donald Trump, this is going to be a, a historic 
election, Chris, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, oh, what they must go through having to go on CNN and to be lauded by Blue Anon people and then, then writing and selling a book that will be pumped up and by the New York Times and then they'll have you know one person buy a hundred thousand copies oh that must be so difficult counting all of that money because the political polarization is at historic levels the disinformation is at historic levels the attitudes towards political violence as you point that's weird why is that pausing Anyway, that's basically the whole thing. We can it out oh, okay. at historic levels. That's fine. The volume of threats from extremist groups around the country are at historic yes, levels. Yes, historic levels of extremist threats. Also seen direct threats to public officials at absolutely historic levels. I can back up every single one of those things with statistics. This oh, is I'm sure you can. Election in terms. Got to get those statistics, of course, from the ADL of the fear and division and violence, and I would agree with you. I worry that it could boil over should Donald Trump not get what he wants. We already have precedent for that, and we are seeing that intimidation bubble up within the Republican Party. Just today, I saw videos of Ron DeSantis being mercilessly mocked and stalked. Oh, he was mocked. Oh, man, how violent. Up almost to his hotel room in Iowa. And it wasn't by Democratic operatives, it was by Trump operatives and pro-Trump operatives who seemed to almost want to walk into his hotel room with him. That's oh, pretty yeah. menacing behavior. That totally happened. We haven't seen things like that in American elections before. Yeah. How dare you follow a politician and ask them a question? We're going to see what the voters say about it, at least the voters, the small percentage of Iowans that participate in the Republican caucus, which is... Oh, yes. That's uh, not a made-up narrative at all. Now we have, um, oh, this is yeah, totally legitimate, audio of Roger Stone's threat to assassinate Democrats. But here is Roger Stone speaking to his associate Sal Greco at Cafe Europa in Fort Lauderdale weeks before the 2020 election. So we had learned earlier this week that Mediaite had gotten these tapes of Roger Stone plotting the assassination yes. of uh, multiple Democrats That's before the 2020 real. election. Mm -hmm. He had responded to that news saying, oh yeah, where's the tapes? You don't got any tapes. I don't hear any tapes. Well, the tapes are out. And so uh, what does he say to that? He's just, he's claiming that it's AI generated and that's fake. Um, obviously, every time he's on audio or videotape calling for the murder of his political opponents, and I'm starting to forget some of those instances now, he has claimed that it's AI oh, in yeah, he every does it case. All the time. And I'm glad that we have the tape. I'm glad that media got it and that they released it. Um, I particularly like it because you've got him talking about how after they've assassinated a few people, we'll see how brave the others are. He's in a cafe plotting for other men to kill people he doesn't like, and he's talking about bravery as if other people are weaklings and cowards. 
But anyway, I don't know if anything is going to come of this. Trey, I go to you for your commentary. This is obviously a longtime ally of Donald Trump who could well be involved right. in his administration oh, well, next time around. Trump's doing it. I just love that picture that you guys have with that with that quote, which is the picture I've seen on the articles and stuff of him too with those like round sunglasses. I just I like his dedication to being like comically villainous looking. Yeah, like that. Like he always looks like that. He looks like he should be like Dipping tunes in acid in the uh -huh. Roger Rabbit movie or something like that. He looks uh -huh. like that guy. He just looks, <laughs> it looks like he haunts the nightmares of all 90s kids everywhere. So it makes sense that he acts the way he does. There's also, we've had those tapes for forever of him at the the morning of January 6th, walking around being like, I don't even care about the vote, like vote to certify or whatever. He's like, forget the vote. Let's just get straight to the violence. That's what I want. We need yeah, to start cracking heads and smashing yeah, pumpkins, whatever this stuff. And then he like ran away with his tail between mm -hmm. his legs when, when you know, when st stuff really kicked up after that. Very so it's honest. just like, it's just who he is. Also, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but in this tape where he's saying all this, he was saying it to a guy who was an NYPD cop also, yeah. who was like a buddy of his. So that's also very much checks out and tracks. I guess that guy's since been kicked off the force, but still, yes, it's all yeah. it's all very 2024 uh, ain't that America sort of thing. But um, uh, what I'm trying to tell myself is that Roger Stone is just, is just who he is. He says this type of thing all the time. It doesn't mean he won't do it. But, you know, again, it's just your classic... Uh, classic over-the-top villain character and this is what they do yeah i mean dude is a thug like mm -hmm. he's been a thug like his whole mo has been like oh i'll get the ground troops i'll get the brown shirts to support your non-democratic fascist takeover like he helped with the brooks brothers riot in 2000 right he it's all about which supported george w bush in florida like um to stop the recount or whatever he's like i will lead the, I mean, I'm not gonna lead them. I'm gonna be in a pinstripe striped suit smoking a cigar. Yes, looking like a Batman villain in the background. Mm -hmm. But that's what he wants to do. And he's, he's like tossing with the Proud Boys and whatnot. This is wild. This is truly wild. And yet he is advisor to the front runner for 2024. And we're just mm -hmm. like, yep, uh-huh. Well, let's keep going. Iowa caucuses on Monday. Yeah, uh, it still blows my mind. It will never yeah. not blow my mind, John. That blows my mind, and uh, I would love for a journalist. You know, um, I would say maybe one of the journalists who did the town hall with Trump uh, theoretically could have done this, but of course, they decide this whole town hall that they did with him was just them bowing down to Trump. There were no tough questions. Uh, ask Trump the question. You always have to ask him. Uh, do you denounce Roger Stone for calling for the assassination of multiple Democrats? It's pointless. He's not going to. He's just going to evade and slip and slide, and America will descend. That's just what the voters really care about. A little bit farther into the bottom of the barrel, um, but I think it is. I, I think it should be a requirement for journalists to at least go through the motions in that regard. Mm -hmm. Anyway, also I, I love, and I'm glad Trey that you were focusing on the fact that it was Sal Greco as a NYPD officer, like. You know how little you had to do in New York to be considered suspicious from the point of view of the NYPD? Right. You've got a guy across the table from you saying he wants to assassinate politicians. Nothing, no obligation to do anything about it. Maybe get involved, honestly. Mm -hmm. And by the way, while uh, Roger Stone is lying and saying that this is AI, uh, Greco's not denying that this conversation happened and they have multiple other sources. So it 100% happened, take it to the bank. If you enjoyed this video, that's- well, There you go, case closed. Feminine John says it happened. Now the totally real bomb threat that Judge AIDS got.
This morning, Judge Arthur Ngoren, who is presiding over Donald Trump's New York civil fraud case, was the victim of yet another threat. And this time, and this time it was specifically a bomb threat. A bomb squad was sent to Ngoren's home to investigate, and luckily, nothing came of that incident. But it is part of this recurring pattern in which the enemies of Trump, or at least his perceived enemies, are harassed by his supporters, threatened by his supporters. So both Ngoren and his law clerk have already been sent like hundreds of violent messages. And that's according to attorneys for the New York State court system. I mean, I wanna give you like some examples of what people are sending them. I mean, honestly, you should be assassinated, said one. You should be killed, you should be executed, that was another one. Uh, yet another threat uh, sent to them said, resign now, you dirty, treasonous piece of trash snake. We are going to get you and any one of you dirty, backstabbing, lying, cheating American. You are nothing but a bunch of communists and we are coming to remove you permanently. Seem like well-adjusted individuals. Seem totally like they, real. they've got you know totally things real. taken care of uh, in their own lives. Now, unfortunately, Judge Ngoren isn't the only judge who's been met with these violent threats. Just last Sunday, Tanya Chutkin, yet another judge overseeing a Trump case. This time, it has to do with Trump's federal election interference case, was swatted. We shared some details about others who have been swatted in the political world recently. And these incidents are not uncommon. The uh, MAGA movement uh, was. Basically resorting, they've been resorting to some violent threats for some time now. So much so that Republican lawmakers are basically terrified of provoking them. And so in his biography, in the biography of Mitt Romney written by McKay Coppins, Coppins writes that one Republican congressman confided to Romney that he wanted to vote for Trump's second impeachment, but chose not to out of fear for his family's safety. And Democratic Representative Jason Crow had a similar experience before that impeachment vote. He told MSNBC, I had a lot of conversations with my Republican colleagues last night, and a couple of them broke down in tears, saying that they are afraid for their lives if they vote for this impeachment. And during a Fox town hall last night, Trump was even asked to condemn political violence. And he seemed to have a little bit of trouble doing it. He seemed to deny that there was even any political violence in his term. Well, of course that's right. And of course, I'm the one that had very little of it, meaning the political violence. And I don't know, maybe I'm not, I'm not steeped in the real world. Maybe I'm wrong here, Ravonna. But if I remember correctly, there was a little bit of political violence under Trump's watch, just a little yeah. bit. Just a tiny bit, just a tad, just a few people died at the Capitol. Just a couple people committed suicide by cop while attacking federal buildings, FBI buildings after they raided Mar-a-Lago. Completely absurd statement from him, but you know, also completely expected. I feel like, and we've covered this rise in support for political violence and within the MAGA movement, because even within the Republican Party, which has a higher level of support for it than the Democratic Party or independents, MAGA supporters specifically have a much higher inclination to use political violence than even average Republicans do, you know, to the extent that there's such a thing as an average Republican nowadays. But I feel like people don't quite 
grasp the seriousness of this even post January 6th. A lot of people have a tendency to downplay the, I mean, what was a violent attack on the Capitol in an attempt to overthrow democracy. And I'm hoping that the videos that came out on this, the third anniversary of January 6th, maybe wake people up. They were running in, they were burrowing into a room with guns pointed at them. They did not care. Actually, Babbitt did not care. They, their love for Donald Trump was such, and their membership of this cult was such that she was literally staring down the face of a gun, being told, "Don't enter this room, don't enter this room," and she uh, bullshit still did it. And total lie. That's a total lie. Everyone around her was still like chanting and excited. They didn't care about that very real threat against them in that moment. That is how consumed these people are in these cults. And every time we get a new batch of Trump supporter content from Michael Shore at the rallies, it, listening to what these people think, they absolutely wholeheartedly support the idea of using violence again in 2024, even if Trump wins. Particularly when it comes to these trials, if he wins the election, they're still going to tell us that there was fraud and they're still willing to use violence. That's how brainwashed these people are. And they pose a serious threat. And we'll get into later the story about the FBI, but they don't seem to care about these threats. You know, they care more about racially profiling. Well, what, what are they going to do about threats that they're making up themselves? They're not going to arrest themselves. Targeting brown people in this country. Well, you know what I think what I think is so interesting is I wish that there was some way of knowing what percentage of these Trump supporters have genuinely bought into the notion that the election was stolen from Trump, right? Because think about the kind of narratives they hear in the filter bubbles they exist in, right? And we we exist in our own filter bubble and it's really incumbent upon us to kind of pierce through it and try to understand other perspectives. But in this case with the Trump supporters and the election allegedly being stolen, they think the country is under attack. They think that Democrats are purposefully allowing you know, open borders so undocumented immigrants can come in in droves and vote. That is literally happening. Vote for Democrats, even though you can't vote unless you're, you know, here legally, you're a United States citizen. Bullshit. Um, and by the way, the migrant crisis is currently actually hurting the Biden administration at the moment, including with Democratic voters in some of these blue cities that have seen an influx of migrants come in and little resources given to them by the federal government to deal with it. But anyway, like all of these narratives, though, have been playing out in conservative media for a very long time, and they. They would trust Trump with their life. That's why when Trump told them we're gonna march to the Capitol, they felt that they had full protection. The president of the United States told us to do it, right? So you're allowed to march to the Capitol. He told them to be peaceful. There there's like a part of me that's like so frustrated with them because they're destroying their own lives on behalf of a guy who's a bit of a con artist. That sounds like a threat. And, but there's also the part of me that feels kind of bad for them because they're ruining their lives on behalf of a con Sounds like you're going to do things to people if they vote for Trump. I hope I'm wrong about that. An artist and Ashley Babbitt, like, I don't celebrate that. Like, my heart breaks for that woman. Like, she was lied to and she lost her life as a result of that. And it's just she lost her life because some fucking nog shot her in the neck and did not offer any sort of warning whatsoever. Absolutely sick. And all these people sending threats to judges. They're going to investigate and they're going to find you and you're Well, that's fine. Most of them are made up uh, and so it, if you shouldn't make threats to people. 
and that's fine. But the vast majority of these quote-unquote threats have not at all been substantiated. Face criminal charges. Don't do this dumb stuff. Please don't do this. But I mean, I'm sure it's falling on deaf ears. Uh, the bomb threat comes just one day after Ngoran had denied Trump's request to speak in the closing arguments of that trial. This is the civil um, trial having to do with fraud. And Gorin actually agreed that he could speak as long as he followed certain rules, certain conditions, like don't introduce new evidence, don't comment on irrelevant matters, which is probably the most challenging thing in the world for Trump to do. Don't deliver a campaign speech, okay? This ain't a rally and don't attack the judge, which by the way, you shouldn't, when you are like going through trial proceedings, and the judge is going to determine what your penalties are going to be in the civil case. How about don't attack the judge? Just be How about fuck him, he's evil, he's corrupt, and it doesn't matter. He's given Trump the maximum fine anyway, so it doesn't matter whether Trump's nice or mean. Smart enough to not attack the judge. Anyway, eventually the judge actually did agree to let him speak. And he, he broke all the rules, because of course he did. So there you have it. I, I guess... Uh, the back and forth between Trump and Gorin might have inspired that bomb threat from the Trump supporter. But this is all incredibly gross. This trial is coming to an end. We'll find out eventually what the penalties will be. But any final words on this before we wrap it up? I'll just say that this trial has been a, ma- a total masterclass in attorney incompetency because you, you're exactly right. He's attacking the judge who is deciding the penalties. And the only reason the judge has decided the penalties is because Trump's attorneys didn't ask for a jury trial. They could have waived it. Yeah. Right, they could have done that. They Again, that's made up. It's totally made up. Jury trial and that he wouldn't be literally attacking the man who holds the ability for him to do business in the state in the palm of his hand. It's been ridiculous, but that's what happens when you know you've <laughs> When you're a con artist, criminal, far right, fascistic former president who picks his attorneys based off who the hottest lawyer on Newsmax is. That's a pretty good criteria. All right, let's see here. Um, Oh, so apparently there's been a major decision on baboon Cenk Uger's candidacy in South Carolina. The federal judge has denied. Democratic presidential candidate Cenk Uger's request to be included on South Carolina's Democratic presidential primary ballot, despite being a naturalized citizen uh, rather than a natural born citizen of the United States. What do you mean despite being a naturalized citizen? You you have to be born in the country to run. That's it. That's it. That's it. United States. Now, the judge rejected Uger's argument that the Constitution's 14th Amendment overrode the natural born citizen clause of the constitution. But I thought that there were some exchanges in this court proceeding that are worth knowing about because to me, this is actually the first indication that there is a possibility that as Uger, you know, appeals this and he is appealing this decision, you know, the appeals court might have a different opinion here. So let me make my case, here's what happened. Now, the 14th Amendment, which states all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States, and that all citizens have a right to equal protection under the law, created one single undiluted citizenship and repealed the obsolete 
vestigial, vestigial, I can't say that word, sorry about that, words that linger in the natural born citizen clause. And that's according to Uyghur's attorney, his name is Dwayne Sam. That's what he said in his oral argument. So that's the heart of the argument that Uyghur is making, right? Now, the lawyer also argued that the state party, meaning the state's Democratic Party, which is keeping Jenk off the ballot, discriminated against Uyghur based on national origin, a protected class like race or gender when it rejected him from the ballot. But the US district judge, his name is Joseph Anderson, ruled from the bench on January 10th that he was not convinced that the equal protection clause of the constitution or the due process rights afforded in the fifth amendment effectively repealed the constitutional requirement that a president or the president be a natural born citizen. And so for anyone who doesn't know, Cenk Uygur was not born in the United States, which is why he's a naturalized citizen. He was born in Istanbul, Turkey to Turkish parents. And so he told reporters after the ruling that he does plan to appeal to the fourth US Circuit Court of Appeals. And he has been accepted on ballots in other states, six other states for that matter. By the way, South Carolina did something super shady where, you know, in order to in order to appeal appear on a ballot, you have to pay for it. I didn't even know this. This is yet another example of how you need to be a wealthy individual or fundraise like crazy in order to run for president. And it's just, I find it to be incredibly undemocratic. But you know, there are people who believe in what Cenk is doing. They've been donating to him small dollar donations and he's been using it to make this case and also to run because he really does want a primary challenge to Joe Biden. But basically his campaign paid $25,000 to do the application to appear on that ballot. And the state's Democratic Party just took the money and they won't return it. Like that's <laughs> that's hilarious. That's insane. That's hilarious. Anyway, during oral arguments, the judge Anderson called the legislative history of the amendment basically inconclusive. Okay, so let's just stop there. He's basically saying like, you know, the interpretation of this amendment and how it applies to the case that Uyghur's bringing forth here, it's kind of inconclusive. So that's where I see a little sliver of hope to be quite frank, but I, it's a sliver. It is a sliver, and clearly, since Jenk is planning on repealing or appealing this, he sees some hope in, you know, pursuing the appeals. But nonetheless, let me continue. But said that specific language, like in the natural born citizen clause, should be given more weight than general language, like in the Fourteenth Amendment. And finding that a legal text implicitly repeals another is generally discouraged. That cuts against you, Anderson told. Uger's attorney, Sam. There's also some precedent that the judge turned to in making his decision like a 2012 Colorado federal court decision that found that a Guyana born naturalized citizen could not be barred from, or I'm sorry, could be barred, my apologies, could be barred from the Democratic primary ballot. And that ruling was affirmed in an appeals court decision authored by then judge Neil Gorsuch, who's now a Supreme Court justice. So that precedent is also working against Cenk Uyghur here. But interestingly enough, an attorney for the state's Democratic Party 
tried to like sidestep the 14th Amendment argument, which I thought was interesting. An attorney for the state party argued that the Democratic Party has a First Amendment right of association and is free to choose from or choose whom they allow to participate in their primaries. Quote, we get to say who we want in our primary. Richard Herrick, the attorney for the state party told the judge, this is so gross. The Democratic Party is not stopping Uger from running for president in the general election, he said. What does that even mean? I mean, like, you're not allowing him to participate in the Democratic primaries. He's running as a Democratic candidate. And so the like, anyway, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying, but just absorb the admission there. The admission is no, 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 we call the shots. So is it really a democracy when a bunch of Democratic officials in a state decide whether or not a Democratic candidate will even appear on the ballot? Because remember, they're not even addressing, they're sidestepping Uger's 14th Amendment argument. They're not even addressing that, which I thought was interesting. Instead, they're arguing, well, we have a First Amendment right to say no to Uger because we just don't want him. How about that? Which is, I think, a pretty gross thing to say. And what I thought was interesting was that Anderson, the judge, seemed pretty- By the way, just as a side note, there's currently an AIDS insurrection happening now at the White House. AIDS commie protesters have broken through the barriers and are in a standoff with police. So just keeping an eye on that right now. Be skeptical of that First Amendment argument and even mentioned a 1944 Supreme Court ruling that stopped the Texas Democratic Party from excluding black people from voting in their primaries. At that point, the lawyer representing the Democratic Party in South Carolina said that the party cannot and would not discriminate against a candidate based on race or gender, but it could exclude someone like Uger because they are not constitutionally qualified. Okay, but whether he's constitutionally qualified or not is currently being adjudicated. So you could put him on the ballot and then see what happens after this case is adjudicated, but they're refusing to do it. Six other states have chosen to put Uger on the ballot, you know, and will change course if the court case plays out and indicates that no, the Constitution does not give you the right to run for president as a naturalized citizen. Now, in his brief oral ruling from the bench, Anderson indicated that his decision turned on the 14th Amendment question at the heart of this case. And he was not at all providing credibility to the First Amendment argument that the state's Democratic Party was making. And so the the judge said it was a strong assertion by the Democratic Party that they definitely, Oh, I'm sorry, this is actually a statement from Jenk. It was a strong assertion by the Democratic Party that they definitely want to discriminate based on national origin, Uger told reporters. It's good for 24 million citizens in America to know the Democratic Party does not want you and does not respect you, he said, referring to the number of naturalized citizens. And in response to that, the lawyer for the South Carolina Democratic Party said, quote, We did not say, "Oh, Mr. Uger, Mr. Uger's a foreigner. We don't want a foreigner in our election. The goal was we don't want to step into a controversy with you. And so the controversy is his 
naturalized citizen status. They think that that is going to waste their time and potentially waste delegates if he appears on the ballot and actually gets enough votes. And so that is the argument that they're making, but we'll see how this plays out as Jenk appeals this to the Court of Appeals. It's pretty funny, Jenk got owned in South Carolina. Uh, Trump's response to a pro-life mom doesn't go as ex- as expected. In the Fox Ugh. News town hall for Donald Trump, there was an amazing moment where Trump was uh, basically confronted by a pro-life mother who noticed that Donald Trump has kind of been blaming pro-lifers for some of their electoral losses lately. And she came to him face to face and said, I literally need you to assure me that you are still pro-life because your actions haven't really been backing that up. Here is that exchange. Yeah, your actions haven't been backing that up, you know, just at least partly responsible for Roe v. Wade being undone, you know, but other than that, you know, not really. We we can't tell what his position is. It's hard to figure out. Unbelievable. Answer. I've been, you know, vocal and celebrating with you all of your pro-life victories from the past. But then in this campaign, you've also blamed pro-lifers for some of the GOP losses around the country, and you've called heartbeat laws like Iowa's terrible. And so I'd just like some clarity on this because it's such an important question to me. Yeah, guy that undid Roe v. Wade, can you clarify your stance? I'd like for you to reassure me <laughs> that you can protect all life, oh every person's God. right to life, without compromise. For 54 years, they were trying to get Roe v. Wade terminated, and I did it, and I'm proud to have done it. Now, I happen to be, uh, for the exceptions, uh, like Ronald Reagan, with the life of the mother, uh, rape, incest. But I will say this, um, you have to win elections. Otherwise, you're going to be back where you were. That's completely true. It's completely true. I don't know if to give people a little background, there have been losses in states like Kansas where the referendum to uh, you know, basically ban abortion in the state lost. And then there have been some very high profile races that abortion rights and pro-choice voters have shown up en masse to defeat pro-life candidates. That has happened. And Donald Trump, who is, as we kind of said elsewhere in the special, like a truffle pig for kind of which way the wind, he knows which way the wind is blowing. He can find where, where he needs to be in these like little electoral winds. He finds them certain places. He, no other, I don't think any other candidate would stand face to face and feel like, and, and I think they can win that argument with the pro-lifers and say, I'm not on your side in every possible way. And I just thought that was a fascinating- He's just being honest. He's being honest. He's not where they are, but he greatly aided one of their biggest wins in the history of the movement. Okay, so he's for some of the exceptions and he delivered the repeal of Roe v. Wade. Now, I think that's a good deal, but you know, it's up to each person to decide. But that seems like a pretty good fucking deal moment where Donald Trump, another candidate, maybe a Nikki Haley and maybe a, a Don, Ron DeSantis will say, whatever you need, I'm going to kill people who are saying they're going to get abortions and save the babies myself with, um, you okay. know, like yeah. that. So Ron DeSantis never said that. You're totally making that up. That's kind of what it is. What, what did you guys think of that, that moment? I mean, I think that he 
he is smart in understanding what political liabilities are and as we've said before and as we've said repeatedly in our coverage tonight he gives people what they want he gives them the red meat when they want the red meat he gives them the talking points that they want to hear and in regard to the anti-abortion movement it absolutely was a political liability for the republican party which is why after the midterm elections, you, you'll notice that many of these far-right Republican politicians started to soften their messaging on abortion. That's exactly what's happening with Nikki Haley right now. She's now all of a sudden presenting herself as a moderate on reproductive rights, which is hilarious to me, because that is not how she presented herself prior to the reversal of Roe v. Wade. But I do also think that Trump has a leg to stand on with the anti-choice movement. Because he did succeed in reversing Roe v. Wade, and that was what they were working real hard toward for over 50 years. And the one final thing that I'll say about it is, what they're mad at Trump about is that he won't commit to a federal ban on abortion. So they have moved the goalpost because they went from this is a state's rights issue to now, no, 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 we want the whole thing. We want a federal ban. And Trump's like, listen. You guys said you wanted it to be a states rights issue. Now it's a states rights issue, bug off. And there's a strength in the way he's messaging that, that I think ends up in my opinion. I mean, it should be done through the states. It should be done through the states and that's what you got. And there you go. In getting the same people who are criticizing him about not wanting to do a federal ban, getting them to respect him and respect what he's saying. So I could be wrong, but did he win that woman over? Uh, no. Uh, well, there, right. there wasn't an opportunity do? for him to confirm. All right, so what are you going to vote for Joe Biden? <laughs> I don't understand. You know, I'm not a huge abortion person, right? Um, I I think it's fucked up to kill babies, and uh, if they banned it completely, I wouldn't flinch. But also, I have no problem with you know if there if there if there's some sort of reasonable compromise made, fine, whatever. I'm not gonna like get out of bed. I'm not gonna get bent out of shape either way. Um. So I guess I'm kind of looking at this from the outsider perspective, maybe. But that seems like a pretty good deal. The guy is for some compromises, but he delivered on Roe v. Wade, and now it's up to the people in each state to get the the laws the way they want to I, I think that's pretty good I think it's pretty good so you know I don't know and here's the other thing if you if you want to go federally you don't even have the people in place federally what are they going to argue federally a six-week ban the 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 more conservative abortion people they're not happy with that at all so it's not like they got these super based abortion people in Congress the, the the federal ban from Republicans, I think that Lindsey Graham was talking about, what was it, six weeks? So it's not like, it's just, you would be better off operating at the state level if you want it to be as conservative as possible. You have a better chance because the best you're getting on a federal ban is probably six weeks or something like that. And, uh, and I don't think there should be, I don't think it should be federal. Fuck the fucking federal government. They should have as least power as possible, and it should be up to the states. And, uh, and if a state wants to go full bore, you know, no abortion at all, not even at one week, okay, well, that state, that's what they decided. It's up to the state. That state decided a certain way. And if you don't like that, then go to a different state. It's no problem. It's no problem. But yeah, the, the federal, it's not even, you don't even have good people in, in Congress for abortion because they're all going to do six weeks. Anyway.
and whether he won her over or not. But Got he it. said, I appreciate you, I love you, kind of at the end to get her. because And, and think about the wording of her question. Mm -hmm. I need you to reassure me that you're still on my side. That's, that's, that's fucking insane. That's insane. That's insane. The guy delivers Roe v. Wade and you're like, are you serious? That's crazy. Anyway, whatever. The thing that is in the MAGA mindset, which is he, he is always already on my side. And they're kind of, this is a little bit, this is the Was kind it, of, it, that might've been a DeSantis plant though. Who knows? Thing that if this, this dynamic happened with a Democrat, the Republicans would be all over it. Mm. They're doing it. They're like, listen, black people, what's happening in your cities? Oh, the Democrats are running them into the ground. We're on your, even if they're, they're gonna try to chip away little by little. That's, that's what the Republicans do. It's a total bad faith argument and it's inherently racist, but that's what they try to do. What do you think about it? Well, I, I think he recognizes that it's not all great. They got what they wanted, they, like we were talking about earlier, it's definitely the dog that caught the car. And now they're seeing the consequences. And he's trying to distance, distance himself a little bit by not going any further while still trying to sell it as a win. But yeah, but part of these consequences, there's multiple things here. First of all, some of the shit, they obviously cheat in some of these elections. You can't discount that. Uh, and, but the other thing is the strategical retardation from Lindsey Graham. That's definitely, it, like, it's not reasonable to conflate Lindsey Graham being a retard and the abortion issue itself. Uh, those are two different things. If Lindsey Graham wasn't such a fucking retard, I don't think the fallout would have been as bad. So that's so so being strategic is very important. And that was uh, what a fucking saboteur that guy is. Unbelievable. Smart political operative is going to take that and just blast it out. You could micro target it specifically to women. You could target it in, in swing states all over the country because people saw the consequences. Mm -hmm. As soon as this was gone, you saw states had bill or uh, yeah, bills or laws that immediately took effect, these trigger laws. And now you're seeing horror stories of people getting sepsis or people, you know, uh, having to flee their states, now potentially facing persecution, like all of these things are horrific outcomes of something that he did. Tie him to those consequences. She's saying, go further, go, go more, I want more. And he realizes, no, the, the more insane this gets, the bigger of a liability it is for him. I honestly think the only hope that the Biden camp has is this issue and to lean into this issue real hard. I don't think that the Bidenomics messaging has worked for him. I don't know, look, to be quite frank, I don't think that going after Trump over his legal woes is gonna work out so well for the Democrats and Biden in particular, because you're starting to see the tide kind of shift among independent voters who are who think that it's people are going too far with Trump, right? That they're being unfair to Trump. Um, I've heard, and this is anecdotal, so obviously this isn't like a study or a survey. I can't, I can't point to something like that and say, no, no, this is a widespread thing. But just based on conversations I've had with people who are not Trump supporters, suddenly they're saying things like, oh, all these prosecutions, it just feels unfair. What's, yeah, that's, it's-, it's Obviously I disagree, especially when it comes to his attempts at overturning the 2020 presidential election. However, I'm not representative of ordinary people who aren't necessarily deeply steeped in politics. They just, they, they get vibes, you know, a lot of Americans, they're busy, they have stuff to do. So they form opinions based on vibes. And the vibe that they're getting is that, oh, looks like Democrats are 
just trying to destroy his candidacy by unfairly going after him with you know legal prosecutions. And you work in advocacy and messaging campaigns. That's like one of your strengths, correct? Strengths might be pushing. Strengths yeah, might be pushing. One of the things that I have a shirt because of. <laughs> um, but in politics, what I learned when studying it in college is so it's it's all about being able to effectively message, and you choose what you want the conversation to be, and you make it that thing. And what you're saying is a symptom, is kind of an indicator that the the Democrats just aren't doing good messaging. They might have good messages somewhere, they just aren't either up to date enough and they can't or they can't find the people to message that mm-hmm. too because the the ground that's changing you can't just run ads during jeopardy anymore and and hit everyone in America you can't run ads during a television program and get to people they're so they spend so much more time getting information another way than the evening news where you can also run ads very true that's yeah. just you can't do it and so what Trump is doing, Trump is confident he's gonna win the primary. That's why he's doing general election stuff like saying, sorry, I'm the only game in town and I'm gonna start messaging for the general. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis need to, the only thing they can do right now is be like, Trump's a baby killer. He's killing babies, you saw him admit it. Hopefully they would probably take bits of that town hall from Fox News and put it in their ads. Who's buying that? Donald Trump abandoned the pro-life movement yeah. and with it, here are all the dead babies that he got even more dead because of it. Like that's how you have yeah, to good luck with that. message it. That's that's what they have to do and they have no other choice right now. I don't know why Nikki Haley's doing what she's doing. It's way too early, lady. Hey, all thanks right, for watching. Let's get to some breaking news. Breaking news from the internet from Midwest Gunner. Let's have a look here. Uh, Where do we go? This is Reuters. This is about electric cars. Rental agent Hertz dumps EVs. Really? Really? Why did this disappear? I think it might might be the browser. Let's try it in this browser. Hopefully there's not a problem. Although we can usually, that's weird, why did it? Oh, right, because I, uh, hold on a second, got to grab this link. Okay, link, here we go. That's the rumble stream. Okay, let's see what happens here. Here we go. Rental giant Hertz dumps EVs, including Tesla for gas cars. Ha <laughs> ha! Rental firm Hertz is selling about 20,000 electric vehicles, including Teslas from its U.S. fleet, about two years after a deal with the automaker to offer its vehicles for rent. And another sign that EV demand has cooled. Hertz will instead opt for gas-powered vehicles, it said on Thursday, citing higher expenses related to collision and damage for EVs, even though it had aimed to convert 25% of its fleet to electric by 2024. And oh, don't you care about the environment? (laughs) CEO Stephen Schur last year at the J.P. Morgan Auto Conference flagged headwinds from higher expenses for its EVs, particularly Tesla's. Hertz even limited the torque 
and speed on the EVs and offered it to experienced users on the platform to make it easier to adapt after certain users had front-end collisions. Shares of the company, which operates the uh, vehicles from Swedish EV maker Polestar, among others, fell about 4%. Tesla stock was down 3%. Hertz also expects about... 245 million in charges related to depreciated expenses from its EV sale in the fourth quarter of 2023. Bumpy road for uh, EV growth. Its decision underscores the bumpy road uh, EVs have hit as their sales growth falls. Ca- uh, causing car makers like GM and Ford to scale back production plans. Oh, no. Oh, is it all falling apart? I hope so. Morgan Stanley analyst Adam Jonas said in, in a note, Hertz move was another sign that EV expectations need to be reset downward. While consumers enjoy the driving experience and fuel savings per mile of an EV, Jonas said there's other hidden costs to EV ownership. And, and look, I'm not against electric vehicles per se. You know, the way it, before Clown World, okay, what was an electric vehicle? It was like you, you had the option if you wanted to, where you could get a vehicle like a hybrid and you would have cheaper gas uh, and there might be an expense if like a battery needs to be replaced. But it, and, that was, and people had the option. Okay, no problem. I, I, that's fine with me. I got no issue with that. It's not something I'm going to choose, but you know, whatever. But then in clown world, when the, the Democrats became abject lunatics, they were like, we're going to replace every gas car with an electric vehicle. All right, that's not, that's impossible. That's like saying, you know, guys, by 2026, we're going to have Jetsons cars flying around and all the gas powered cars are going to re- be replaced by those flying vehicles from the Jetsons. Well, that's not, that's not possible. You can't, the technology is not there. And while the technology is there to a degree for the electric cars, not at a level that it's going to replace every fucking car, you goddamn idiots. But they don't care. They went with it anyway, because AOC and her band of retards over a weekend wrote the Green New Deal, and they had farting cows. That's a thing, farting cows. And they put that out there, and now everyone's got to obey it. And now all these fucking corporations and governments, like goddamn morons, have been making decisions based on this, and now they're realizing, oh, it's just not plausible at all. No, it's not plausible. Welcome to reality. Idiots. Unbelievable. Anyway. The company, which uh, earlier planned to order 100,000 Tesla vehicles by 2022 and 65,000 units from Polestar over five years, said it would focus on improving profitability for the rest of its EV fleet. German rental car company Sixt said in December it had not purchased Tesla vehicles since 2022 and was selling its fleet of Teslas as part of our regular defleeting process. It still plans to offer a range of electrified vehicles. And stick to our goal of uh, to electrify 70 to 90 percent of our rental fleet in Europe by 2030. So the Germans are still the German company here are still homosexuals about this, but Hertz is within reality, so that's at least good. Oh well, too bad Germans. Meanwhile, wholesale used EV prices fell for most of 2023 as prices for new EVs fell and inventories of unsold electric vehicles rose. 
Cox forecast before Hertz decision that used EV prices would decline more than the overall used vehicle prices of 2024. While 20,000 cars isn't a large number in the, the total used vehicle market, it does mean Hertz will be taking a major loss on each of these sales while further contributing to the trend of falling used EV values. Well, they can thank the Democrats for, the, for this. Hertz is selling some Tesla Model 3s for as low as 20 grand, nearly half the purchase price for the cheapest variant. It lists more than 700 EVs on sale, including a BMW i3 and a bunch of other ones. All right, well, there you go. That's, uh, that's funny. That's pretty fucking hilarious. It's kind of good news. All right, very good. Let's get to some more breaking news. All right, let's, uh, let's see here. We got some more breaking news from the internet. This one's from Gunfox. Uh, Taiwan defies China. Electing a new president, Beijing labeled a separatist troublemaker. Good, I want Taiwan to be a troublemaker. Taiwan is a sovereign country. Fuck China and Winnie the Pooh. Voters in Taiwan elected Vice President Liang Ching-Ti as their next president on Saturday, defying warnings from Beijing not to support a candidate. It is called a separatist and a troublemaker. Good, you need separatists. That's good. That's good. Fuck Winnie the Pooh. The election, which China has described as a choice between war and peace, war it is then, Ching Chong, could test recent efforts by Beijing and Washington to repair relations that in recent years have fallen to their lowest point in decades. So this is really, my position here is just uh, fuck bullies. And it seems like China's a bully here. China's basically saying to Taiwan, hey, this is our country. And Taiwan's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, Chang Fong, but uh, this is not your country. And they're like, oh, no, this is our country. No, it's not your country. Shut the fuck up. Okay, so I'm going to go with the people being bullied. I'm going to defend the people being bullied by China. So 100% pro-Taiwan. Taiwan is an actual country, a sovereign country, and Winnie the Pooh can eat a dick. The status of Taiwan, one of the strongest democracies in Asia, was among the most sensitive issues between the two superpowers, and focus will now turn to any potential show of force from Beijing in response. China claims Taiwan as its own territory and has not ruled out the use of force against the island, while the U.S. is Taiwan's most important international backer, the majority of Taiwan's 23 million people, are in favor of maintaining the status quo, neither formally declaring independence nor becoming part of China. Lai's victory extends the eight-year rule of the Democrat Progressive Party, which is considered the least friendly to Beijing. Good. Relations between Taiwan and China have deteriorated under President Tsai Ing-wen, who was first elected in 2016 and is limited to two terms. Voters in Taiwan expected younger ones whose concerns are not just with China policy, but with economic issues such as unemployment, housing costs, and income inequality. Lai won with 40% of the vote, compared with 33% for Hu Yuith of <laughs> the main opposition party and the uh, Kumo Tingatang, and 26% for Ko Wen Jie, founder of the populist 
Taiwan People's Party. Hao and Ko, who both favor closer ties with Beijing, had argued that the DPP's policies towards China were too confrontational. It's the first time in Taiwan's almost 30 years as a democracy that the same political party has won three consecutive terms. But the DPP lost control of the legislature, which experts say could constrain Lai's policy options. At a news conference after his victory Saturday, Lai said he would continue foreign affairs and national defense in line with Tai's policies. China cut off direct dialogue with Taiwan after she was elected in 2016 and has rebuffed offers to talk to Lai as well. Lai, who's 64, who will take office for four years starting May 20th, said he hopes that China will understand that only peace will benefit both sides of the strait. In addition, global peace and stability depends on peace in the Taiwan Strait. We hope that China understands the situation because China also has a responsibility. After the election Saturday, China's Taiwan Affairs Office said Taiwan was part uh, of China and <laughs> this is fucking hilarious. <laughs> this is our country. <laughs> no, it's not though. It's not. And stop the general trend that the motherland will eventually be reunified. It had earlier uh, uh, warned that uh, that China um, uh, could not. St oh wait, it, uh, yeah, it warned Taiwan voters against supporting Lai, describing him as stubborn Taiwan independence advocate, who, if elected, would promote separatist activities and create a dangerous situation in the Taiwan Strait. Oh, you gotta watch out for those dangerous separatist activities. Oh, you can't have separatist activities. Winnie the Pooh doesn't like that. Oh, you got to watch out. Um, Lai's victory was welcomed in the U.S. with uh, Blinken saying he was committed to maintaining peace and stability. The Congressional Taiwan Caucus said it looked forward to working with Lai that in the face of escalating threats to Taiwan's democracy and security. Oh, God damn it. Hold on a second. Let me find that again. Um... It is imperative that the United States remain steadfast in support of the people of Taiwan and our shared commitment to Democrat values. House Speaker Mike Johnson said on Twitter that he would be asking the chairs of the relevant House committees to lead a delegation. Joe Biden, uh, which which recognizes, uh, said that the U.S., which recognizes Beijing as the sole legitimate government of China but maintains unofficial relations with Taiwan under the longstanding One China policy. Fuck that shit. Stop being a cuck. It's not one China. How, how is Taiwan part of one China when Taiwan is its own country? That doesn't make any fucking sense at all. What is China the Borg? And they're going to just fucking you assimilate countries into this one big fucking cube or whatever the fuck spaceship that was? Ridiculous. What a bitch policy. Joe Biden is a bitch. The White House said this week that after the election, the U.S. would send an unofficial delegation to Taiwan and what a senior Biden administration official said was an effort to manage tensions and, and prevent conflict. The question now is how China will respond. Beijing has in the past fired missiles and staged military exercises in response to developments that it doesn't like in Taiwan. Taiwan's government's already accused China of trying to interfere in the election through military and economic pressure as well as disinformation campaigns while China accused it of hyping up the threat from the mainland. Chinese leader Winnie the Pooh is unlikely to accept the defeat gracefully, said Craig Singleton, a senior China fellow. 
It probably won't take long for Beijing to register its anger over the result, and its response could be swift and severe. But while China may be tempted to punish Taiwan, it also is reluctant to provoke either Lai or Washington. Winnie the Pooh has invested considerable efforts and credibility in tamping down tensions with the West, both to lower China's profile in an American election year and to buy space to deal with a myriad of problems at home. Voters turning up to cast ballots in the election Saturday, which had turnout of more than 70%, told NBC that Taiwan's relationship with China was among the issues they were most concerned about. Ryan Liu uh, said the most important issue should be ensuring peace. The sensitive matters are what I'm concerned with. I know the chances are small, but again, who knows? Just like with the Ukraine-Russia war, who would have thought it'd really be like this? Lies presented himself as Thai 2.0, and uh, uh, what that means is from a cross-strait relations perspective, we're not likely to see a lot of change. Beijing said it's willing to hold talks only if both sides agree that Taiwan is part of China. <laughs> you can't blame them. I mean, this is what America used to do with North Korea. And, and look, the motherfuckers running North Korea are out of their minds, okay? But it is retarded as a negotiation tactic to say, before you come to the negotiating table, you got to get on your knees and suck our dicks. Obviously, they're not going to do that. So no one's coming to the table when they're like, yeah, we'll negotiate, but you have to obey us and give us everything that we want first. That is the dumbest shit ever. What the fuck? Yeah, it's just hilarious. It's like, it's like the uh, Amer other than Trump. Other than Trump. That's how Americans have dealt with North Korea. And uh, it's stupid. It's fucking stupid. Who would ever fucking do that? Who would do that? Unbelievable. Anyway. Following Lai's victory on Saturday, Nachman said on Twitter that it was less about Lai winning over hearts and minds of undecided voters. He added, if two opposition parties had run on a combined ticket, I don't think Lai would have won. Well, woulda, coulda, shoulda, whatever the guy, the guy won. This week, in what happens to be uh, partly on effort to protect the fragile gains in their relationship from tensions over Taiwan, the U.S. and China resumed long-frozen military talks in Washington. Blinken also met with Liu, the senior Chinese official. On Friday, the State Department said Blinken reiterated the importance of maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait and that both sides recognized the importance of uh, continuing to maintain open channels of communication. Well, they don't respect Blinken, so, I mean, what is the point of any of this? You've got to have people that they'll respect. That is not what's happening. Okay, let's get to the next one here. More breaking news. All right, here's more breaking news from the internet from the Lord of the News, Gun Fox. This is BBC, not Big Black Cock. This is British Broadcasting Corporation. U.S. delivers private message to Iran after Yemen strikes. Probably like, yo, stop fucking around. President Biden said the U.S. has delivered a private message. Well, why are you talking about it? To, to Iran about the Houthis in Yemen. After the U.S. carried out a second strike on the group, we delivered it privately and we're confident we're well prepared. The U.S. said its latest strike was a follow-on action targeting radar. Iran denies involvement in attacks by Houthis in the Red Sea. However, Tehran is suspected of supplying the Houthis with weapons. And the U.S. says Iranian intelligence is critical to enabling them to target ships. Joint U.K.-U.S. airstrikes targeted nearly 30 Houthi positions in the early hours of Friday with the support of Western allies, including Australia and Canada. 
A day later, the U.S. Central Command said it carried out its latest strike on a Houthi radar site in Yemen using Tomahawk land attack cruise missiles. A Houthi spokesman told Reuters that strikes had no significant impact on the group's ability to affect shipping. The Houthis are an armed group from a subsect of Yemen Shiite Muslims, a minority. The Zaydis, most Yemenis, live in areas under Houthi control, as well as Sena and the north of Yemen. The Houthis control the Red Sea coastline. The official Western government line is that the ongoing airstrikes on Houthi targets are quite separate from the war in Gaza. They're a necessary and proportionate response to the unprovoked and unacceptable Houthi attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. In Yemen, the, wi the wider Arab world, uh, they are viewed rather differently. They are seen as the U.S. and U.K. joining in the Gaza war on the side of Israel since the Houthis have declared their actions to be in solidarity with Hamas and the people of Gaza. One theory even says the West is doing Netan's bidding. I mean, yeah, I mean, that thing, yeah, that's, that's pretty true. still possible that these airstrikes will have a chilling effect on the Houthis. They will certainly degrade their capacity to attack ships in the short term. The longer these airstrikes persist, the greater the risk the U.S. and U.K. get sucked into another conflict in Yemen. It's taken the Saudis more than eight years to extricate themselves from there after it intervened in the country's civil war, and the Houthis are now more entrenched than ever. About 15% of global seaborne trade passes through the Red Sea. This includes 8% of grain. 12% of oil, and 8% of natural gas. The U.S. says the group has so far attempted to attack and harass vessels in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden 28 times. Some major shipping companies have since ceased operations in the region, while insurance costs have risen 10 times since early December. London and Washington have backed Israel following the October 7th attacks by Hamas Israel's retaliatory military campaign of airstrikes and ground operations against Hamas in Gaza have killed almost 24,000 Palestinians so far, according to the Hamas-run health ministry, with thousands more believed to be dead under rubble. All right, well, there you go. We'll see what happens. Hopefully there's not going to be World War III. That's, uh, that's what I'm hoping, but uh, we'll have to see. All right, let's get to some more breaking news here. got some more breaking news from the internet from Gunfox. We have are, are, are the are the spammers back? Oh, I don't think so. Oh yeah, no spammers back. Okay, I'll, during the videos I'll I'll handle the spammers. They went away for a while. Now we got new spammers. All right, what are you going to do? Is this Reuters again? Yeah, why is Reuters having a problem in uh, whatever this browser is, but it should be fine in this one. Hold on, let me make sure I have the, uh, yeah, get the copy, do it in this one. All right, let's see what this Reuters article is. All right. The specter of Donald Trump hangs over Davos. Good, good. I, I, I want you to, to be afraid of Donald Trump. That sounds fantastic. Um... <clears throat> Oh, it's, oh, I don't know if it's a spammer because now he's talking. Okay, well, look, it, it, you can. Here's the thing, I don't mind if people post links. I had a problem before, and I forget what they were spamming. It was like some sort of gold thing, and they spammed it like every 15 seconds. So then the people reading the chat, it was nonstop spam. If you're gonna do like normal shit, and you just want to post like regular stuff, no problem. I have no problem with that. So maybe he's not a spammer, okay? Because spammers normally don't talk. Normally, they just create new accounts, and then it's like they just keep coming. 
Anyway, so, all right, that's fine. You want to post uh, regular new stuff? That's no problem. Um, okay. The most talked about person in Davos next week will be nowhere near the Swiss Mountain Resort. A politicians, financiers, and chief executives, as politicians, financiers, and chief executives, also known as Globo Homos, converge for this year's World Economic Forum. Donald Trump will be 7,500 kilometers away in Iowa, starting his quest to win the U.S. Republican Party's presidential nomination for the third time. Even so, his possible return to the White House will pervade Davos discussions on topics ranging from Ukraine, China, trade, and climate change. Trump is not the only prominent political figure absent from the gathering whose official theme is rebuilding trust. Previous attendees, such as Indian Prime Minister Modi, are also giving the event a pass, perhaps with an eye on an upcoming elections at home. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who is due to face voters in the coming 12 month, m- months, is another no-show. The 2,800 global homos who have made this trip will instead hear from Chinese Premier Li Kuang, French President Emmanuel Macron and newly elected Argentinian President Javier Malay. Secretary of State Blinken and Jake Sullivan, the White House National Security Advisor, will represent Joe Biden's government. Yet the specter of a second Trump administration will loom over many of the panels. Good. Oh, I want you to feel it. I want you to feel it. I hope it happens. Take Ukraine, whose homosexual cokehead president Vladimir Zelensky, who killed Coach Redpill, is due to address attendees on Tuesday. European diplomats fear a re-elected Trump would cut off American uh, aid supporting the country's war with Russia and that he may follow through on previous threats to withdraw from the NATO alliance. Any longer-term decisions about providing financial support for rebuilding Ukraine uh, or what to do with frozen frozen Russian financial assets will also hinge on who ends up in the White House. The World Economic Forum officials hope to use this year's gathering to explore ways to revive global trade, but any such initiative would be dead on arrival if the world's largest economy imposed a universal tariff on imported goods as the New York real estate mogul has threatened. Meanwhile, Trump's return could revive tensions with the EU. Good, fuck the EU undermining the Biden regime's efforts to lead allies in taking a tougher stance towards China, the world's second largest economy. Global efforts to combat climate change, which is totally made up, could similarly face resistance from a president who formally withdrew the United States from the Paris Climate Accord. Good. The Paris Climate Accord was a joke. China and India could pollute the shit out of the environment, but the United States had to stop doing shit. And obviously... Obviously, China loves the Paris Climate Accord because it allows them to catch up to us while we handcuff ourselves. Ridiculous bullshit. It should have never have been agreed to. And climate change isn't even real. So give me a break. Um, amusingly, the former commander-in-chief's name is missing from the WEF's 124-page Global Risks Report published on Wednesday. Even so, the prospect of another divisive U.S. election campaign dominated by accusations of fake news and featuring millions of voters who still believe Trump won four years ago. Yeah, if you count the legal votes, he won. If you count all the votes, Biden won. But if you take out the illegal votes, then Trump won. It's very simple. I think you should only count legal votes. That's how I was raised to to view the situation. You should only count legal ballots, but apparently that's all out the window now. And it's probably one reason why respondents listed misinformation and disinformation as the most severe risk facing the planet. (laughs) 
No, 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 no. Assholes. That's the biggest risk to you and your agenda. And what it is, is true information that is inconvenient to their agenda. And they don't want people talking about true things on the internet. So they label true things, misinformation and disinformation. And then they don't want people to talk about it. Trump's electoral prospects, as well as uh, his legal woes, will receive more candid airing during private discussions that will take place at the events, hotels, restaurants, and uh, kid-fucking events. Uh, yet business leaders uh, th uh, through the corridors of the conference center, including J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon and a bunch of other global homos, will have plenty of other issues on their minds, such as the future direction of inflation, shifting uh, supply chains, and having enough cocaine for their homosexual prostitutes. Indeed, uh, AI has displaced cryptocurrencies as the hot technology topic with many discussions due to explore the revolutionary potential of self-teaching computer systems. It remains to be seen whether delegates will spend as much time considering AI's impact on the livelihoods of millions of white-collar workers. The consensus that emerges from Davos's echo chamber every January tends to be a notoriously unreliable guide for the year ahead. The gathering also has a poor record of assessing Trump. Eight years ago, delegates mostly dismissed the idea that the former reality star could win the election. One year later, shortly after Trump's surprise victory in 2016, the Davos crowd persuaded itself that he would be a pragmatic leader and surround himself with capable people. The president's public antipathy to the forces of globalization exemplified by the WEF, did not prevent him from traveling to Davos in 2018 to tout his America First worldview, prompting other countries to launch similar campaigns. Yeah, I've seen people argue, and, and look, I think people, if you want to criticize Trump, that's no problem, but I've seen the argument of like, Trump gave a speech at the World Economic Forum. Yeah, did you hear the speech? Did you listen to it? He said a bunch of shit to piss them off. He went to Davos and gave them the middle finger. I don't think that's bad. You're better up bringing up Israel and shit like that than, than this. I don't really think, I mean, whatever, bring up what you want. But, uh, I mean, he did, I will say this. It's not made up that he went to the, to, to, he did go to Davos. That is true. It's not made up. So it's not like a made up manufactured media lie. But, you know, you, you should listen to the speech because, you know, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Two years later, he showed up to boast about the booming U.S. economy weeks before the Ching Chong AIDS. Oh, they knew. They knew. They knew they had him with that. Well, uh, whether Trump visits Davos as U.S. president again will depend on American voters. Yet delegates gathering next week will find it hard to avoid discussing the possibility of a comeback. This time, they're less likely to make the mistake of underestimating his chances of victory, nor the disruptive impact that they have on the world. Now, I notice this article omits disease X. That is the next gay up, I believe. Um, uh, I believe one of the things that they're going to talk about is disease X, which is probably going to be the next bioweapon that they release on the public. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that's not what happened. But it's, you know, pretty solid uh, circumstantial evidence that uh, COVID-19 was a bioweapon that was deliberately released. And then you could also argue that the vaccine was also a bioweapon. So, you know... I, I hope that somehow there's a big misunderstanding and none of that's true. We'll have to see. Hopefully there is no disease X and, you know, it's just because uh, it's only supposed to be once every hundred years. What is it going to be once every three, four years? They release some bullshit and then try to lock everyone down. I hope not. 
I sincerely hope not. Okay. <clears throat> Very good. That was breaking news from the internet. And again, sincerely appreciate the support. So, uh, and again, a uh, shout out to whoever came up with the concept of having people send in articles. So how it works, uh, if you want an article read on stream, 10 and up, details in the description on Rumble. It used to be, the details used to be in the description of YouTube, but now I'm not allowed to post links on YouTube anymore because my account was demoted. But anyway, what are you going to do? Fuck YouTube. YouTube is asshole. Let's go to... Um, the next video, and then after this video, I will uh, read uh, Super Chats. We're going to go here with uh, David Pakman uh, is saying that Ron DeSantis is floating the idea of removing Joe Biden from the ballot. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and, uh, who's I'll also running for the Republican nomination in 2024, is now jumping on the what might we be able to do to Joe Biden bandwagon of sorts. We heard from the failed former president, Donald Trump. What about indicting Biden? What about impeaching Biden? What about weaponizing the Department of Justice against Joe Biden? Well, now Ron DeSantis has an idea up his sleeve. The idea is, well, what about removing Biden from the ballot because undocumented immigrants have entered the United States? <laughs> and you might say, but David, didn't undocumented immigrants enter the United States when Trump was president as well? And of course, the answer is yes. Here is genius Ron DeSantis with this brilliant idea. This is just going to be a tit for tat and it's just not going to end well. You could make a case and we're actually I'm actually looking at this in Florida now. Could we make a credible case that Biden because of the invasion of eight million? Um, and again, I don't think that's the, the right way to do. It. OK, so because he's so uncharismatic and and just, you know, his communication is just such a disaster. You might not it might not be evident what he's suggesting when he says tit for tat, but it's actually the crux of this entire thing. What DeSantis is suggesting is that the efforts to remove Trump from the ballot so far in Michigan and Colorado, but potentially elsewhere. He's suggesting that those are merely political. We don't like Trump. We want to get him off the ballot. So what can we do? Oh, we'll use this 14th Amendment thing to do it. And so if that's tit, we can do tat. And tat would be if they remove Trump, then we remove Biden. Now, the uh, before we even analyze the idea of why they would do it, this isn't tit. For so, I, I, you know, I think it's the Italian in me because uh, that's much too tame for tat. Now, with Italians, if you take one of ours, we have to take two of yours. So my definition of tat would be um, putting you all in prison. That's tat for me. That would be where I'm at with that. Um, now, granted, if tat does become removing Biden from the ballot, I won't oppose that. I'll go, oh, that's kind of funny. Ha <laughs> ha. But um, Tat, in, in, in my view, is uh, putting uh, all of these people, including David Pakman, in prison. But, you know, I'm one person. You know, maybe, maybe I'm being unreasonable. It's very possible. I'm, maybe, maybe my perception is being skewed. But that's, uh, that's my definition of Tat. Tat. It's not tit for tit. It's not tat for tat. It's none of it. It's what is Section 3 of no, the 14th? It's tit for burying you under jail amendment say has nothing to do with anybody other than Donald Trump and his actions around January 6th. Based on what Section 3 says, Donald Trump is not eligible 
to hold elected office. That's it. It's not tit. Okay. So then DeSantis says 8 million people came into the United States under Biden. So couldn't we in Florida remove him for that reason? Now, we won't even delve into the reality that Florida is not a border state. So why are we even talking about yeah, that? Because the illegals can't go to any other states. Republicans love to say every state is now a border state under the dystopia of Joe Biden or whatever the case may be. They see all of this merely as politics. Whereas there are people, including I know many of you because you write to me about it, who say I would actually rather just beat Trump at the ballot box. I don't like the idea of defeating those who I believe would would be worse for the country politically. I don't like the idea of defeating them by removing them from the ballot. I would rather just beat them at the ballot box. But it's not up to us to choose when what Trump did violates Section three. That's a lie. Blatant lie of the 14th Amendment. It's it just is what it is. Last thought on this. Of course, Biden has had nothing to do with removing Trump from the primary ballot in Maine or in Colorado. It has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Yeah, there's no nothing to do with Joe Biden at all. Evidence linking Joe Biden. No evidence at all to it. Just as there is no evidence linking Joe Biden to the indictments of Donald Trump. Yeah, especially not any sort of, you know, New York Times article about Biden leaning on Merrick Garland and definitely nothing that Joe Biden has said publicly in press conferences or anything. But that's the other layer of this where DeSantis is. Well, if Biden removes Trump, then maybe DeSantis will remove Biden. They don't have any evidence of that either. All of this is built out of thin air. Hopefully you're yelling. There's no evidence at all while you're being yeeted into the sun on the idea that anything that has happened to Trump, thanks to Trump's actions, they will try to do to Biden, but not because of Biden's actions, simply for political gain. It's not just Trump who has these ideas. DeSantis has them as well. All right, let me uh, read some of these super chats. We're currently taking them through Streamlabs. Link in the description on uh, Rumble. Uh, again, I can't put them in YouTube anymore, though I can post I can post links on YouTube. I, 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 I have to look into getting a bot for the YouTube chat. I think, uh, I, I, think I, I can post links. I can't pin them. It's the dumbest shit ever. Anyway, link to Streamlabs in the description. Also, it's at the top of the screen. Uh, we're also taking them through Entropy, link in the description. And we're also taking Rumble Rants on Rumble. Um, one of the other ways that you can support the channel is on Subscribestar, subscribestar.com slash hard-bastard. We've had a couple of projects that we've done. Um, uh, some of which have been ideas from the audience in which we did a thing where if we get a certain amount of subscribers between, you know, Subscribestar, the Rumble subscription or the uh, YouTube soft gentleman bathhouse, then uh, the first one was uh, my leftist homosexual brother, the soft gentleman would write a book. He would write a guide on how to be a virtuous liberal. That is available because we reached that threshold. And again, thank you, everybody that supported that campaign. I guess we can call it a campaign. And the link to that guide is in the description on Rumble. Then we did one where I wrote a guide on how to spot liars, how to determine if someone's lying, and also put in what I view as a universal hard bastard truth 
of humanity or whatever I labeled it. I forget what it was. And this is going to be, so this guide is a multi-volume guide. The first guide is out. You can, I also switched the link because I, I tried to use the link that I gave the other night and uh, it seemed to take a long time. So there's a new one. Hopefully that one works if you had trouble downloading it. But you can go to rumble, rumble.com slash user slash hard news network. Click the description and it will list both guides. You can download them for free via PDF. I will say um, the soft gentleman's one is formatted a lot better, a lot more coherent because people volunteered and cleaned up what was an atrocious monstrosity of writing. And uh, I, the one uh, that I have uh, uh, written is also an atrocious monstrosity. Now, that's just a coincidence that we both have the same level of grasp of grammar and all of those things. And so if anyone wants to do the, the prerequisite uh, formatting or whatever, feel free. And you can send it to hardnewsnetwork at gmail.com. Um, now, for the next campaign, I, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do. I, I have an idea. I'm still kicking it around, and I'm still kind of like trying to work it out. But this time, I don't think it'll be a guide or a book. I think it's going to be... Uh, uh, something else and so but it'll be kind of like rolled out as like a test thing and if the audience likes it and if the audience supports it then we'll do it and then if not then we won't do it and we'll do something else that's generally how I do things on here I kind of just sometimes people make suggestions and we float it out there sometimes I come up with the idea and we float it out there and if it gets support we do it and if it doesn't no big deal we'll try something else so I would say probably within the next week or so, I'll have a better grasp on this idea that I'm kicking around. And it's, of course, it's related to news and what I do here. It's nothing like, it's, it's all within the wheelhouse of everything that we do here. So if you like this show, there's a solid chance you'll like uh, what, what I'm possibly working on. But we'll see. Anyway. So be on the lookout for that. Let me read some of these. This is, what, the 13th, right? January 13th. Rosie Palms says, uh, are you the master of your domain, HB? How about you, chat? All right, Rosie Palms here is asking, are you a master of your domain? I imagine referencing one of the greatest Seinfeld episodes of all time. And I would say, uh, I, um, I, <clears throat> how do I even put this? I try to take care of business as quickly and efficiently as possible. Um, and if I'm utilizing, you know, a, a porn site, for example, I try to get in and out within 15 minutes. And the reason I do that is because if you don't keep it quick in and out, then you're going to be on there for a while. Aimless browsing on porn sites can eat up hours of time. And that's just no good. So I, you know, I just, I'm not, so in and out, I try to be in and out in 15 minutes and that usually works, usually works and it's, uh, it's fine. I'm not uh, one of these uh, no fat people. I don't even know how you would do that. Now, if you want to do that, that's no problem. And I think it's weird when, remember when Rolling Stone wrote the article condemning uh, um, people for not wanting to jerk off the porn? That's weird. See, this is the thing, like, I don't give a shit what you do. I think it's weird if people give a shit what I do. I, I think it's just weird. It's like, it's like same with like what you eat and drink. I don't fucking give a shit. So like, you know, whether what you do in that regard, I really have no interest at all whatsoever. But what's even more bizarre than that is when leftists, and they've, they've printed this in Rolling Stone, they said it was anti-Semitic, 
anti-Semitic to not jerk off the porn. Now, you know, are you like, are you trying to play into the meme and the stereotype about the porn industry being run by Jews? Which I think a lot of that is actually true. You can shoot me. Okay, you can shoot me for saying it, but I do believe a lot of that is is true. I don't know if every single pornographer in the history of pornography is a Jew, um, but there are definitely Jews who, like the Pornhub, is not Pornhub owned by a rabbi? Why would you own Pornhub as a rabbi? Isn't the Old Testament very much against that? You know, in the Old Testament, because they don't believe in the New Testament, they believe in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was very harsh. You could be executed by, for gathering sticks on the Sabbath. So apparently, if you needed sticks, maybe you forgot to get sticks the next day or the previous day, and you're like, oh, fuck, I forgot to gather sticks. And then you wanted to go gather sticks. Well, if it's the Sabbath, you're going to be killed. So how do you square that with owning a pornography site? I don't know. I have no idea. But anyway, I don't know how I got on that. Oh, yeah, no, because Rolling Stone is trying to, I guess, play into the stereotype. I don't know what they're doing. But they said it was anti-Semitic for these people on these forums who were trying to because you know regardless of where you stand on the issue there are some people that can form addictions there are some people that are affected very negatively uh, uh they can also be very compulsive about it and so you had some people who had issues like that who came together in a forum and tried to like help each other uh, break various habits in that regard okay that's a good thing that's not a bad thing if something's affecting you negatively yeah don't do it and uh, Rolling Stone did a hit piece. They're like, how dare these guys do this? And they called them anti-Semitic. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, are you a master domain? I'm, I'm more like Kramer. You know, it was, it was like 15 minutes. He was like, I'm out. <laughs> so Gajatson says, uh, HB, these lunatic tranny pedos and the elites controlling them are almost at the level of uh, Zany from South Park. Does that say Zany? What does that say? Zany... Or uh, as South Park, as the episode where Chef dies and then he joins a group that travels the world having sex with kids, thinking that by doing it you gain immortality. I don't think I've ever seen that episode. By the way, I did see a recent episode, and it's it's one of the newest ones, and I was pleasantly surprised. Um, it was the episode where. Um, I love the episodes with all the handicapped kids because they're fucking hilarious. And the way that they're all written, I think it's it's some of my favorite shit out there. So Timmy, Timmy is the funniest character. Timmy's one of my favorite characters of all time. I remember when Timmy debuted in the late 90s. My friends and I were sending each other um, small clips of Timmy through like... What was it? Remember Real Player? Remember Real Player? What 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 file was Real Player? Like R A? I don't even remember. There was a video form. We were and it would take like two hours to download like a thirty second uh, uh, video. But we kept sending each other the clips because it was the, to us it was the funniest shit ever. Timmy's I love Timmy. Anyway, it was this episode. It was a new one where Timmy starts an Uber. Like, a, like, a, like, and he's, he's using his wheelchair to drive people around in wagons. It's fucking hilarious. So then, because I had criticism of, of uh, South Park during COVID, I thought they did not do their normal making fun of everybody. And I like, I have, I like when they make fun of everybody because that no one's above being made fun of, but you have to do it 
the right way. You can't pull punches. And they pulled punches, making fun of the COVID liberals. They made fun of, fun of them a little, little bit, but the way they made fun of the, the anti-vax people was gay. It was just not their typical... It just didn't... It just. It, I was like, oh, this is bullshit. They're scared. Well, it seems like they're back to normal because there was a clip where... So this other handicapped guy, this kid with Down syndrome, who's like this evil villain... He's trying to sabotage Timmy's business. And so he he gets a job with, with Timmy's like Uber service and he picks up what looks like a woman and then he's trying to like get uh, Timmy in trouble. So he wants to cause like a controversy and make it seem like Timmy's drivers are sexual harassers. So this Down Syndrome kid says to the passenger something like, can I show you my dick? And in a really deep voice, it turns out that the passenger was a tranny and the tra tranny's like, oh, I'm gonna show you mine or something like that. And then the tranny takes the handicapped kid to a public restroom and rapes him. I, I was blown away by that. That is fucking savage. That is, that is the savagery that I expect from the old school South Park. And I was like, holy shit. In 2023, they fucking made a joke about a tranny raping in a bathroom. I was like, this is back. I'm like, this is back to normal. This is fantastic. So I was very pleased. And then I saw there was an episode where they, they had um, the, the homosexual guy that became Trump. And uh, they had him doing like these rallies. And the way it was done was so over the top, it actually made me laugh. And I was like, okay. I'm like, they're back. I think they're back. I do think they're back to normal because, like I said, the, when the way they made fun of Trump and his rallies was, like, so ridiculous. It was, like, way over the top. And it was, like, it was, I, I, to me, it was funny. And I was like, okay, cool. This is good. I'm glad to see that. But I, I was so pleased by that fucking tranny joke. I was like, this is what I'm talking about. I'm surprised that they didn't get in trouble for it. Maybe they will. That would see. I really would like that. I would like more controversy because they're probably going to lose that public battle with South Park because most people like South Park, and it's like the one kind of it's one of the few shows that can get away with shit like that. So if the trannies took another public loss against South South Park in public, I think that would lessen a little bit of their power, just like the losses they take with Dave Chappelle when he makes fun of them. Anyway, very pleased with the latest. Or I don't think it's the latest, but it was it, the, the episode was new to me. It probably came out a year ago, but I was very pleased with it. All right, let's see here. Next one, we have uh, Silky Johnson says, Do you think the Jew tunnels were a secret area where they could suck the blood out of the baby penis? Or were they building them to find the Ninja Turtles? Because Splinter knew the real threat was the Jew. And to them, rats know where they keep the Jew gold. Oh, man, I didn't know Splinter. Splinter is threatened by the Jews. I didn't even know any of that. Um, so he here's the problem. Wouldn't it be nice if the idea of so anyone, and this is horrible, it sounds horrible, but, you know, this is what happens. It's terrible. I wish it didn't happen. So what do you do? You know, it would be nice if I lived in a world where after a super chat like that, I could go, what a preposterous thing to say. Nobody's sucking baby penis. That's crazy. But what do we have? We have a ritual amongst... Now, this is not all the Jews. This is a small sect, as I understand it, 
And if I'm wrong about that, let me know. But there is a sect, a sect, S-E-C-T, of Jews who perform circumcisions by somehow, I don't even know, I don't know what the, the procedure is, but all I know is a rabbi's mouth ends up on the cut baby penis. And how do I know this? Because there's a horrible story from years ago where a baby died of, I don't know, hepatitis or something from the mouth of the rabbi. Now look, I'm for religious freedom. You got to fucking stop that shit. That's not religious freedom. That's total insanity. I would argue if Christians were doing that, which they're not, but if they were doing that, I'd be like, you got to stop that. If you found me some fucking Christian cult or something that was doing shit like that, I would have the same argument. Just like I have the same argument against the muzzies. Stop cutting the clitorises off of your children, okay? You're going to have to stop that. You want to go do that in Muhammad land, go ahead. But in America, you shouldn't be able to do that. That's ridiculous. And now some of you might say, well, what about circumcision? Okay, that's fine. Ban that too. I don't care. No skin off my... Oh, well, actually, that's not true. It was skin. It was, it was skin off my back, so to speak. But anyway... So, so then, so we have that as something that a sect does. And now what else do we have in this tunnel story where I can't dismiss this, this super chat as preposterous? Well, you do have a bloody mattress. Um, now, someone I thought was interesting and they were like, no, that's actually a shit stained mattress. Oh, I, I thought it was blood. Could it be shit? Maybe it's shit. Um... But, uh, and then, was it the Crescent signs? Did you see the person defending the mattress? Who was it? Um, I think it was one of the Krasensteins. They were like, why don't you check your mattress and see what it looks like? I can assure you that my mattress does not look like that. Okay, I don't know what you're doing on mattresses. Okay, I don't have blood at all on a mattress. And I'm thinking about it, I'm like... I don't know if I've ever had blood on a mattress that I can think of. Maybe like like a small amount from like a nosebleed or something, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a giant fucking blood stain. Anyway, hopefully it, there's all the uh, innocent explanation for all this. But man, that's uh, that's not a good thing. That's not tunnels and fucking bloody mattresses. That's not good. But they did say, well, these extremist teens, that's their, that's their verbiage, extremist Jewish teens hired Mexicans to dig the holes, and the Mexicans were the ones sleeping down there. And, and so I don't know why they said, like, wh why? Because the, of the stain, you, you're going to argue it was Mexicans? That seems a little racist, you know, if you believe in the concept of racism. Oh, man. Anyway. What a, what a story. What a story for 2024. Now, Silky says, HB, I typically like to add after a fair trial when it comes to my extreme ideas for punishment for people. However, I too am okay with the sheriff from the Devil's Rejects approach. I also love how you think the unholy two are dead and their shit talking is real. The unholy two, uh, the unholy two are dead. Who's the unholy two? Is that from the Devil's Rejects? My issue with the movie, it's actually not with the movie at all. I think it's a perfect movie. I think the ending is perfect. I just don't accept that there's, there would of course not be a sequel. If he wanted to make a prequel, that would, fine, make a prequel. There's no sequel to that movie. How do you have a sequel after an ending like that? Don't ruin my favorite kind. It, look, it's an old movie, and if you don't want it spoiled, then I guess fast forward. Why well, can't? Well, I guess just don't listen to this part. 
My favorite kind of movie endings is when everyone dies. I love that because in American movies, you rarely get that. In American movies, you always usually get the happy ending. And I don't mind that sometimes, but it's too much. And in fact, the way, if you recall, there's this movie, there's this cop movie that completely ruined it with, with a guy who clearly died being alive at the end. It was with Jake Gyllenhaal. It was actually a pretty good movie. I think it was called The Watch. And I, and I remember, he, he, it looks like he, he gets shot and killed. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, this movie, if he's dead, this is a great movie. And of course, they had him show up at the end. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's why, I don't igno- it's why my interpretation of the third Batman movie is that he clearly died. Batman dies at the end of that movie. If he doesn't die, the whole trilogy goes out the window. If he did die, it's the greatest trilogy of all time, in my opinion. I think he died. How the hell are you going to survive that? Nuclear bomb? There's no way he survived that. Anyway, whatever. So but getting back to the Devil's Rejects, obviously they all get shot to death at the end. And they play, what are they playing? Freebird? That is a beautiful ending. I love that ending. That is fucking fun. Because I didn't like, you know, this is the thing. I don't like them. I don't like the Fireflies. I think they're murderous pieces of shit. That's why I rooted for the Sheriff the whole time. They're entertaining. Don't get me wrong. Otis is one of the most entertaining motherfuckers ever. Bill Mosley. I love that guy. That guy's a great fucking actor. He played the crazy brother in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. That, that was phenomenal. But um, they're horrible people. They just kill innocent people in a very entertaining way. So having them all get what they deserve at the end, that's the perfect ending. I was hoping they would get what they deserve halfway from the sheriff, because I like that sheriff. That sheriff was awesome. But uh, he, you know, you know what the problem was? He should have just immediately killed them all when he had the chance, but he fucked around, and then the guy that's burned, who's real tall, he, you know, he helped them anyway. Great movie, though. Not for everybody. I will say this. That movie is not for everybody. So just, you know, don't say I didn't warn you. There's some disturbing shit in it. <clears throat> of course, some of you, that's nothing. You'd be like, what are you talking about? All right, let's see. Next one. Um, Michelle Kincaid says they are really amping up the danger and assassination narrative. Yeah, they really are. This is why I don't believe these threats are real. Anyone who follows politics close enough knows who the judges are. And the different cases against Trump knows that Republicans can't get away with shit. Anybody that would be upset enough with the judge, with the perv judge to threaten him would be fully aware that Republicans are being targeted. They would know all about the J6 defendants and their extreme sentences. We have to walk a fine line uh, and try not to attract too much attention. Most of us are too afraid to go to a protest. That's true. They really did a number on us with J6. So no, I don't believe Trump supporters are willy-nilly sending in death threats. It's bullshit, and it's a tool to shut us up and to keep us in check. A few of them may be from nut jobs or drunks, but the majority are fake. Yeah, that one, they arrested the woman. Um, she left a message for, for Chuck, and she was clearly drunk. I do remember that one. Also referring to softy stream slash fake Jesse Jackson segment, Sodom and Gomorrah. I could be wrong, but didn't the word sodomy derive from Sodom and Gomorrah? I believe so. Yeah, I believe that's correct. And this is the thing. This is the thing. I don't give a shit if a person's gay. I don't hold the biblical view on homosexuality. I'm not a Christian. But to pretend that what is in the Bible is not in the Bible is very ridiculous and dishonest. And I'm not saying you have to. You can believe whatever you want. And if you are a Christian, 
I don't, you can have whatever interpretation, but they're just pretending that like, oh yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because they weren't hospitable. They completely ignore everything Paul said about homosexuality. They act like Jesus was in disagreement with his father on, on homosexuality. It's insanity. Now look, there's interpretations that I think are more reasonable than others, like where, you know, they have a long, Christians have a long list of things that they view as sins, many of which you can understand why they would view them as sins, especially things like theft, adultery, um, <clears throat> not really feeling the fornication one, but whatever, it's it's to each his own, If it, it's up to you. I'm not coming into your church to tell you to accept, that, that's the thing, like, the LGBT are going into the churches and demanding that the Christians accept their way of life. That's completely insane, and they should stop doing that. Um, but they have a. The, I think the most reasonable interpretation, if you even give give a shit, is uh, is uh, the um, hate the sin, love the sinner. I think that's very reasonable. I think that's a very reasonable compromise. I think there's biblical precedent to it. There's plenty of Christians that have. Um, issues with a variety of sins some of it is it could be drinking gambling could be homosexuality could be adultery could be you like whores okay but you're trying not to fuck whores you're trying to not uh, uh suck cock uh, and you're you're taking your religion seriously and you're doing that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and they act like you're almost committing a crime if you do that and so one of the things they argue is that not only is the Bible neutral about homosexuality, it's almost pro-homosexuality, which again, it's not, it's not. So yeah, I really have a problem with the LGBT bullying Christians, because I hate, everyone hates bullies, mostly. And like, there's just something so fucked up about going into a church and demanding that the Christians in that church abide by your lifestyle. It's their church. It's not your church. If you want to start your fucking, your own faggot church, feel free. You know, if I wanted to start some sort of, I mean, I wouldn't, but I'm saying like, if I wanted to start my own thing and then people came in and told me what to do, I would tell them to fuck off, but it's the same principle. And they, and they have gone, how many churches have they gone into? I'm almost refreshed when I see a church who, who is actually, because this is the thing, I know it's one thing, like, I'm not talking about if you allow gay people in your church. That's not what I'm talking about. There's plenty, there's churches that allow gay people. That's not the issue. I'm talking about the ones that put up LGBT propaganda in their church. That is crazy. That's crazy. Because you could certainly, I think, legitimately debate, like, I think some real strict Christian churches would not, they would kick gay people out of their church. Other ones would view it from the standpoint of hate the sin, love the sinner, so the gay people would be welcomed. But that is totally separate. That's a completely separate debate from what you're seeing with, like, got the drag queens giving sermons, talking, likening, transitioning to the blood of Jesus. Like, could you be more blasphemous? This would be like getting in front of Muslims and talking about, oh, I love bacon, I'll rub it all over my face, and you need to rub bacon all over yourself, you have to eat bacon, and you, and then, and Muhammad is some, I don't know what the hell is with Muhammad as far as like, is there like a holy spirit in Islam? I don't know, but saying that like, whatever the holiest thing in Islam is, is like sodomy. Yeah, I don't think the Muslims would like that very much, and I don't think they would tolerate that. Crazy, it's fucking crazy. Anyway, all right, let's see. Oh, yeah, and. Uh, 
what you said previously here about these threats. Yeah, the easiest way to determine where it would be obvious if a Trump supporter actually threatened Judge Engeron is they would have him arrested in front of all of us. There is not a chance on earth that a Trump supporter right now would get away with an actual threat to Judge Engeron. There's no way. They would arrest him immediately. Someone sent me an article last stream of a guy who's getting two years in prison. He almost got four. Two years in prison prison for what seemed like, while certainly not not the best idea, not a good thing to do, but, but sent a bunch of hyperbolic messages to people, you know, rude and mean and whatever you want to call them, but vast majority of them, other than one that I would argue are protected, uh, there is one I'm not sure about. I would like to see someone who is like an expert on speech uh, give their opinion on that. The, uh, the one where, uh, I, fr I forget, I made the analogy, like if this threat was given to me by someone in my apartment complex, I would take that as a threat. The internet's a little different. So this was like over the phone, I think, and not the internet. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any distinction. I would imagine eminence does have something to do with whether it's in person or over the internet or something, but I, I don't know. But anyway, the point you're making, and I agree with, is that, uh, yeah, if these were real, they would be lining up the Trump supporters and they would say, look, this guy, you know, fake name, Bob Johnson, he called Judge Engeron. And then this, because they did have the woman, she was clearly drunk. And look, she shouldn't have done it, but she called up um, Chuckin and they arrested her. And, uh, and, and of course, they don't arrest the people once in a while. But usually you got to do something like that crazy lady that sent letters with like some sort of substance. Uh, there was a woman from Canada that got arrested and prosecuted because she sent letters with a substance. Uh, I think the substance ended up being fake or maybe not. I don't know. But she got she got uh, uh, arrested and that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. She, she wanted to uh, either kill Trump or was she was like a, an anti-Trump lunatic. They did actually prosecute her. I don't remember what the sentence was. It might have been lighter than you would see a, a Trump supporter get. Um, and then there was the woman that was visited by... The, right after they killed the guy in Utah for posting uh, hyperbolic memes, there was a woman who um, said a bunch of hyperbolic shit about Trump, but they didn't raid her house guns blazing like they did the veteran in Utah. They knocked on her door and had a very low, low escalation type of interaction. And I think they ended up arresting her. But anyway, yeah, they would absolutely have these people front and center on the media if these were actual real threats. Hey, terrific, Eisenstein. So it's just when all hope was lost for the people of the internet to say nigger faggot on the internet. A total nigger faggot comes along named Rob Smith. Oh, this is beautiful. This is one of my favorite stories of the month. And acts like a total nigger faggot and gives the ability for people to say nigger faggot without actually saying nigger faggot. And then he writes, nigger faggot, exclamation point, unquote. Yes, Rob Smith is a uh, ridiculous grifter. He is a ridiculous grifter. And um, he tried to do a Jesse Smollett. Now, Jesse Smollett is a stupid motherfucker. Um, Rob Smith is dumber than Jesse Smollett because at least Je Jesse Smollett didn't video record, as far as I'm aware, his fake hate crime. Um, Rob Smith recorded 
um, some gripers calling him a faggot and saying other things. I didn't hear the word nigger. He said the word nigger was said. I did not hear that. I heard faggot. I didn't hear nigger. Again, both things are protected. And he claimed, he went on CNN and claimed that he was the victim of a hate crime. That's not how any of this works. <clears throat> People saying mean things to you and calling you out for being a ridiculous person, that's not a hate crime. So then the guys over at Revenge of the Sis, they came up with this thing that Rob Smith is such a nigger faggot that you have to almost redefine, not redefine, you just need to come up with a better word. And the better word is Rob Smith. So instead of calling people nigger faggots, you say, hey, look at that Rob Smith. And that's fantastic because that does allow people now to say nigger faggot freely on the internet. So I fully support this effort. Uh, I've used it already. I forget who I designated as a Rob Smith. Um, there was, oh yeah, um, <clears throat> the guy uh, the guy on MSNBC. Did you see the guy crying about January 6th? I forget his name. Jonathan something. He's this real Rob Smith on uh, MSNBC. And he was acting like a Rob Smith by crying. He was interviewing that uh, homosexual lying cop, Pomone or whatever his name is. And uh, he started crying. Jonathan Capehart. That's the uh, Rob Smith's name. Jonathan Capehart. And, uh, and so, yeah, I retweeted and I said, look at this. What a Rob Smith. So, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a fan of that. Hopefully that catches on. It is uh, it's absolutely fantastic. I also like, and I've seen it from the, the faggot girl number two, the Hispanic girl, uh, uh, Perez. So there's a couple of girls I call faggot girls because they have multiple times said faggot on the Internet and they've tripled down and they're not apologizing. And I, I endorse that. They have my full endorsement. I don't care what part of one of them does video games. One of them does commentary. The Hispanic girl seems based. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I'm not really, I don't know a lot about her. But I think she works for Stu Peters. I, Stu Peters is pretty good, I think. He's very, uh, he could be very harsh, but uh, but um, I, I think he's right, you know, about, uh, what does he call it, extreme, um, what does he call Not extreme justice, extreme accountability. I, I'm on board. I'm on board. You can sign me up. Anyway, so... What she does is when she writes faggot, she will, um, I guess there's an emoji with a letter. I have. To, I don't really use emojis. I'd have to look through. I don't really know how to do this. I imagine it's easy to figure out. But you just, you write F-A-G and then your other G has to be an emoji and then you write O-T and the, the uh, AIDS-filled algorithm or whatever detects uh, uh, naughty words, gamer words on Twitter, which there shouldn't be that if it's a free speech site, but it is what it is. It can't detect it, which is good. I, I, I like that. So any sort of way to try to trick the system into allowing you to say gamer words or depending on how you view it, your religious ritual words, because some people it's a religious ritual to use these words and they should be allowed to speak freely and to censor them is religious persecution. It's, it's, uh, it's unacceptable. Let my people go, Elon. Um, anyway, yeah, Rob Smith. It's fantastic. Rob Smith is a Rob Smith. Okay, let's see here. We have Aidsorific Aidsenstein. <clears throat> says, Trump answered the abortion question masterfully. You could tell he was sincere, too, because at the end of the answer, he said, but in the end, you have to go with your heart to the lady. I will tell you, tr Trump... I have never seen Trump disrespect a voter. I've never seen Trump disrespect a voter. I have seen Biden disrespect voters. I've seen Nikki Haley disrespect voters. I've seen DeSantis disrespect voters. I've not seen Vivek 
but disrespect voters either. Trump, but Trump's been doing this for almost a decade as far as politically. I, I have never seen him disrespect voters. I think he respects voters. I think uh, um, I thought that interaction was fine. I have no problem with that woman if she's not pleased with his personal position on it, where he agrees with some exceptions. I don't have a problem if a person disagrees with that. My argument is that it's unreasonable to act like he's a baby killer after the guy was one of the key reasons that the Roe v. Wade reversal was delivered. That seems to be crazy. And it makes me wonder, and I don't really know who this woman is, is she a DeSantis plant, if that's her position? If her position is, hey, we disagree, because look, there's plenty of Republicans that disagree on this subject. Some want a full and total ban, and some want a, a, a six-week ban. And Trump has pointed out that this debate exists. It does exist. There's nothing you can do. There are people that disagree. So what do they have to do? They have to figure it out. They have to negotiate. There's no other way to do it. You're going to have to negotiate. And that's what Trump says. I think he's completely correct about that. And I also think that that when when they try to kill him over his comments about some of the elections being lost, they ignore a key part of that, which was the strategical disaster that was Lindsey Graham having a press conference right after Roe v. Wade is reversed. Right after uh, Republicans argued that it has to be handled by the states. And even if you don't agree with that and you want it to be done federally, optically, that is the worst time to say that. The worst, right before the midterms, the worst possible time to come out with a press conference about your federal ban. That was, I'm telling you, that was sabotage. Ladybug man sabotaged Republicans with that. I'm not saying that that's solely responsible for the poor polling or, or any of the losses, but that is a factor that should be brought up. Fuck Lindsey Graham. He's an asshole. Anyway, okay, let's see here. We have, um, okay, let me go to uh, Entropy here, and then we'll get back to some videos. All right, now let's see. Um, this is, where are we are? One second. I think it's still active. Is Entropy still active? I think so. Okay. Um, here we go. We got Mojack420. says, it's minus 12 here with a minus 20 degree wind chill. So I say, come here, illegals. I double dog dare you. That is insane. I think the cold, you know, I, I've, I've said this before. I don't know what's going on with the weather, but the weathers when I was younger, the weathers, the winters, the winters when I was younger were so much more severe than anything that's happened over the past at least decade here. I remember, first of all, blizzards. Now, maybe it's because I was a smaller person when I was like a kid, and maybe that's why the blizzards seemed to be way, way bigger. But just from the standpoint of like getting in the minus, I remember in like 93, there was a run where, first of all, we had an ice storm that was so crazy. And I was out of cigarettes. I was smoking cigarettes at the time, a long time ago, and I was out of cigarettes. So I had to get cigarettes. It took me three hours to walk to Dunkin' Donuts, which usually takes took 15 minutes. No, if wherever I was walking, the ice was so crazy that even if there was like the slightest hill, no matter what, you were just sliding down the hill. And also the the snow, like it wasn't, you know, sometimes when it's like that, if there's like a decent amount of snowfall, you can just jam your feet in the snow and get traction. But that's not, it, it, that didn't work. So it was a fucking, it was unlike any ice storm I'd ever seen. And then I remember 
there were there was like a a period of time where it was so fucking cold it was like that it was like minus eight minus 12 now like a lunatic because when you're young you do crazy shit what did i do at two o'clock in the morning i rode around on a bike and i just bundled up because i i well part of it is i was out of weed and i was jonesing for weed and because back then, you know, we don't have this anymore. You used to have dry spells where like your dealers couldn't get weed. That's at least what I experienced. This was like the 90s. So you would have these periods of time where you couldn't buy weed. Now that's fucking out the window. You can go outside and weed will fall, fall out of the sky. Um, and so to kind of keep active and to take my mind off of the withdrawal that I was having, it wasn't like crazy withdrawal, but there is withdrawal. You can be addicted to weed. It's, it's definitely mentally. Uh, yeah, I drove around in like minus 10 degree uh, weather like a lunatic. Anyway, that's what that reminded me of. Uh, Eric Gasse said, just had a disturbing thought about the fuss they're making about Trump's presidential immunity. Eventually, they'll let it happen. And when it comes out that Biden was the one of the still redacted names Chank will do is, come on, conservatives, doesn't he have presidential immunity thing? Oh, yeah, they the way they are talking about immunity. And they've also talked about the uh, Colorado case that the Supreme Court has taken, taken up. They have multiple times argued that if they don't get what they want, that means Joe Biden is going to be able to do whatever the fuck he wants and he's not going to have to listen to anyone and he can stay in the White House. So, yeah, uh, it looks like they're going to use that as an excuse to be complete tyrants. All right, let's get to some more uh, breaking news. Oh, actually, is this, uh, is this the same article? Here is, uh, no, this is, this is a diff- same subject, but, uh, but a different article. All right, let's get to this breaking news from the Internet from Mojack420. We'll do Reuters in the Brave browser. All right, let's have a look here. Tesla joins GM, Ford in slowing EV factory ramp as demand fears spread. I think he said something to here. He said, uh, oh, more EV news. Okay, you're right. So this is after the previous one that we covered. This one was from October. Tesla on Wednesday joined GM and Ford in being cautious about expanding EV production capacity, citing economic uncertainties and underscoring fears of a slowdown in demand. Well, now this is from October and the article that I think I read earlier was from what yesterday so yeah they were correct in their in their fears of a slowing in demand for evs tesla's ceo elon musk said he was worried that higher borrowing costs would prevent potential customers from affording its vehicles despite substantial price cuts and that he would wait for clarity on the economy before ramping up its planned factory in mexico people hesitate to buy a new car if there's uncertainty in the economy musk said on a post earnings call where he talked about paycheck to paycheck pressure on american workers i don't want to be going into top speed in the uncertainty. Musk's comments came after warning bells from other automakers and EV startups. It sent shares of Tesla down 8% Thursday, as well as shares of other EV makers. GM said on Tuesday it would delay production by a year of the Chevrolet Silverado and GMC Sierra electric pickup trucks at a plant in Michigan, citing flattening demand for EVs. Detroit Pier Ford said last week it would temporarily cut uh, cut one of three shifts 
at the plant that builds its electric F-150 Lightning pickup truck, the automaker in July slowed its EV ramp-up, shifting investment to commercial vehicles and hybrids. EV startups Lucid and Rivian were also both lower Thursday, losing more than 3% each. Lucid on Tuesday. Can you imagine? That's got to be very frustrating if you are an investor in one of these technologies or companies and then the Democrats come along and decide to like inject their retardation into your shit and then it fucks everything up and now like demand is going down because these people over like they they were told oh we're gonna have every car be an ev car by 2027 and so they're like oh okay we have to ramp up production and now you're gonna be held holding a bag because that's obviously not going to be a practical solution to any of this. The grid could not possibly handle it if most cars were electric by whatever fucking year they give. Lucid on Tuesday reported a near 30% plunge in third quarter production and only a marginal increase in deliveries despite big discounts, raising worries about demand for its air luxury sedan. Rivian, which makes electric pickup trucks and sport utility vehicles, also disappointed investors this month when it shed a shied away from raising its full year full year production forecast despite stronger than expected third quarter numbers. It does highlight that there can be a slowdown in EV demand in the near term, but it has more to do with pricing and affordability than rejections of EVs. Narian said he's expected uh, there to be a dip that improves as prices of EVs fall and lower price variants are available. Automakers have billions of dollars in EV-related investments, riding on how the next several quarters play out. Worries about slowing demand have been rising just as companies come to grips with supply chain constraints that wrecked production plants. Reuters reported in July the U.S. market was not growing fast enough to prevent unsold EVs from stacking up at some auto dealerships. What a disaster. To prevent demand from waning, market leader uh, waning market leader Tesla, with industry-leading profit margins, has been the first and most aggressive in slashing prices, forcing others to follow suit and squeezing margins. But Musk said higher financing costs due to rising interest rates meant to fight stubbornly high inflation in some cases almost entirely offset the price reductions, making consumers looking to shift away from gas-guzzling vehicles wary. If interest rates remain high, it's that much harder to, for people to buy a car. They simply can't afford it, Musk said, and he would accelerate expansion of the Mexico factory if interest rates came down. That doesn't look like that's happening. This is not expected in the United States until June 2024, based on current market estimates with recent robust economic data suggesting the central bank might leave interest rates higher for longer. Well, we'll see. What a fucking clusterfuck. All right. Well, there we go. That was breaking news from the Internet. Thank you, Mojack. Appreciate that. If you have an article that you want read on stream, 10 and up, details in the description in Rumble. Let's get back to videos here. Uh, here, Someone told David Pakman to quit being an arrogant prick. Well, he, that's impossible. All yeah, right, he, let's get no into Friday feedback no for the week. You can email info at davidpakman.com. Also, so many other different ways to get messages in. YouTube comments, Facebook comments. Sometimes we'll pull something from TikTok. It might end up here in any number of ways. I have to say once again, I am really surprised that so many people, and by that I mean like 10, were shocked 
that I don't believe in psychics or tarot cards based on a segment from Fox News that we covered last week. We did a voicemail on the Monday show about this. And here is a, a comment that came in. You flippantly mock tarot without even realizing that you were mocking our religious beliefs. Where is it fair that we aren't allowed to mock your religious beliefs? Well, <clears throat> madam, uh, there are parents, so you must obey and never criticize. You can freely mock ours. I mean, mock my religious beliefs. I'm not aware of any that I have, but go ahead and mock. I mean, there's, it's not written anywhere that you can't mock. Mock my religious beliefs or my non-religious beliefs. Mock whatever you want. Uh, going on to say, you can think whatever you want about tarot cards and psychics. Well, thank you. But you've never met a real one, but they exist. I love this. We had a psychic on the show. We had I've met others who claim to be psychics. Anytime I mention this, folks like this go, no, 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 David, that wasn't a real psychic. Oh, OK. Uh, she goes on to say it's your own childish prejudices that have closed your mind to the possibility that there just may be things out here in the great wide world that you don't know about yet. Quit being an arrogant prick. Listen, give me the controlled evidence that psychics and tarot card reading is what those who do it claim for it to be. Whenever I ask for the evidence, they say, oh, but David, tarot and psychics are special. They can't be measured in a control way. Then why do you believe it? Right. I mean, if there's no way to actually measure it in a way that would satisfy science and empiricism, why is it crazy that I don't believe it and not crazy that you do believe um, sad? It's really sad when I see this stuff. It's just a it's a failure of critical thinking. Talking with mom wrote, if you can't join the military with a felony record, how could you be commander in chief while actively? And by the way, they, they wrote commander and chief. It's commander in chief. Oh, how can you be commander in chief while actively Case in prison? Closed. Well, you know, it's a, it's a remarkable thing about the system we have. There are areas where the law and the rules are very clear, and there are areas where they aren't, or at least it doesn't say anything one way or the other. And the military has its rules. They are completely separate from what the Constitution says about who can be president. And uh, indeed, I. I don't believe that this country is going to have a president in prison. I just don't believe that's what's going to happen. But from the legal analyses I've read, it would not violate any law. It would be possible. It would be possible to have a president serving from prison. Carl wrote in and said only some people believe the nonsense numbers reported by the Biden administration. Everyone else sees higher gas prices higher inflation, higher interest rates, higher food costs and the massive illegal border crossing. So few notes that I think are important to remember here. The numbers about job creation and inflation are no more the Biden administration numbers than they were the Trump administration numbers. The, there are agencies that regardless of who is president uh, provide these data to us. And it's been happening for decades and decades and decades. What's happening here with Carl, sadly, is that when he sees numbers that contradict his political understanding or wish, he says the numbers must be fake. Everyone sees higher gas prices. Gas prices have come down from five bucks a gallon to right around three. Yeah. He That's said, 
still like double or maybe not double, but way higher than when Trump was in office as higher inflation. Inflation has come all the way down to 3% higher interest rates. Yes, interest rates have been high. Uh, they are going to start being cut higher food costs again. Yes, there for the last hundred years, we see higher food costs because we have inflation. Yeah, it's totally in normal. It's totally normal. Seven dollar and fifty cent peanut butter. Totally normal. The United States and some inflation is desirable. The rate at which food costs have been going up has slowed down dramatically. And then as far as massive illegal border Bullshit. crossings, we've talked about that separately. There has been no real appreciable change in border policy. Yeah, guys, everything is just like under Trump Trump to Biden. Uh, we, we do have illegal immigration in this country. It is arguably being mishandled by Republicans and Democrats. But the idea that that's something special about the Biden administration just not, does not coincide with reality. Bullshit. Glenn wrote in about Vivek Ramaswamy and says he's basically running as Trump Jr. All right. I think that's enough of the insults. Hopefully, uh, I, I don't think there, uh, hopefully there's more, but I, I, I don't think so. Yeah, it's usually he starts out with the insults. Um, violent political threats surge as 2024 begins. Total bullshit. Sadly, Total bullshit. violence is going to be a big topic on today's program. Later in the show, I'm going to talk to you about arguments made in front of a judge a panel of judges by one of Donald Trump's lawyers that if Trump or any president was to order the assassination of their political rivals, that it might actually be covered by presidential immunity. We are going to talk That's about what he calls said. for violence from the failed former president. But all of this, there were no calls for violence from Trump. You're making that up back to the environment in which we now saying find that there could be bedlam is not a call for violence ourselves, which is that as the 2024 election gets going, violent political threats are surging. Yeah. And it is becoming a uh, I I hate to call it a legitimate part of the American political system, because how could violence be legitimate? But it is becoming an immovable part. It is becoming an unfortunately too common part of the political system. We are going to link out to this Washington Post article uh, called violent political threats surge as 2024 begins haunting American democracy. Bullshit. And the article quotes among many, it quotes a Wisconsin Supreme Court justice who said, quote, I believe people when they say they want to hurt us or kill us. I don't think they are idle threats. And if there is any, I mean, we'll talk about the implications, how to handle the security precautions, all these different things. But if there is one theme, one motto, one slogan that we must bear in mind here, it's we need to believe the people who say they are going to do horrible things because sometimes they do it. Now, the article goes through a whole bunch of different examples. It talks about the swatting attempt at the home of Rusty Bowers with the false report of a pipe bomb and a murder. We've talked again. They are just without any evidence whatsoever assigning it to a Trump supporter. Ridiculous about this swatting technique before, which is phone calls to law enforcement meant to uh, encourage law enforcement to deploy a SWAT team or a hostage response team with fake claims. Oh, I'm being held hostage. Someone is being held hostage at this address, etc. Bomb threats causing evacuations at state capitals across the country, 
There was a guy arrested for threatening to kill a congressman and his children, swatting incidents involving other members of Congress, more and more threats against, for example, the main secretary of state and members of the Colorado Supreme Court after those rulings and decisions that Donald Trump shouldn't be on the ballot. Colorado Supreme Court and the main secretary of state saying, hey, Trump violated Section three of the 14th Amendment. He's not going to be on the, va the ballot death threats against the individuals involved in those decisions. Uh, one of the judges uh, involved in Donald Trump's uh, election subversion case, Judge Tanya Chutkin, a name we've mentioned on the show before, swatting attempts at her home. So what seems to be happening is leftists are swatting conservatives, as you saw, especially over the holidays, Pasebic, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a huge long list. Now, apparently, they're swatting people like Judge Chutkin and they're blaming it on Trump supporters. Waves of threats against members of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, especially after their ruling on the 2020 election. Bomb threats at more than a dozen state capitals on a single day. Swatting calls targeting the main secretary of state after her decision about the 2024 ballot at the Georgia secretary of state's office. Uh, because of Gabriel Sterling's recent comments. So these incidents represent a trend of increased threats and intimidation it's against an increase in gay ops is what it is. Public officials in the United States. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't we be seeing this? Political violence was legitimized by the failed former president. That's uh, totally made up when he was still president on January 6th of 2021. And as you'll see later on today, Trump leaving court yesterday after another one of these bogus gong show appearances asked, when you talk about bedlam in 24, you're not talking about violence, right? You denounce violence and Trump opting not to answer that. So what do we do in these situations? Well, the answer is different depending on whether you're an individual, whether you are law enforcement, whether you are elected officials as an individual, you need to just be very aware of what are the environments in which such violence might happen. So, for example, there are lots of protests which I might be interested in supporting ideologically, but I'm not going to these political protests in partially because I'm pretty, pretty damn busy, but partially in part because I believe they are potentially the targets of these violent right wing lunatics. So I am steering clear of that. At the individual level, there are decisions like those to be made at the law enforcement level. It's difficult because the number of these threats is such that it is difficult to fully and deeply investigate all of them in a timely manner. Eventually, fine. Yeah, we'll catch up with all of these and see if there's anything legitimate. But very often the timing is difficult because law enforcement is overwhelmed from the political side of it. Every official should be denouncing violence as a political tool and going all the way to the top of the Republican Party. Just yesterday, Donald Trump didn't do it. So, um, you know, sometimes people will write to me and say, David, you know, you denounce violence uh, in, in some total. Uh, what about situations where violence is the only way to achieve change? And I don't deny that in history there have been moments where we can say violence was the only way here because of the level of oppression. I simply do not believe that the United States is at that point. And I know that there are people in the audience, some some on the right, some on the left who believe that 
there are forms of violence being carried out by governments, whether they are racist or whether they are classist or whatever the case may be. We are using violence in a different way there than literal physical violence. And I simply do not believe that we are at the point in the at the in the United States where physical violence is required in order to achieve our political objective. So that is why I denounce it. I'm not blind to the idea that you could have a situation where there is no choice but for violence. We are not there. And by the way, a lot of the people threatening the violence and doing the violence or, or certainly not denouncing it are those in privileged positions. So it's not looking good for 2024. I wish I could start with something that was less pessimistic, but you see the reports, you see what we're talking about here. It's hard not to be scared. And by the way, oh, shit, you're not scared. What now going after individuals joke. simply because they want to register people to vote. If you want to think about the impact of that on the political system, well, let's discuss that next. Um, so barely attractive Emma and Sam Cedar are upset with Patrick Bet David and his crew because they uh, talked about Lululemon in a misogynistic way. You're about to be valutained, everybody. Oh, are we going to rank the top five case studies in history or what are we up to now? So this is just some bros uh, at the Patrick Bed David. Patrick Bed David is a guy who set up like I believe a life insurance sort of uh, multi-level marketing thing mm -hmm. and made uh, a lot of money. Yeah, so those are the type of businesses he's done. So he's a business expert now, uh, and he talks about businesses. And he has a problem with the way Lululemon doesn't seem to honor their founder and we'll get into uh, him a little bit more because it's he's a pretty interesting character um but so when you said they're founders you were telling me about this before the show briefly i assumed we were talking about the founding fathers one thing to know about uh f founders currently is that they think of themselves as the modern day thomas jefferson so if you mm -hmm. uh made a sort of like mug company or mm -hmm. like uh say for instance you sold uh yoga pants right um which are very much like the tights that george washington wore yeah exactly um, you're basically in monticello uh as thomas jefferson and yeah so like the whole po this whole podcast is like copy and pasting business speak onto the government and what's funny about this is like i and we'll get into how lululemon's performing specifically but like i would have assumed i would have got a different impression of how lululemon is doing based on the way okay. this conversation goes I'll just but the that. context is i guess that the lululemon founder uh said he talks a bunch of shit and he recently said uh that we have to be specific about who we want wearing our clothes which is like the it's like what style yeah it's like what the abercrombie uh founder who then got ousted said just basically like we don't want fat people wearing our clothes yeah um i mean th this founder we'll get into some of the stuff he says but he said a lot of things like it, back at, like 10 years ago uh responded to concerns that the yoga pants pilled you know that made those little fuzzies mm -hmm. and he said well it's because some women with the wrong body types are wearing the yoga pants basically their thighs are too big as well. uh. so yeah uh, and he said some very racist things too but anyway let's let's talk let's hear the business guys <laughs> uh, discuss this first Go to the next story. Lululemon hits back at founder 
anti-DEI comments. Lululemon hits back at the founders' anti-DEI comments. Mm -hmm. They do not reflect our company's views. Look at this company. They do not reflect our company's views. You are your founders' company. What do you mean they do not reflect our company's views? Your founders started your company. Can you imagine how dumb it is for you to say what you just... Do you understand what they're saying? Of course. Lululemon hits back back at the yeah. founder. If it wasn't for the founder, there is no Lululemon, you, you know. Ungrateful? Yeah. Basically, what's yeah. happening in here America today, we don't endorse what our founding yeah. fathers That's of right. America yeah. can take basically tried to make here in America. They, they were here way before you and I were here. Yeah, exactly. America matters way more than you and I do. They start this great country. Lululemon distanced itself from its founder, Chip Wilson's recent criticism of the company's diversity and inclusion efforts. Oh, it was Wilson has stated they're trying to become like the gap, everything to everybody. You've got to be clear that you don't want certain customers coming in. What a powerful statement. The company issued a statement clarifying that Wilson's comments do not represent Lululemon's views or beliefs. They highlighted that Wilson had no involvement with the company since his resignation from the board in 2015. Wilson, known for previous controversial remarks, also criticized some of the models used in Lululemon's advertising campaigns as sickly, unhealthy, and not inspirational, according to Forbes. Look, as they always say, you try to please everybody you please nobody and this is exactly what's happening here it's so upsetting you're founder of so multiple upsetting. companies pbd it must be so upsetting for the founder of a company the vision that they have the vision that they cast the belief that they have the company they found and then a decade or two later completely see it crumble totally endorse what chip wilson is saying no. on this one and he brings up the gap he brings up companies that have just basically tried to basically make it the what bo body positivity movement we see what's going on at Victoria's Secret it used to be known as if you're the most gorgeous beautiful fit like cream of the crop woman out there you'll wait, get wait, some pause, pause, on pause. your back right um so the founder of Lu of uh, Victoria's Secret <laughs> yeah um has anyone ever Googled, have they, uh, his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah, I would say, like, PBD, they seem to be, in certain cases, like, for instance, if a Hollywood celebrity is associated with Jeffrey Epstein, very on that case. But when it, it comes to uh, discussing how Trump... So because uh, there is an association with Epstein, you're not allowed to use Victoria's Secret in an analogy? is very associated with uh, Epstein or hey Les Wexner yeah um, the problem with Victoria's Secret yeah is that um, it's associated with uh, extreme levels of exploitation of women including like the guy was an Epstein associate yes uh, and it, it, like from my perspective Victoria's Secret you know the quality of their bras and things like that it's just not up to par with more competitive brands at this point um I was going to save this reveal to later, but I think it might be kind of important context that when he says, like, oh, you're a founder and you see your company crumble in front of your eyes yeah. and try to become... Like, I, I thought that these guys' one core brand proposition was they, like, are familiar with business. Mm -hmm. Lululemon has been crushing it. Like, oh, my gosh. Straight through the exit in 2015 of this dumbass. Um, and but when it says, like, they try to become Gap, it's like, yes, they are expanding into uh, markets besides... Yoga plans because that's where the money is. Yes, they're they're also, doing 
yeah, was like uh, some of the stuff that that uh, Roan, one of our sponsors, does, like workwear that uh, doesn't wrinkle and things like that. Sorry, go on. That... I was gonna say also Gap as a company has other brands for more specific needs, like you know, yeah. Banana Republic, I think, and also like Old Navy is the same thing too. So like, again, they don't really have a good sense of business acumen because you got to do your fiduciary duty to appeal to more customers. It's like the ego driving them to go like, I would rather be in exclusion. Well, if that was true that they were doing that, then they obviously wouldn't be doing any of this extremist DEI bullshit. The company no one fucking that, likes that focuses on pleasing a core audience of men with my women's athleisure brand, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, even if I, that means leaving money on the table, and it's like shareholders don't like when you say stuff like that. That's, and that's what's amazing, right? Like these guys are capitalists to their core. They're obsessed with business and they keep like, no. but, 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 but yet they don't like understand fundamental concepts of growth in business because they're a, so emotionally attached yeah. to the founder's vision because like PPD, how, would this not be a, a, a violation if <clears throat> you founded the company, it was taken over by somebody else and then they chose to make more money with it in a way that didn't fit like your very specific ideas of what your customer base should be, which are like- Hopefully it's someone someday takes over the majority report and turns it into like a based conservative outlet. That would be hilarious. Now, they're also mad at Tim Pool because he is rightly pointing out that when you give people jobs, particularly as pilots, not based on their qualifications, but based on their race, you're inviting disaster. Absolute disaster. Many of you heard that uh, Boeing airplanes are grounded at the moment because um, of like things like doors falling off while they're driving or they're flying. I had previously not, I like if exit row. I'd love it. Give me an exit row, and now I'd still probably take an exit row. But uh, yeah, the the you wear your seatbelt uh, full time. Yeah, and maybe put my phone in the uh, the, the seat pocket. Um. Let's see who's weighing in and going to have an explanation. And look, do you remember that accident that took place? I don't remember when this was, five or six or seven years ago. And it was considered to be a pilot error on this software that was instituted on some of these Boeing planes, a specific Boeing plane. And the story ultimately was that the software had to be adjusted because um there were changes at the airport in terms of like the um the 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 the, the walk bridges to the and um boeing instead of like investing in redesigning their planes or something to that effect um you know we're just getting stock dividends and the their patch was a software patch instead of like essentially a hardware patch and it complicated things for pilots. And now we have another example of this. But here is uh, Tim Pool taking um, a moment away from instructing uh, girly men how to attract and feminize women or whatever it is that he's on his kick for. Convert these, lesbians. Convert lesbians. Here he is on uh, uh, aviation safety. Here we go. Oh, that is how Matt watches everything incidentally at 14 times speed. 
Cockpit voice recorder on Alaska Airlines Flight 1282 was erased. All right, so uh, a few days ago, there was an Alaskan Airlines flight from Portland to Ontario, Canada. It was, uh, I don't know, it was Ontario, California, I think it was. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. Uh, a section of the plane exploded and was ripped off the plane. I'm being a little hyperbolic. It deep, it pre- the pressure caused it to blow off the side of the plane. A couple cell phones flew out. A, couple, a bunch of people's stuff, I guess, flew out. The depressurized cabin, the oxygen masks come down. The initial report was that a window blew out. Then you look at the video. I don't know if they have the video on the Forbes uh, website. But you look at the video, it was actually, apparently these uh, 737 MAX 9s have an optional door. Alaska Airlines says, we don't want a door there, so just cover it up. And the pressure caused to get ripped off the plane and go flying and landed in someone's backyard. The cockpit voice recorder on that flight was erased. The question is why? Now, they'll come out and say, oh, it's just an accident. It's an accident. But I wonder if there's actually some malfeasance in that Right now, it's an argument that the planes are no good. Following this report, we've got new information that loose bolts are found door plugs on grounded United Airlines Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets. These door plugs are areas of the plane. They're not emergency exits. They're optional. Some they do use, some they don't. I'm wondering how much of this is actually the planes are bad, or are we looking at a diversity hire problem where we have these pilots who are incapable of doing their jobs and so you're getting pilot error. Maybe the cabin was pressurized incorrectly, causing the door to blow out. They're then yelling in the cockpit, wait, wait, what? what did you do? What did you press? Oh, no, I pressed the wrong button. And then they realize we will get in trouble and be sued if people find out what we, what we admitted to here. So they erase the black box voice recorder. So then it's a, oops, we have no idea. It must just be the planes are no good. Ashley St. Clair was tweeting about All right, pause flight. It for one second. I just want just like uh, the 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 way this guy's mind works. Okay, it, let's just I'm going to stipulate. Okay, let's say it's it is suspicious that the black box is erased. That shouldn't happen. Okay, let's say that maybe it was a pilot error. Maybe they didn't pressurize the cabin correctly, which <laughs> I would imagine is probably not a choice up to the pilots. It's well, it doesn't have to just be the pilot. They're doing this with every position. They're using DEI so the people who are qualified don't get the jobs and they give them to people based on sex or race. Probably pretty standard in these planes, but let's just assume that it was. Or let's even assume that it was the pilot hit the um, the big red button that says eject, eject the uh, overpressurize the cabin or eject the um, non-opening door button. Like, that would be a mistake. The idea that the reason why that, that these people did that is because it was a diversity hire. How do you get from all of that, like, sort of, like, conspiratorial... Well, because they would be incompetent. That's why. It's very simple. ...orial thinking, which I guess is in the realm of possibility, and particularly if you don't know any of the other stories that would explain this. Like, the pilot should not be in charge <laughs> of ejecting pins that hold the plane together, I should just say. But even if they, the pilots are in charge of that... The idea that somehow their diversity hires, that maybe the pilot was um, 
African-American or female or Latino or uh, gay. And that's why they were hired. And therefore, they hit the wrong button that ejected the uh, like what what's going on in your head? You're simply putting two and two together from a lot of the articles that have been written about how these airlines are hiring based on race, not merit. That's all. It's very simple. It's almost like whether intentionally or not, he's conditioning his audience to instead of look for corporate malfeasance, uh, like um, cutting corners, for instance. It is corporate malfeasance. It's 100 percent corporate malfeasance. It is absolute malfeasance to hire people. Uh, based on race and not merit. It's oh, a corporation's hiding something. It must be their wokeness agenda. Exactly. Corporations never misbehave and cut corners. This is the misbehaving. Problem is, they're too like uh, willing to hire black people. <laughs> but here is a uh, non-diversity uh, hire, a very white. Very male guy. Oh, let me AP. guess. Let me guess. He's going to say a thing. A guy's going to say a thing. Person who is on Democracy Now!, who left Boeing because of the enormous DEI program that they. No, I'm sorry. Corruption that was associated with them cutting corners to save a lot of money. Now, obviously, there's an investigation that's being conducted, and we still don't know a whole lot, but it's certainly seems to be leaning more toward a manufacturing type of a problem. And as far as what needs to get done, again, uh, as you kind of talked about earlier, and this is um, unfortunately a tip of the iceberg type situation. So there's been a, a quite a, a few serious incidents that have occurred that the public is generally unaware of. Talk about your warnings as a former senior manager at the Boeing 737 factory in Renton, Washington, we're speaking to you in Seattle. You pushed Boeing leadership to shut down production operations before both crashes in 2019. Right. This has unfortunately been a, a long standing issue. Um, it's not a new, a new thing, as you point out, the um, incidents and excuse me the accidents that occurred in 2018 to 2019 uh, as you mentioned we had a lot of problems in the factory uh, everything was being rushed we had a shortage of skilled employees we were having all kinds of issues with quality problems uh, there was just incredible schedule pressure there's a saying in the factory they call it schedule is king and as we were going through those types of issues um, myself and others you know, verbalized our concerns and we did our best to try to stop the production system at that point. And unfortunately, we were sadly unable to do that. Um, what I've been told from employees that currently work uh, at that location is that despite the two crashes that killed 346 people and despite the $20 billion loss of the company and criminal behavior and all that, um, the situation is, is as bad or worse than it was when, when I was there, which is very hard to believe. So. Uh, right now, it, I, I would say that it seems like the FAA is certainly not doing their job. They're continuing to fall down on the job, and you know they're solely responsible for making sure that the Boeing company uh, complies with all the regulations. And so it is very concerning. Um, I would tell you that this incident with Alaska, I'm sure, is uh, shocking to passengers, but for those of us who have been watching this for a while, it's it's really um, not a surprise at all. You know, we've seen 
ever since the MAX has been put back in service, over 20 serious production quality defects that have surfaced. Um, and we're not talking tray tables, we're talking about flight-related systems. And the public is unaware of this. Um, these are reports that go through uh, in the FAA database. And it's, you know, it's not something that the airlines want to talk about. It's certainly not something Boeing or the FAA want to talk about. Um, and so that's a real problem. The other thing we're seeing is that there's a, lots of requests for engineering exemptions, which is really shocking when you think that after all that, why are we having the Boeing company right now ask for delays for um, engineering exemptions? Basically, there's at least you know, three or four just in the last couple months where the company has made requests for uh, petition for ex exemptions from legally required engineering design standards. And these are involving flight control related systems, uh, stall management, yaw dampener, computer. Um, didn't mention wokeness. And let's be clear, this is not a question of incompetence. It is a question of what is the primary agenda of this company. And it's not even a question of, like, company. It is a question of the leadership of this, um, uh, of this company. It is the CEOs, it is the shareholders, it is the uh, board of directors. Um, How would it not be incompetence? That doesn't even make sense. Somebody just, uh, I'm trying to, let's see. Uh, All right, you, yeah, you, you get back to us, Sam. Okay, so something wild happened. John Fetterman, now he was, I think he was defending Israel, but he pointed out that South Africa can't talk shit because of uh, when it comes to genocide. And barely attractive Emma and Sam Seed are there beside themselves. How could he say such a thing? John Fetterman, <laughs> man, um, just continues... <laughs> this yeah big fat big fat baby um he he I mean he's just stomping around uh promoting israel's genocidal campaign in gaza uh, a campaign of mass killing at least 30,000 presumed dead uh, 23,000 known to be dead but there's all those folks under the rubble that are unaccounted for uh, four percent of Gaza's population, according to Euromed Monitor, is either dead, uh, missing, or maimed. That's ninety thousand people, and um, yet that has not deterred John Featherman here, who decides uh, to say this is at a, a luncheon on Capitol Hill organized by the Orthodox Union. He said this yesterday, ahead of today's um, genocide hearings in the ICJ criticizing South Africa for bringing this case against Israel. Who are we, who are they really fighting? It's a group of cowards. They hide in tunnels. They hide behind civilians. They attack, kill, and mutilate children, women. But that's not Israel. Stop talking about proportion on that. They shot their best shot on October 7th, and they would have taken more lives if they couldn't do that, but they couldn't do it. And now let's also talk about that. Now we're talking about genocide. Why couldn't they do and it? And now South Africa now is now bringing that kind of a, a trial. Maybe South Africa being going to sit this one out when they're talking about criticizing. <laughs> sit it out. 
Okay, so he has no historical understanding at all or is being purposefully obtuse. I don't understand. I just read this for his own edification here. Israel and apartheid-era South Africa, this is from The Guardian, developed a close military alliance that included collaboration on nuclear weapons, even though many of the Afrikaner leaders of the time, this is in the 70s, had a deep history of anti-Semitism. John Forster, the then prime minister, was feted on a visit to Jerusalem in 1976, despite having been interned during the Second World War for Nazi sympathies and membership of a fascist militia, militia that burned Jewish-owned properties. After the ANC came to power in 1994, it established full diplomatic relations with Palestine, while ties with Israel deteriorated over time. The point being there, John, is that the reason that South Africa isn't sitting this one out is because the people that presided over the apartheid system are not in power right now. It is the legacy of that apartheid system that is informing the current leadership of the South African government to take this up. So like the hypocrisy angle is hilariously ahistorical and also makes no sense in this context. It's incoherent and demands actually a follow-up because uh, I like you. And the follow-up's going to be you're what? Are you being a bigot? Are you saying you have a problem with the white farmers being killed, bigot? Say like how do you the only people that have a problem with innocent white farmers being murdered by Knox is white supremacists interpret that does is as he saying like oh you are <laughs> a white supremacist apartheid country how do you have a stand or is the interpretation this one uh which end wokeness took which is holy shit did john fetterman just call out white genocide in south africa oh my god right and it's no, like uh, no way I, no, he's he not, did that. He's not there's no way right i don't i don't think so um but i'm saying you have to clarify that john because for, John Fetterman um, is is a fucking joke. Like, I'm sorry that that is Sarah Palin level uh, discussion of this issue, and I, I don't care about any excuses for it. Like, I don't think it's I, I don't personally I don't I don't imagine that if you could uh, ask him these questions pre-stroke, he'd have any more uh, coherence about it. So I want to put that up front. Like, I think he is as disgraceful as a senator on this issue as we have. I mean, it, like, yeah, the worst for sure. It, yeah, it's 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 disgusting. Um, yeah, I mean, and again, when he talks about all of the things he's accusing Hamas of, that's what Israel's doing, buddy. Like, why didn't Hamas have when he said they would if they could? Here's yeah, the but you're doing the same thing because you're fine with what they're doing to the white farmers. So I think what they're doing to the Palestinians is fucked up. And I also think what they're doing to the white farmers is fucked up. I think that's consistent. But you're against what they're doing to the Palestinians, but you're not against what they're doing to the white farmers. Question, why couldn't they? Just like Fetterman, uh, he's against what they're doing to the, uh, or what they did to the Israelis, not as much anymore, but on October 7th. And that was fucked up, I'll agree with that. But then he's fine with what they're doing to the Palestinians. So you're really no different than John Fetterman, barely attractive. You're just, you're, you're, you're no different. Why? They don't have an airport in Gaza. They don't have... Why were they coming over on frickin' hang gliders? I mean, and, and motorcycles. Like, they, they don't have the capacity to do what is he's accusing them of. The state that has that capacity is the Are, wealthy... Uh, I'm sorry, he... You, you, oh, hold on a second. You're denying that they killed anyone on October 7th? The first world nation funded by the United States government 
with a massive like self-sustaining at this point military industrial complex a country of nine million people is top 10 in the world in weapons uh, manufacturing and intel and, and wartime intelligence development um why is it's a heavily militarized colonial outpost for the west and they have the ability to commit genocide as they're doing right now hamas doesn't exactly like, that's why i think that all these discussions of uh calling hamas nazis is ludicrous you know what the nazis had is the wehrmacht <laughs> and an industrial uh, base like and to do their genocide it's actually hol it's honestly um it's holocaust revisionism yeah it really that, is it's, yeah they're the israel how is it holocaust what and Zionists will uh, use the Holocaust in any way they find practical. But here's well, that's true. But it doesn't make what she said and it make any sense. Another uh, section from this, uh, which is I think even worse than that uh, that section there, which is I mean just moronic. But this is this is genocidal. Protests all around the nation. They're blocking tunnels. They're blocking roads. Why? Why aren't they protesting? When will we get the hostages back home? Why aren't they protesting Hamas? Why aren't they protesting systemic rape and torture of Israeli women and children? Systemic? I don't ever get it. We can't really until we get every last one brought. And every last one of them, every last one of them are in my walls in my office. I encourage anything if you want to stop by. You can see that. And Hamas is anathema to peace. We'll never have a stable two-state solution. We will never have any peace for Israel until they are fully eliminated. Take it up with Netanyahu. It's fun. The right for Israel to eliminate them, that right doesn't come from me or anyone other than from Israel. And not only that they have the right to do that, I encourage them to do that. I hope they do that, every last one. Okay? Yeah. So I want to dwell on his uh, recycling of the phrase "every last one" uh, to describe two different things. The first half was "every last hostage," and now it's "every last member of Hamas." And Israel has a right to exterminate them, or what? Was that the word he used? Um, get rid of every last one of them. Um, and their right comes from themselves, and we have to support that. Like that is. The, uh, we're not talking about a serious person here. Oh, yeah. yeah you're, you know, sorry, you're a serious person. Interrupting earlier, Matt, when you were talking on this, but it's no. just surprising because, you know, a lot of our politicians are Zionists. You know, Zionists, at least in their rhetoric, uh, due to the nature of the way APAC has a stranglehold on large parts of our, like, government and lobbying apparatus. Uh, but this is above and beyond what I think the average, you know, not just Democratic politician, but even Republican politician is doing in pursuit of supporting this genocide. And that's what's like especially galling, because some people would say, like, you know, you 
well, you should have known he, he's always been like sort of pro, you know, Israel. But that's unfortunately within our uh, government, just a prerequisite position that you have to right. espouse. And if you yeah. don't espouse it, you know, usually the only people they allow to not espouse it are like on the Republican side. And you don't want to align with those people on anti-Israel sentiment. Uh, so I think it just, just took the degree to which he is going hard for Israel, draping himself in the flag, justifying genocide, you know, making a cloak out of the hostages, which the Israeli uh, IDF are shooting when they try to like escape. Exactly. Is, you know, is just beyond the pale. I mean, they're bombing them to hell right now, like bombing them to smithereens. And then they're going to just blame it on Hamas because the Israeli government doesn't care about the hostages. They wanted this moment, Netanyahu in particular, to solidify his position. But like the re- that's more of his interests. The rest of the government and the, the, the majority coalition, um, they're thrilled at the co- at the idea of being able to use this moment, regardless of the lives of the hostages, to, uh, you know, c- kill as many Palestinians as possible. They mow the lawn every year or so, which is them just killing hundreds of Palestinians to show them who's boss. But now this they feel like this is a blank check for the genocide that they've always really wanted to engage in Um, when he says systemic rape and torture of Israelis by Hamas. I don't think he knows what the word systemic means, because. um, So it's cool as long as you're not doing it in a systematic way. (laughs) The systemic sexual abuse happens in Israeli jails and prisons. The Israeli government sh- I'm sure it does. shut down an NGO that was looking into sexual abuse of Palestinian prisoners. I would are- be surprised. It's just odd that you act like Hamas isn't doing anything like that. Or, uh, Israel's one of the, I think, the only country in the world that just detains children um, in wartime, like without, re- or not the only country in the world, I shouldn't say that, but there's a, spe- there's a specificity to the definition that I'm, I'm missing at this point. But they do detain children um without really any pretext and there have been multiple allegations of of abuse of, a, of sexual nature yeah, of pop- palestinians the population of imprisoned palestinians that existed on october 6th that they could have used for hostage uh um trades uh, instead of bombing gaza which is actually like when when the fetterman is supporting israel uh, and how they decided to use those hostages as a means to an end, as a means to continuing to cut the grass. They're yeah. using those hostages as lawnmower gasoline to continue cutting the grass. Mm-hmm. And John Fetterman supports that. So g- go fuck yourself talking about hostages, Fetterman. Because the, actually, Anthony Blinken had the tweet out the day after, and he deleted it when he was discussing with Turkey that actually what we need is a ceasefire and hostage negotiation. Israel did not want to free the people that they have imprisoned for the Israelis that uh, that uh, um, the God that Hamas took like that's the decision they made the, so you there's a contradiction between supporting this um, re, um, rescuing hostages and eliminating Gaza or eliminating uh, Hamas which yeah. is you know and I just to to, to to button up the point about the sexual violence like there has been a New York that New York Times piece um, about sexual violence against Israeli women uh, on October seventh. Um, I think that that's it's possible that that happened. Of course, um, it should all be investigated. It should all Israel's be investigated, but Israel's blocking it. Yeah, and there have been 
flags raised about like really the lack of cohesive first person testimony in that piece and objectively it is being used as a propaganda object to continue a slaughter the point though about that though is even if that happened it's not systemic yeah <laughs> it's not systemic the systemic violence is against the pal all right that's fine <clears throat> it's yeah it has to be systemic for it to count all right here is um bald fuckface claiming as he usually does that uh, someone has violated the law. So who is it? It's the total smash, Alina Haba, has now violated the law. Oh, I guess they're going to arrest her. Closing arguments have now commenced <clears throat> She could uh, Trump. serve her time in my apartment. I'll, I'll take her. I'll take her uh, in. New York fraud trial. So all that's left is for Judge Arthur Ingeron to decide upon the punishment that he is going to bestow on Donald Trump, his two adult male children, and the Trump Organization itself. And if the conduct of Donald Trump's lawyers during the closing arguments is any indication, Trump's about to get the book thrown at him. A weird situation played itself out, of course, involving Alina Haba, where she appeared to violate state civil trial rules, laws, actually, laws. when she launched a personal attack against New York Attorney General Letitia James as part of her closing arguments. Here is what Alina Haba said. This was supposed to be wrapping up the case, right? Making your last argument that your client, Donald J. Trump, is totally innocent. And instead, Alina Haba said this. I turned around this morning and I looked back. Her shoes were off. And she has a Starbucks coffee. Oh, breaking the law. Can you imagine? Uh, the report, by the way, says that at one point, Letitia James had, like, taken her foot out of her shoe uh, for just a few moments. I guess it was uncomfortable. Classy. I don't, know. I don't care. Very Because classy. that's not relevant to any of the facts of the case. But Alina Haba was so mad that apparently... Letitia James had time to, time to get a Starbucks coffee and she's just chilling over there with her shoe off. Like, what the hell? At that point, Judge Ingeron had to remind uh, uh, her that, hey, uh, you're supposed to stick to the facts of the case. She's like, well, her conduct is the fact. She's the plaintiff. So I have to bring up how she's behaving in court because somehow that impacts the charges against my client. Judge Ingeron at that point then asked... <laughs> the attorney general's table um if y'all want to object i'm gonna go ahead and agree with you because she's legally not allowed to launch into personal attacks but the table like all the uh, uh one of the prosecutors did was just wave their hand off like nope we're good let her go so rather than objecting to alina haba violating state civil trial uh practice law um, they're like, nope, just let her go. Just let's, I want to see where this goes. I want to see if she complains about the ties that we're wearing. If she complains about our wardrobe or perhaps our earrings, let's let her finish because this is actually helping our case. The judge told them, if you object, I'm going to agree with you. But they're like, nope, just, uh, just let her keep going. We're, we're enjoying every second of this. Now, let me point this out. Cause I keep saying that she violated, you know, state, uh, 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 civil practice law. Here's what it is. Under New York civil practice law, lawyers and pro se defendants are not allowed to make personal attacks and closing arguments. The trial judge quickly offered to sustain, <coughs> sus 
to sustain an objection to Haba's gloves off attack. Uh, but again, they're like, no, we are, we are loving all of this. Let her go because this has no bearing on the case. Uh, she's not going to get in trouble. You know, uh, even though she did violate civil practice, you know, trial law, whatever, uh, it, it's not necessarily a, you know, arrestable offense, but it does show that one, Alina Haba is clearly not familiar with the rules of the state where she is trying this case. But also if she is aware of them, she doesn't care because she has no legal argument. That's what you do when you have no legal argument. You resort to personal well, they attack. They don't let her make any legal arguments related to Trump. Everything that Trump's lawyers argue, and you'll see this in the Fulton County case if it gets to that point. They're like, oh, you can't argue that. You can't. They're probably going to sanction her. Acts. When you have nothing else to say, you attack the individual who delivered the message instead. And that is what Alina Haba did. And for the record, of course, Donald Trump was given his five minutes to talk. It wasn't a full closing statement. You know, reports had said he had been rehearsing it all week. But uh, <laughs> Trump did give his little five minutes. And then afterwards, of course, he, uh, he had this to say. This was after the closing arguments. <laughs> this is what he said to reporters. This is a political witch hunt the likes of which nobody has ever seen before. They owe me damages for what they've done. We're a very innocent company. We did everything right. They have no witness against us other than Michael Cohen, who's a discredited felon. They have no witnesses against us whatsoever. They don't have one piece of paper. It's a disgrace and they should pay me damages. That's the way it should be. They should be paying me damages. This is a disgraceful situation. Uh, they had lots of witnesses, not to mention the fact, actually, this is probably even more important. Yeah, one of them the, recanted. The witnesses that your team called actually said, oh, yeah, there's lots of fraud here. Bullshit. We just don't think Trump did it. Bullshit. But you aren't the only one on trial. Your organization itself is on trial, and they admitted, your witnesses, that the organization did fraud. Yeah. So you're not owed anything. You're going to lose everything. And when I say everything by God, I mean everything. I'll take that bet, faggot. I'll take that bet. I, get, I bet this shit gets overturned on appeal. It's totally ridiculous. When Ingeron hands down his decision later this month. Hi, everyone. Yeah, that's not how it works. He thinks he's such a moron. He thinks that Judge Aids is going to give his uh, rendering and then they're going to just take everything from Trump. Not how it works. Not how it works. Marjorie Taylor Greene hits Ass Willis with a criminal referral. Well, folks, we've got more drama unfolding in the state of Georgia with attorney, uh, district attorney, <clears throat> Fawny Willis, who of course will be prosecuting Donald Trump most likely at the end of this year. What's happened this week is that Donald Trump in a press conference on Tuesday afternoon, uh, building off of what one of his co-defendants said in a court filing, accused Fonnie Willis of having an inappropriate affair with one of her fellow prosecutors who was also working on the case. Well, after Donald Trump did this, Marjorie Taylor Greene, in her ongoing quest to save Donald Trump from accountability, filed a criminal complaint. She actually issued a criminal referral good. for Fonnie Willis. That's good. To Brian Kemp, the Republican governor Excellent. of the state of Georgia, along with, of course, the secretary of state. And in her letter, saying that Fonnie Willis is apparently a criminal, Marjorie Taylor Greene said this. Fonnie Willis faces serious allegations that she illegally hired her secret boyfriend, Nathan Wade, 
who has never tried a felony case as her special prosecutor to bring an unprecedented complex and partisan felony RICO prosecution against President Trump, the leading presidential contender for 2024, along with 18 co-defendants. Despite this obviously illegal conflict of interest, Fonnie Willis has allegedly paid Nathan Wade nearly 700,000 in official funds. This includes a multiple, a multitude of vague block billings for eight hours. And as a lawyer publicized, even one billing for 24 hours on a single day with the vague description, prepared cases for pre-trial. She goes on to suggest that Willis may have committed foul play for receiving, quote, illegal kickbacks, including lavish domestic and international trips paid for with misappropriated government <clears throat> funds. It's alleged that Fonnie Willis and this other prosecutor uh, took trips to Napa Valley and they took a trip down to the Caribbean. And as Marjorie Taylor Greene says in her letter, they, they may have done this with misappropriated government funds which by the way is actually a pretty easy thing for the government of Georgia to look at and see if it actually did happen, right? Did you get charged for a plane trip to Napa Valley? Did you get charged for a plane trip to the Caribbean? I mean, y'all y'all ought to be able to go through and see those receipts right there. Were there big purchases from Fonnie Willis's office for plane tickets? I mean, if there were, then maybe there's something to this. If there's not, then this is just another attempt by Donald Trump and his deranged allies like Marjorie Taylor Greene to try to delay this trial and to slander Fonnie Willis. Now, here's the thing. As I pointed out earlier in this week, if Fonnie Willis was in fact having a sexual relationship of any kind with this fellow prosecutor, okay. Yeah, no big deal. Totally fine. It's fine. Whatever we do is fine. So? So like that, that literally changes none of the facts of the case. It doesn't change the fact that it was the grand jury that voted to bring these charges. They voted on the charges. They voted. Yeah, to bring we don't have to follow procedure and have the board appoint this, the prosecutor. The charges like that's not Fonnie Willis and her maybe, maybe not boyfriend doing that. So her having a relationship with another prosecutor working on this case, even somebody that she hired, it's not illegal. Yeah, totally fine. It, it, it may be unethical, but it doesn't change any of the facts of this case. It doesn't change what the grand jury saw. It doesn't change any of the evidence should have no bearing on this case whatsoever. Now, if, if she did do it again, it's definitely going to look bad. That is not going to help her at all, but it doesn't change the facts of the case. Now, if she did use government funds to go on trips, suddenly then you're looking at a very real problem. Absolutely. Not going to deny that. Like she should be removed if she did that. But right now, even as Marjorie Taylor Greene admits, these are nothing but allegations. Allegations, by the way, that nobody has produced a single shred of evidence to support. Marjorie Taylor Greene sends her criminal referral to the government of Georgia without providing any evidence. She's like, hey, people have said this. Some people have said that. Okay, people say things. You, you can probably find videos of the internet of any person saying any given thing that you want to hear. Yeah, but you love when a person says a thing. That doesn't make You're it true. You're ready to convict. If the state of Georgia wants to launch an investigation into this, I'm fine. If they find criminal wrongdoing on behalf of Fonnie Willis's part, remove her from office. Like, I'm not going to sit there and say that if she did something wrong, she shouldn't be held accountable. She should be. Just like Donald Trump. But the underlying fact that Republicans seem to be forgetting is that none of this changes the facts of the case 
and none of it should have any bearing on the indictments and the upcoming trials. Well, we'll see, bitch. Um, Trump suggests he'll indict Biden. Good. That would be good. I'd like to see that. Donald Trump made it crystal clear in a post on Truth Social this week that if he wins the White House later this year, he is absolutely going to prosecute President Biden for things that Donald Trump seems to think are actually crimes when in fact, they're actually just things that Donald Trump doesn't like. Here's what Donald Trump put on Truth Social. If I don't get immunity, then crooked Joe Biden doesn't get immunity. Joe would be ripe for indictment by weaponizing the DOJ against his political opponent, me. Joe has opened a giant Pandora's box. As president, I was protecting our country and doing a great job of doing so. Just look around at the complete mess that crooked Joe Biden has caused. The least I am entitled to is presidential immunity on fake Biden indictments. So, um, first of all, you sound like a child. Like, well, if I don't get immunity, then he doesn't get immunity. Now, replace the word immunity with something else, like ice cream. If I don't get ice cream, then he doesn't get ice cream. Like that's what. Yeah, but Trump- that, that's a gay analogy. You're being a homosexual. Uh, why don't you just focus on what he said? Trump is saying, if I can't have it, then he can't have it either. That's well, not that, fair. That's not. That's not the, how he's arguing it. You're just making that up. I'm telling mom. So first of all, again, you sound like a whiny little bitch. Yeah. Second. Yeah. Yeah, Trump's the one. You didn't really Mm -hmm. list any crimes. I mean, he does go on to say two things specifically. People coming across the southern border and the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Okay. Those are the two things you want to indict President Biden for doing. Neither of those are criminal. You may not like them. Without immunity, uh, Biden is allowed to do something that caused the death of 13 of our soldiers? That's legal then? What, are you kidding me? You may not agree with them. You may have done things a little differently if you were president, right? But at the end of the day, those aren't actually crimes. I know you're talking about like, well, if presidential immunity doesn't exist, I can prosecute him for anything. No, you can't. Like, it still would have to be a crime <laughs> that the person gets prosecuted for. Not anymore. You just use novel legal theories like they're using against Trump. Those days Pre- are over. Getting rid of presidential immunity altogether would not mean that everything somebody does is now a criminal act. Okay. That's, that's, that's not how this works, but apparently that's what Trump wants his supporters to think is what would happen if this happens. And let's also be clear about another thing here. The case of Donald Trump and presidential immunity is not about whether or not presidential immunity exists. It does exist. It exists in the constitution. And it basically says that a president or actually any lawmaker cannot be criminally prosecuted or sued for things that they do as official acts or for legislation that they pass or for decisions that they make. So if Biden were to come out today and say, you know what, get rid of the border checkpoints altogether. Everybody can come across the Southern border. That's still not a crime. That would be a presidential act. And immunity 100% covers that. What's at issue in the case uh, in front of the D.C. appellate court, and eventually will go to the Supreme Court, no matter what the appellate court ruled. Um, it just says, is Trump immune from prosecution in this instance? Was he acting as a candidate or was he acting as a president? He was literally the president when it happened. How could he be a candidate? He's the fucking president. So 
It's not even on whether or not immunity exists. It's about whether or not immunity exists to cover this. I, again, they're in court arguing that somehow a person who is the sitting president magically becomes a candidate and is no longer the president because he gave a speech that they didn't like. <laughs> specific acts. Trump doesn't want his supporters to understand that. And trust me, they definitely do not. How Ring could this shit possibly hold? Oh my god, how can this hold? We'll see. We'll see. Biz says, um, Sometimes I keep seeing on Twitter people mentioning how the U.S. is not getting the best and I want to immigrate legally because I love the U.S. and want to contribute and to stimulate. But your system either gets under a, a, a fence and you have Gibbs or you get uh, fucked legal. Oh, yeah, right now, uh, legal uh, immigration is drastically disincentivized. And, um, yeah, if you come in illegally, um, they'll just they'll basically just let you in. But coming in legally is very difficult. Uh, Biz says, I hope and pray the horse fuckers legal teams are uh, raping him in billable hours. I do, yeah, that'd be great. It would be so glorious if he lost a lot of his money because he thinks he can run for president and the lawyers realize his retardation and just ramp up the cost. That would be hilarious. Although he'll probably keep hitting up his, uh, his, uh, his audience. Oh, actually, that was, um, that was Silky Johnson that said that. Biz did have another one. He says, it's either you shimmy under... So going back to the immigration... It's either you shimmy under a fence and get everything or wait in line forever to get legal. Anyway, Brazil's going down the communism regime, and I see the USA as the last bastion of freedom in the world uh, for speech and guns mainly, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only drawback is in order to come in illegally, I, I, I think it's a, a, a somewhat of a treacherous, treacherous journey, depending on how you do it. But, um, and you'd probably have to be around a lot of AIDS. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy, the current situation. Sookie Johnson says, what was the donkey teeth AI video you were mentioning earlier? She was, yeah, it's an AI video where she's like, t uh, talking a bunch of bullshit, um, and, uh, about illegals and then like mistakenly says something out loud about, uh, replacement and then says, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. It's very well done, but it's clearly not real. And then Peterson said that the person who made that should be arrested. Uh, he says, I hope Sam Seaman and his ilk end up on these flights where they have uh, dumb nogs and trannies piloting it, where DEI maintenance causes it to explode before takeoff. Be a real shame. Yeah, as long as it's only commies on the plane. Hopefully they have like a communist-only flight and they all get on it. That would be, uh, that would be phenomenal. Cobra says, off topic, I'm out partying while listening to you. This guy's been a cock blocking me all night. So I say, screw him. And I talk to two hot blondes complaining to one how this guy next to her friend is cock blocking me the entire night. And she responds, that's my husband. That's weird. That's weird. Women do that kind of shit, though. That's uh, it's just like, what? That's interesting. All right. Well, good luck out there, Cobra. Sookie Johnson says, HB, that super chat the other day about throwing commies off a building in silence being forgiveness was glorious. That should be a, a shirt. The top of a building with the words, silence is forgiveness on it, or a crane. It's vague, but it's poignant. That would be a great shirt. 
I would love a long line of anti-communist shirts. I just, um, I'm kind of a normie when it comes to figuring out. We had a good shirt place for a while, but then they started censoring heavily. And then they just stopped filling orders. It was ridiculous. Um, and um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of easy-to-use places that don't censor. And then also we would have to, uh, we would have to figure out We'd have to get uh, uh, designs for the shirts, but that does sound like a very, very good one. Um, all right, let me uh, refresh here. One moment. Okay. Let's see. I think there was a couple in entropy here. We had um, Extraordinary Jackson says, The women in pet, food and cleaning products, or in pet food and cleaning product ads look better than the ones in lingerie and beauty care commercials. Take a walk around your local supermarket and look at the packaging. Yeah, it, it really, they're just putting ugly women in everything. And it's really just, uh, and like, like fat slobs. Like, it's just not, it's just no good. It's no good. And, or, you, you know, like when I'm watching YouTube videos, like normie YouTube, when I'm uh, like, I always have the TV on. Uh, I can't sleep in silence. Like silence or darkness. I can't. I just, I'm not having that. I had to do that enough as a kid. I'm never fucking doing that again. Anyway, and I'm sure there's a level of unhealthy to it. That's okay. It makes me happy. So I have the TV on, I have YouTube on, and it's on Roku, and I can't, the ads play, and, you know, there's nothing you can do. You can skip them, but, man, just the, uh, it's just non-stop bombardment with, like, ugly women or these, and this is the thing. I don't give a shit about interracial couples, but it, but it's the, it's, it's like the inorganic, it, there's a certain, there is a so to me. There's a difference between an interracial couple and the interracial couples they put in commercials, because those are very deliberate and they're done in a way that's very <clears throat> AIDSy. So so and you know it when you see it. It's it's interesting, <clears throat> and um, and it's always like there's just never like a white family, almost never, unless you're advertising for um uh killing yourself like that that one video out of canada was it it was a commercial out of canada advertising uh self-deletion and uh there were it was the most white people i've ever seen in a commercial it was like it was non-stop white i think there was like one one black person in it and uh and it's like and like and it, i it's just uh it's inorganic and aidsy and also just all of these, everyone's so sickly looking, and it's just, what the hell is happening? It's just, it's no good. Cooper Sees the Truth says, uh, John Stutterman isn't a serious person. What? Wait just a minute. You AIDS-filled commie. Are you sure he's not a serious person? Are you seriously just figuring that out now? Yeah, can you imagine just figuring that out now? <laughs> The guy, he, I mean, now he talks a little better than he used to. He used to not be able to talk at all. He did that debate performance when he was like, his opening comment was, Good night, everybody. <laughs> that was hilarious. You didn't notice, uh, Cooper continues, you didn't notice how he is, in fact, retarded? Oh, I should have just kept reading. I just should have, I, I should have kept reading. Back when he opened the debate with, Hi, good night, everybody. I should have kept reading. I'm telling you, I didn't see that part when I said that. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I guess that was fine with them. But now, since he's got the wrong opinions, and uh, and by the way, I don't know if he was talking about the the white farmer genocide. It wouldn't be surprised me if he wasn't. But you know, who the hell knows? He's he's barely coherent. I just like the fa I just like watching them because they're such sickos. I just like watching them get their back up anytime someone talks about white people being genocided because they love that. They're totally for it. They're totally that channel. Uh, uh, the majority report is is out of I think most of the at least the media that I'm aware of on YouTube is one of the most explicitly pro-white genocide channels. Their uh, their AIDS commie, uh, who's now a good commie, Michael Brooks. He was he he specifically defended the the South African government, claimed that the South Afri South African government offered a generous deal, and and remember the deal was, they give you pennies on the dollar for your farm, and if you don't, they're gonna let fucking uh, uh, black criminals kill you and your family. And I will tell you, look, there's a lot of brutality in the world, and I, and I'm not saying this is the worst brutality of all time. It is a level of brutality though that it's like one of the, sometimes you read things and you kind of have to go for a walk after. Some of the shit that they did to these families is like. I'm like, it's not even something, I was, I just, I just uh, and to children too, it's like unspeakable, unspeakable shit. And, uh, and uh, yeah, they're all like, oh, they're, they're being generous or they, and they're denying that it's happening. They're like, oh, it's just a coincidence. It's just random robberies. Yeah, it's just random robberies. Yeah, I'm sure boiling someone alive in a bathtub, that's just a random robbery. That's nothing. It just happens to be happening to, to white farmers consistently that's nah, just a coincidence it, it, it's just it's despicable it's despicable behavior absolutely despicable behavior and uh but you know he did he, he did get what he deserved so you know it is what it is all right that is the end of the stream uh we're gonna stream tomorrow i'm gonna look for uh, there's still there's probably enough material uh, to to do a stream anyway but it will probably Probably do some articles, and then I'll see if I can find a debate. I imagine the Ricada versus Destiny debate is filled with a level of AIDS that it's coverable. Um, I did watch Ricada's discussion with Sitch and Adam, and while Sitch and Adam were their normal, like, regime propagandist selves, they, they weren't really, like, rude, or it was kind of like, it was like a d decent discussion, nothing really notable, other than like they're retarded, but um, and I thought Nick did fine, but it wasn't. It wasn't really coverable. But they were talking about his debate with Destiny. Destiny is so filled with AIDS, and he's such a liar, and he's such a propagandist, and he uses tactics nonstop. I imagine it'll be coverable. I just haven't seen it yet. My criteria for covering something is if it gives me the ability to 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 like interject a lot if it's people just having like a normal conversation it's really not a lot for me to say but when a guy is using like crazy non-stop tactics that's generally what i'm looking for so i would think that's coverable but i haven't seen it yet i'm not sure I i'm sure i'll find something and if you have if anything you think is interesting hardnewsnetwork at gmail.com uh, and then after that will be it'll be uh, tuesday and thursday and saturday uh, you can get an archive on Rumble, rumble.com slash user slash hardnewsnetwork, or uh, you can go to Podbean, hardnewsnetwork.podbean.com, or you can go to Twitter, 
at Live HNN. And again, you can download my guide on how to spot a liar. It's called What a Liar Would Say. It's basically how to determine if a person's lying to you. And it also lists some of the propaganda techniques used by the corporate media, as well as a what I call uh, one of the hard bastard universal truths of life. Uh, it's the first one. I only put one in there. And uh, I'm going to do multiple volumes, so there will be multiple hard bastard universal truths of life or whatever. I forget what I called it. I called it something like that. Anyway, you can download them in the Rumble description, and you can also, of course, down the, the, uh, download the guide from my rabidly homosexual Democrat brother, what a bigot would say. And uh, I'll, I'll try to get these into Amazon, but it, you know the soft gentleman one couldn't get into Amazon, apparently, and uh, I, d- I doubt with the way I closed mine that it would have any shot but you never know you never know anyway wherever you're watching on the stream or on the archive i appreciate it i'll see you guys tomorrow i am the hard bastard thank you for watching